sir. <laughs> it's your lucky day. <laughs> Through a lengthy process of random selection, your galaxy, your planet, your neighborhood, Holani and Taylor, kiddo. You, yes, you have been chosen as a beneficiary of the promotional campaign. Yes. <laughs> Here before your very eyes, I have a product. A revolutionary product. You haven't seen stuff like this before. Brain, brain, cereal. <laughs> Take one bite, you'll have an idea. Take two bites, you'll have an hypothesis. Hypothesis? <laughs> you'll be smart. Comes in two flavors, regular or not enough. <laughs> Choose your poison, partner. You're gonna love this. Yes, sir, <laughs> <laughs> That was, that's, that would explain why there was an alien in prehistory. <laughs> Oh my god, I think that's, I think we probably started somewhere in there. I guess. I've um, watching too much History Channel. I, <laughs> well, well, I'm glad you're all here with us to rock and roll back to the no. dawn of time. I mean, yes. No, I'm not, I'm not against the, the idea behind the song. Uh, I'm hey. against blowing your top like a volcano. <laughs> so, so. There's a time and place for that. Welcome to our, our. New episode of non bluf Oh right, so we're not gonna do the whole. Okay, no, I got all excited we're that we were gonna. To, we're making this. We're branding. We're this branding. Is, these are separate. Mm -hmm. These are. I mean, they're part of it, but yeah. they're distinct. Ooh, but so, if you listen to last week's episode about the lamp for time, that was not a non bluf episode. Yes, our our, our the blue the whole blue and nothing but the blue episode. <laughs> <laughs> you were Damn too it. slow. Too slow on the update. Uh, <laughs> on that one, we talked with a uh, with. The two guests we have here, we talked about <gasps> that movie. What, yeah. Who do you, who on my podcast left, we had uh, Stephen Ray Morris. And Yay. on my podcast right, we have Grayson Kent. Yay. Yay. And both of you were kind enough to. To, to we're, we're back. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> you're back. Ah. I'd love to say that we're back to talk about this movie. Oh, um, yeah. And I'm not, I'm, look, I'm excited. And, and <laughs> Christian who was also on our last podcast, wanted to be here, but unfortunately, scheduling conflicts. But we still have his sunglasses. We have his sunglasses here. <laughs> that's all that's left of him. You want to see your sunglasses alive. <laughs> Are you threatening him in the podcast? Then sign up for our Patreon. On, no, we don't. We have, don't, even we have, don't have, have a Patreon. Um, but if you like us, click our Amazon link and buy something. <laughs> oh, that's true. That, that can help us. We might make a whole 50 cents. Um, Woo! So you might be wondering why this movie... Well, why have we? So we're talking about two movies today yeah, because because we we're picking movies that go with the Don Bluth movies in a way, or at least because we talked about Land Before Time and it has dinosaurs in it. And <laughs> it is surprisingly difficult to come up with a lot of two D yeah. dinosaur movies, but there are actual connections for this movie to yes. Amblin and, and stuff and we've and talked about so, before. Mm -hmm. um, this one was appropriate to look at. And also, because we want to do two for every non-Bluth, we're, we're going to do The Last Unicorn, yeah, which because may seem a little left field. We, but we couldn't figure out what else to do. And then I was like, well, unicorns also don't exist anymore. <laughs> Wait, what? was like, this is the last one. I think that was where your mind was. Was just like, well, like dinosaurs are extinct. The, yeah, the last. Oh, yeah. Are unicorns unicorn. extinct? <laughs> I mean, we don't know, you know. But right. And also, so I would ask Grayson that. He, it was, it was also a paleontologist. <laughs> Have you found the unicorn fossils yet? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> but we also couldn't figure out where else to put the last unicorn. Right, because we, we want to talk about. It. I. I mean, so. I hadn't ever seen either of these movies, but I know that a lot of people talk about The Last Unicorn as being one of their favorite childhood movies. Nobody talks about We're Back as being one of their favorite childhood movies. I'm sorry, but... I don't know if it's it, no one. I think well, there, nobody, there are I a know. few We're Back stands out there, maybe. maybe. 
Yeah. And I, I it's not like it's all it's not like all bad. No, like it's just funny cuz we watched it and I think that you thought I was mad at you for making us watch it cuz I was kind of in a weird mood before and I was like kind of tired and then we watched it one, one and I thing, was kind of mad. One other thing before we drift too far. I also wanted to say uh by by coincidence uh Dim Sum Kitty oh, also yeah. uh suggested Yes. uh Susan is her real name, uh, but she su- she randomly suggested the last unicorn yeah. as well when we did our didn't, first. Didn't we wink back at her? I think I think. Well, you might have. I'm gonna. Yeah. Okay. Did yeah, I? Did there I There is wink? a winky face with a unicorn mm-hmm. face. Yeah. Good, that good was job. Me. Um. So anyway, uh, yeah, I thought. Oh, well, yeah. because okay, here's the thing. I want to explain we're back for a moment because I have vivid memories of we're back from when I was younger from seeing this movie I think in theaters and we have the VHS we had I was actually surprised we had the VHS when I look back in all of these movies and I have my my memory of this film is almost a completely different film than what the actual film is and so I was trying to it was so weird because watching it now was clarification of like oh Oh, were you oh, like, these pieces fit like this together. Were you like, wondering, like, where's the part where he eats Nedry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I was I... waiting a really long time. And like, where's the there, goat? There, yeah. there was no mention of Amber. There was no... Uh, it's completely different from the film you saw as a kid. Yeah, well, well the, because, you know... There was no Isla Nublar. Well, no, because Jurassic Park is in the world of Warback. Yeah. Yes, it is. Well, as a movie, though. Yeah. So... That okay, you brought it up right away, Stephen. I had there, to. Sorry. There, yeah. So, um, by the way, uh, in case you didn't listen to the Lamb Before Time episode, yes, Stephen has a podcast, See Jurassic Great, See yeah. Jurassic Great, where he talks entirely about Jurassic Park. Now, you wouldn't think someone could do an entire podcast series. Oh yes, on only Jurassic Park, but. Uh, Stephen uh, apparently I found a way. Yeah. Uh, uh, so we had so had all you guys. Sorry. No, sorry. that was great. It was thank good. You, thank I didn't you, mean thank to. That was a good one. Thank though. you. Uh, did, had you guys all? I had never seen either of these movies before. Had you guys seen We're Back? I, I had also seen it as a kid. Uh-huh. I wanted to say maybe it was like a um, Shazam situation where it was like <laughs> uh, instead of We're Back, it's Our Return. That was the dinosaur movie you saw as a kid. Um, yeah, I saw it as a kid. Definitely, probably saw it when it came out. And I also, I think the theme for today's two movies was. I saw these movies, and then when I watch them again, I'm like, I don't. They're very different than what I they're thought. Very, they were. very different movies. There are some strange, specific similarities yeah. we did actually find between yes. the two films. Yeah, even Which, like when we did when we did Once Upon a Forest and Watership Down, we were surprised how similar those were in many ways. Well, and yeah. So. If anything, these movies are like a particular time and place with some very strange modern things into it where yeah. it's like, where it's like fantasy but with very 70s and early 80s There's, music and and kind of. Like not to jump ahead, but like Alan Arkin is such a modern character mm-hmm. in a fantasy world, and then in this movie, there's a lot I of mean, anachronisms in Last yeah. Unicorn. And then why is the uh, the Paris office? He's like, hey, what? Up? Like all the New York <laughs> stuff is like. Anyway, both so, these movies also have to deal in a way with the loss of innocence, and they've got that commonality theme right there. It's a little mm-hmm. more obvious in the Last Unicorn, yeah. I think. But if you look at We're Back, it deals with a different sort of innocence and that's in a different context. But I think that's another interesting parallel between the films. Mm. But I remember seeing we're back as a kid. A lot of my friends have memories of this film. Very few of my friends have seen the last unicorn and I did not see the last unicorn until I think I first saw it when it was streaming on Netflix. And just from my 
uh, being a fantasy fan and a player of Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of people reference The Last Unicorn, and I finally got around to seeing it. I'm also a big fan of the other Rankin-based films. Yes. Yeah. So I want to mention, like, Grayson, you are a paleontologist who loves Tolkien things. And I, so, I like, do indeed. I'm so, a big fan. I'm a big fantasy nerd. So there was no way I was not going to have you on this episode. So, um, but uh, yeah. So I, I guess. First impressions <laughs> or like new well, impressions, well, say, I should say. I want to know what you thought of these because you hadn't, you said uh, you didn't see them until you were well, an adult. Yeah, I, I didn't see them till till yesterday oh, or shit. the day before or whatever. Um, oh, wow. And I don't think I'd even really heard much about We're Back again because I think more people talk about The Last Unicorn, but I just I hadn't seen either. Saw them a couple days ago. I really didn't like We're Back and I have a lot of issues with it, but, but I mean, I can see, I can I'm, see I'm how. I'm kind of there with you. But so. I can see how it had a really big budget, which I'm sure will. I, I couldn't find any. Did you find it, any information I, about the budget? Not exactly. I couldn't no. either. We're we're back. Uh, though we're back. I think made somewhere around eight million in box office. Mm. It's open or some. It, I'll, I'll and look I'm up sure the it cost really quick, more than it, eight million to make. It was it was Spielberg. a bomb. Like it was a box mm-hmm. office bomb. And we're back is kind of a mess of a film. Yeah, and I, I, and I think I say that a little objectively as well. Like well, it's, and we it's, watched it first, and then we watched The Last Unicorn. So I was kind of mad after seeing We're Back because some stuff in it bothered <laughs> me a lot. But then we watched The Last Unicorn, and I'm sure you know there are some issues with that and some limitations with the animation. But I was like, oh, this is like a breath of fresh air. This is so fun, and I love these characters and the unicorn. Uh, well, yeah, it was just I so was going to say if so in 1993 in. Um, the year of Jurassic Park. Yes, the Lord. year of Jurassic Park in May was Carnosaur, which starred oh. Laura Dern's mom, uh, and it was they basically found out that they were going to make Jurassic Park and basically did a low budget version to try and beat it Real to the fast. theaters. Oh, that's cool. yeah. And then in June was Jurassic Park, and then in September was Prehysteria, which was the li- it's the live action dinosaur movie where it's all, they're all named after rock stars. I don't know I, if you remember that, Grace. I remember that where they're all like little tiny. Yeah, yeah. And then in November was we're back. So Maybe yeah. there was like dinosaur fatigue by the time Maybe. we're back came out. Well, it's like they it's were all trying—they were yeah. trying to capitalize well, on the dinosaur. Yeah, thing. what was interesting was that we're back was even in marketing, it was it was pitched as a, a dinosaur movie for the whole family, yeah. whereas Jurassic Park was pitched as a you know more of an adult experience. Yeah. It's funny because I was talking to Grayson before we started recording that Jurassic Park is for kids though, like. I, yes. it's not, <laughs> but it's like I yeah. saw that as a kid, and it's like making this one. Nobody who. Nobody needed this. Like kids didn't need. Well, kids didn't need we're back. Nobody needed this. Well, I just mean like kids. Why? Kids had Jurassic Park. They didn't need this other thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say that I obviously I think again loving dinosaurs as a kid. I watched Land Before Time. I watched Prehysteria. I watched Jurassic Park. Yeah, that is weird. We're back. Was I mean, Carnosaur is like a very adult movie, <laughs> yeah. but um, it's. Uh, I just love that you've seen Carnosaur. <laughs> I've oh, seen yeah. Carnosaur. I, I love that. I love that you both well, know of Carnosaur. Well, that was I the did. big dinosaur franchise before Jurassic yes. Park, and yeah. it's really one of the only other big ones, and it's basically be schlock. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, it's yeah, we did and an episode. And that was the standard you had to before <laughs> Jurassic Park. Mm. Yeah, it was just schlock, but yeah, we did a see Jurassic right where like a bunch of us like Chris Bramante, we all like watched the Carnosaur and it's just it is like it's just such a like as far as special effects go, it's like they literally hold a tie do- toy dinosaur at the edge of the screen as like a <laughs> perspective thing, but you're like it's so clearly it's just like close perspective. <laughs> yeah, I um, love it. But yeah, we're back. Definitely was. I mean, just even now thinking about it, it really was low on the list of like what 
you know, because Land Before Time is depressing in yeah. some ways, as we talked about yes. on, on the last episode. But we're back as like dark in ways that are like not. Uh, yeah. Well, there's know. reason. There's reason for why we're back feels conflicted yeah. in its tone. And that's I think it's like it really has. A lot of issues. Like, well, okay. should, should we start out talking about where it comes from? Yeah, we should talk about the history behind yeah. We're Back. So We're Back is the second film from Amblimation. And Amblimation was the studio responsible for Five Goes West. Mm-hmm. And then the third film that they made after We're Back was Balto. Oh. So Yay. those are the only three films that Amblimation actually made. And they were working on a fourth film, which was an animated adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, Cats. <gasps> What? Which right. never, it, it never happened. Oh. Which never happened. There's a live action adaptation coming out yeah. uh, this Christmas. Apparently, With Swift. Idris Elba is going to be McCavity. And no, there's no one like McCavity. <laughs> so, I, I was going to say, another cr- uh, podcast crossover right? uh, promo. <laughs> yeah. uh, the per- so, we're, 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 we're going to go see by casts. <laughs> uh, I definitely think we want to go see that. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. want to. My favorite well, musical. I'm curious. I have no idea <laughs> what it's going to. There's a few cat things to bring up, I think, in this. Yes, podcast, but yes, there are. Um, so, yeah, like this. This was a film that came on the heels of Fievel, but in my opinion, is not um, up to snuff with the quality but of Fievel. You can kind of see that they were going for similar things though, with like the moving camera. It looks kind of expensive yes. in a in a way that I, I could feel no like no no. It's style over substance. This movie looks. Like, I can see the money that went into it. Yeah. But I can see, it's like seeing the money burn. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can see, like, oh, you spent the money doing, oh, yeah. no. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big things I noticed right away, and, I, like, it took me a minute to, like, verify it, but I'm pretty sure that Five Goes West was done on cells. Mm. Which painted on cells. Yeah, they yeah. still did it on cells. And so uh, this was around the time that animated films were switching to doing things digitally. Mm. So there were different softwares. I think one of the ones I found was uh, US Animation was creating a kind of digital software. I know that Disney came up with the CAP system eventually, which were these digital proprietary formats for coloring hand-drawn animation. Hmm. And We're Back looks to me like an entirely digitally colored film. Well, you mentioned Um, when we were watching it, there are some scenes that look bad. Yeah, so what happened... when The difference when you're doing cells versus digital is that with cells they had xerography and so that's a technique where you photocopy the pencils onto the cells and then you would paint them which if they you, did in secret of nim if you go back far enough though although i'm trying to verify how they did it because there's a lot of colored lines in secret of nim so i'm mm. almost not entirely sure i think they maybe did it partially for some so, things yeah so I don't know how they how they manage to color lines. That seems like a very complicated process uh, with xerography. But and farther back in the olden days, you would actually just redraw the entire drawing on a cell Whoa. and then paint it. So that was the most costly way of using cells. So it then became okay. We photocopy a cell or a, a drawing onto a cell, so it'll look a little rough, but it saves time. And then it got to the point where, okay, now we're just going to scan the drawings and then we're going to use a digital program to color them. And I think a lot of those programs would try to vectorize line art, which is an attempt to make it easier to do things like fill. Um, but it damages line art when you yeah, do that some to of some it degree. Bad. I don't know if it was vectorizing, but like I think it was just so low quality and so new that digital coloring 
you can visibly see that it's new in this in this movie. Like some of the lines look kind of like jagged at points. It, I think it was di- digital compositing yeah. stuff too. Because I thought I was like, oh, is, is this a bad version of this? Is it like a bad transfer? Well, and it's, yeah, it did can... you watch the Blu-ray? We, we did. did. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the Netflix. Well, so the source of the Netflix it's one is. We have though. all four versions. I know. Here. I was going to say Laserdisc <laughs> we as well. Have, we managed to find because we have the VHS. We found the Laserdisc at Amoeba <laughs> for two bucks, and then I found a DVD at the Goodwill for two bucks. And so we have it on <laughs> we every format that but... we can. Um, but yeah, the it's very inconsistent quality because some of the shots look fine, but at the same time, the, I also just wasn't a big fan of the way the lighting looked. For the most part, I feel like when the lighting's hand painted, it looks nicer, and it looked nicer in Fievel. Well, it looks just kind of like Fievel. I feel like it looks a little bit more TV-ish, like a TV, yeah, like cartoon. You know, I think it's just because of the technology yeah. of how they were doing it, and it, it maybe it was a little more disciplined when they were stuck on paper and and had to kind of figure it out that way. But that's the technical side of what I saw was yeah. kind of odd. But yeah, the same directors that were on this movie, um, Phil Niblink and Simon Wells, were the directors for Five Goes West. So I was watching, I'm like, kind of what happened here? Because they- But there they, were two other directors. Exactly. So they proved themselves as competent, good directors. And I've met Phil Niblink a couple times. And oh, he's, wow. He's a really, he used to work at Duck oh, when wow. I was a PA there. And he's a really nice guy. And uh, I just like- I don't want to. I don't want to badmouth people for no reason. Well, no, and, I don't think anything that I don't like about this film has anything like it's not. It's not his fault. I really don't think, I, and I don't think it is because <laughs> no, uh, there is actually I an know interview. whose fault it might be. <laughs> so there's and there's an interview with some of the people who worked on this. Yeah, that we're gonna bring up. Like all the people who worked on this seemed like they were trying to make a good film, but there were certain things or maybe people. It who was a too many cooks. Too many cooks situation. and and one big cook. Yes, <laughs> one one head chef. Um, one head crab cooking chef. No, um. we're talking about Steven Spielberg, right? <laughs> <laughs> wrong movie wrong movie wrong movie um oh i get what you're talking you get what i'm getting now get i do I yeah that's foreshadowing joke right that's, <laughs> yeah. that's foreshadowing there's a couple connects connects i can't say i missed one like there's a couple little mermaid connections here for both movies so anyway i do want to talk about how this came from a kid's book because i think that's an important place to start before we talk about the plot because and the kid's book is by is by I wrote it down. Don't H. G. Act, Wells, uh, Hud, Hud, Hudson. No, Michael Crichton, <laughs> but Simon Wells is the grandson of H. G. Wells. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Hudson Talbot. Talbot. Hudson Talbot. Yes. Hudson Talbot here. And actually, it was great because you found uh, a YouTube video of somebody reading the book because I couldn't find anything anywhere. Yeah, we I was like, to... I want to find out what the... Because I was like, this can't possibly be what this book was because you have a kid's book and then you have to make a movie out Is of it. Is the book still in print? Uh, I don't know if it's on in know. print, but it's available to... I mean, you can buy it. Um, we I just mean, weren't ahead of the, yeah, the we, curve enough to track it down. <laughs> but I was trying to think like, okay, what are the things, just overall, the things I really don't like about the film story-wise, I really don't like the wish radio. And I kept thinking like, is the wish radio in the book? It's not in Be- the book. Before we get too far, I want to correct myself. He's the great grandson okay. of H.G. Oh. Wells. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, I was trying to remember, is he, is, was he the grandson or was he one gen farther than that? Okay. But so, yeah, the wish radio is weird and strange. So the similarities are, yes, the book has the alien. Cause I, you never know which of this is like, 
new because it all seems weird but but it does i do think it it does work as a kid's book yes i I think it works as a kid's book book is fun it has the alien it has brain grain it has hot dogs it has the macy's parade it has dr bleeb the difference is there are no kids not not like no kids no specific no specific kids no professor screw eyes no wish radio there's not even a doctor no captain new eyes that's the name of the other guy which i didn't even know until i looked up there's no eyes brothers (laughs) i thought they looked like einstein and edison (laughs) that was probably the point that was probably intentional because like and i'm like yes one more point for edison being an evil son of a bitch (laughs) (laughs) fuck edison yeah (laughs) anyway get off my soapbox now (laughs) but yeah basically the kids book it goes from like the alien comes down and he gives the brain grain to the dinosaurs and, and he's makes li- them smart the, the alien's a little dinosaur looking in the book too he's oh, a, he's completely oh, different yeah. design and also in the movie the alien's like oh all these kids are wishing to see dinosaurs so we're gonna bring you back to see them that's so stupid kids <laughs> wish for all kinds of stupid things you don't bring it to them was anyway. it was it the alien or was it new eyes saying oh maybe that? it was new i think well, it was i new don't eyes. know how the alien but, and new eyes are con- but the whatever. alien well because i think this world is so weird because he talks they talk about how like in the future we've like done all these advances and everything but then it's just modern day there's not really any futurism about the world that they're in that was the middle future if you saw on his little thing oh Okay, that makes sense then. So is he from the future? No, but then he's from the future future? Why is Screw-Eyes in the middle future? Yeah. Why is his brother stuck in the middle future if he's not from it? Well, maybe then, he's got an advantage. I don't know. Maybe it's like <laughs> Professor Farnsworth and Professor Wormstrom in Futurama. Wormstrom. Wormstrom. <laughs> Goodbye, cool future. But, but also in, in the in the book. <laughs> Can we just talk about an episode of Futurama? Yes, I'll talk about the one the, where they back. go to another planet and make robot dinosaurs. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't this want is a to cool way this. to die. <laughs> if we could scavenge the right parts from these robo-dinos, I might be able to construct a rudimentary spaceship to get us off this planet. <laughs> well, it took almost two hours, but it's finished. Yay! Now let's go to sleep. It's solar powered, so we can't take off until sunrise. <laughs> I don't want to live on this world anymore. Uh, um, oh, but, so, but in the book, I don't know why they bring dinosaurs back. I think it's just to, to like study them in their museums, maybe? I think it's the same reason. It's, no, 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 it's no. Just, it had nothing to do with kids, or did it? Sure, it did. They wanted to show they kids, kids the to magic see of dinosaurs. That would be the whole point of a kids' book. There's a lot of children's books with that basic plot. Yeah, I, think, want to see I think it was the same motivation. Yeah, um, but like you'd also like again, you'd get eaten by them. But, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I guess that's why they make I them mean, smart. Are we going to talk about the scientific inaccuracies of this movie? Because there's a lot. <laughs> First well, of all, why do out, dinosaurs evolve into eating hot dogs? <laughs> people po- pointed online, and I think I heard you saying this before the podcast that like there's a couple herbivores eating hot dogs. Yes. Yeah, that would be real bad. <laughs> and also, they're eating hot dogs, which are made out of. Pork or beef or whatever, whatever <laughs> mammal is. Dinosaurs didn't eat that much mammal. So even if you had a carnivorous dinosaur here and you fed it hot dogs, I can't imagine it would be good for it. <laughs> well, you can we can forgive that. Like you, you that's could, true. You could forgive I, this thing if other things weren't. Sure. So, so anyway, yeah, like the the Starbucks coffee cup in the, the background. Starbucks <laughs> coffee cup was very strange. I don't know how that got in there. 
But Jay Leno alien shows up, <laughs> gives them brain grain. That's Jay I Leno. I didn't know by that was way. him yeah, yeah. till later. Which apparently he did kind of as he was becoming famous. He had done it like three years earlier before oh, wow. the movie came out. Because funny story, We're Back was in production before Steven Spielberg got the rights to Jurassic Park. Oh, I know, yeah. it's crazy. Which is insane. They were insane. working on it for a long time, and then Spielberg's like, I'm going to go work on this other dinosaur thing. And they're just like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> we were doing this thing. Oh, you know, one thing we forgot to mention, how this movie actually starts out. It starts out with birds. Yes, I, that's I thought, another thing. I it starts down, with an unnecessary... I wrote down, birds are dinosaurs. <laughs> it starts uh, with an unnecessary bookend device, yeah. uh, framing device of, no, that did not of the T-Rex... Sound he sounds more like Bing Crosby, I think, in the framing device than in the rest of the movie. And the T Rex is voiced by by John Goodman. But he's like doing this golfing thing. So I was trying to think, is this like a Bing Crosby? Is this like a Bob Hope thing that he's doing? Like Well, hey there, little buddy. Hi! Oh, whoa there, little hey. fella. Where'd you fall from? No place. Just leave me alone. No place? No place. Never been there. What's your name? Buster. Well, Buster? Don't you have a mom somewhere that's probably worried about you? You know, like <laughs> that sounds like Bing Crosby, like Bing Crosby. in uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Did, did Bing Crosby golf? I guess everyone golfed. I mean, well, but then, <laughs> everyone think, but think, golfs. That's another element of why this movie is weird. It's like why kids don't care about golf. Like if you're gonna yeah. have, if you're gonna have a cool streetwise kid, like show the dinosaurs like skateboarding yeah. or something. You know, but they, oh, they do. do. They yeah, that's do. True. That's true. But these are supposed to be modern day dinosaurs, and he's a big you know hot shot T Rex. So oh, I'm famous. I got free time. I'm gonna go golf. Well, you but know, who eats more hot dogs or whatever? Aren't his arms too short to play golf? Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's got an extra digit, which is apparently an opposable thumb. <laughs> Did he evolve? Was it there before he evolved too? If you see him when he's busy in the beginning of the movie chasing that whatever he's chasing, because in all movies, all T Rex want to eat everything that moves, regardless <laughs> of can I actually catch it. Oh, yeah, he's got an extra digit. He's oh. a little Allosaur wannabe. Okay, uh, so it's just funny. I type in Bing Crosby golf, and Bing Crosby and Bob Hope would golf together. So okay, so there we go. I, there we <laughs> go. I was more on than I realized. Clearly, um, <laughs> so Bing Hope, Bing Hope impression that he's doing. Um, but also, would kids even get that? Yeah, it's just it's a weird way to open the movie. Um, but yeah, the that's I guess one commonality it has with Jurassic Park <laughs> is the per- does. Yeah, which, how many? Steven, was Bing was golfing? Was What's golfing? Happening? How many <laughs> golfing <laughs> shot? No, how many Jurassic Park movies open with? Oh, well, birds. Oh, uh, well, because world does, yeah. right? Or uh, maybe open well, with yeah, birds. the first one ends with birds. Yeah, they, they all end with some sort of flying. They all have birds flyingness happening. That's, and why that's is very that? scientific? Why is that, Steven? Well, but not always, because I mean, <laughs> Jurassic uh, Park three and Fallen Kingdom have pteranodons. They're they're flying reptiles. And they're not birds. Didn't but. Fallen Kingdom end with the mosasaur about to eat a surfer? Yes, that too. That was part of the montage. And <laughs> yeah, then a, and then a Rex roaring at a lion, which is really cute. Oh, that's right. The Rex well, no, t- and then the post credit sequence in Fallen Kingdom is the pteranodons landing in Vegas. Oh, that's right. That's right. Did Forgot. I even I, stick around to see that? I saw Viva, that. Viva Rock <laughs> Vegas. Uh, yeah. I guess and every again, movie has a post. I made sequence. that joke on that on a. On a podcast. <laughs> and the reason that birds are always brought up is because... Uh, birds are dinosaurs. Yes. Evolutionary. <laughs> that was in Sarah's notes. Yeah. Birds are dinosaurs. <laughs> birds are dinosaurs. <laughs> I capitalized it. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, I am just looking at my dumb notes that I wrote. They evolved to eat hot dogs. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize, and you know, even growing up, that because I knew that Land Before Time, you know, had the Spielberg connection. Mm -hmm. But then that just makes it so so much more sad that we're back. Was like Spielberg was like, all right, I made Land Before Time came out in '88. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then he's like, okay, we're gonna start working on We're Back. I'll be some executive thing. And then it's like gets leered away by Jurassic Park. And then. I feel it's like maybe we're back is like the forgotten son. You oh, know? it is. It's totally the neglected child. And it's, it's the, the dinosaur w- movie he really wishes was extinct. Oh, <laughs> and he was trying. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Um, I've, I know I've said that several times, but like it, we found an interview with with uh, Simon Wells and, um, and Don't, Simon and book, Cowell and the book. I, why is my brain? Oh, not Hudson Talbot. Hudson Talbot and um, Phil Niblink. Mm-hmm. It was on SciFi.com. And it was, to, I guess someone wanted to do it for the 25th anniversary of mm-hmm. of We're Back. Oh, yeah, because that would have been last year. Same as Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. So it was interesting to hear them talk about it because it really did sound like a situation where, I want to say, the finicky client couldn't make up his mind. <sighs> and, and that client was Steven Spielberg. And that client Spielberg. was Steven Spielberg. I don't know anything about this. So okay, he, the, the name of the article is Roll Back the Rock, an oral history of We're Back, a dinosaur story for its 25th birthday. And they, and they talked about how it was originally going to be a more lighthearted movie. So Wells and Talbot were already kind of working on a script for the movie. And then they asked John Patrick Shanley to write it because he had just won an Oscar for Moonstruck. And he's also, he was the screenwriter for like Joe versus the volcano and and Congo and Congo. He's written good movies, but apparently for some reason, like his, the way he wrote this one was very stiff dialogue and very strange. And they, they like, tried when they were recording the voice actors that what they did was they're like all right well, well we'll get the line the way it is so we have it but then we'll also ask them to do more natural reads and change it a little bit so so wells and nibblink were trying to actively yeah. make the dialogue more fun and less odd because there's a lot of points in this movie yeah. where it was like people are talking weird no one would talk this way. We had the subtitles on because it was like hard to figure out what was going on. I, we had to like, <laughs> like rewind a David Lynch it. Movie. We yeah. had to rewind it like well, three times. So I was like, I don't understand what just happened. Well, like, there's <laughs> it's a point, not believable dialogue. Yeah, no. there's a point where the the girl says, "Let no bad happen," and I think we both just <laughs> laughed. That's just loud. bad yeah. grammar. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's several times where grammar doesn't make sense. Where where it's like. Why did you freeze yeah, it? Yeah, I took way? four years of AP English in high school. <laughs> Let no bad happen. That's and my was... four-year-old cousin speaks better than that. Well, but yeah, apparently the screenwriter he d- he got mad that his lines were being changed. Yes, and it's like, dude, you they write to... a script, you hand it off. It's not yours anymore. Well, they tried to change it, <laughs> and 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 yeah, they tried to put those better lines in the movie. Apparently, and yeah, that was his reaction. Was try was saying no, put it back the way it was. Right. And it's strange to me because. It, I don't understand why Spielberg didn't catch on. That Spielberg this was, was busy at that point. I maybe. guess so. <laughs> you know, you was, know where he was in no. Uh, well, he wasn't in London well, where, where this was happening. Yeah, no, this no, was being made in London. Yeah. And by the way, they had to fly out to all the voice actors individually mm. for this movie. So uh, that's another interesting thing. Well, yeah, I was going to say because no, because it would have been actually December of '92 when he was filming Schindler's List. So uh. then I think probably at this point he. 
you know, Steven Spielberg releases two big movies in 1993, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. By November, he's on vacation. He's out. He's checked out. Yeah. But it's <laughs> oh. like, what was happening for the last three years? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It just seems odd for him to have yeah. been that checked out about it. Or, or but so... It, take a look at Jurassic Park three. Am and, I right? And they would do, yeah, they would do different, uh, and, and several actors were replaced at Whoa. different points where Ooh. they would attempt to record certain parts. Can we talk about John? Malkovich Can we talk about now? John Malkovich? It's so John Malkovich, exciting. John Malkovich. They tried the to best. Who quote. was John? Would he, was he professor screw eyes? Yes, he yes. was. He was originally, no, no, he wasn't in the final product, but originally he was going to be Professor Scrooge, and they had recorded him. And you know, really that probably would have been an interesting choice. Now, Kenneth Mars did a good job, but yeah. Kenneth Mars isn't really very villainy. I associate him with King, King Triton, Triton and with his role in Young Frankenstein. I Yes, yes, yes. He played, oh God, what's the guy's name? Uh, I wrote spe- it down. <laughs> My family quotes him all the time. He's the one with the arm and the accent <laughs> and the go for little wine and the little sponge cake and shit. <laughs> he followed in his grandfather's footsteps. His what? Footsteps, footsteps. Footsteps, Um... He, I'm trying to figure. Oh, my parents would be so angry at me right now for forgetting the character's name. I know, I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to. Kenneth Mars, Kenneth Mars, Kenneth Mars. We love you so much. Yes. uh, (laughs) Oh, that's right. Uh, Friedrich Kemp is the name. Inspector Kemp. Frederick Kemp. Inspector Kemp. But uh, back to what I was saying. And he also played. I found this out. He also played a character named Richard in an episode of Batman the Animated TV Series, which was an episode where. Do, um, where I almost said Doc Croc. <laughs> where, I spat on my mic. Where, where Killer Croc is running from Batman um, because he escaped a train where he's being moved to some other asylum. And they're running through the woods and they find this strange place where there's a bunch of retired circus actors who all have decided to, and they're like circus freaks basically, and they've, de- they've decided to spend their days isolated in the woods. And they think Killer Croc is, you know, like a good person when they meet him. But the main guy is this man named Richard, who's played by Kenneth Mars. And uh, he sat, which is a funny connect because he basically is a ringleader in that episode, but he's a more benevolent yeah. one. Uh-huh. So I thought like, ah, he's played, he's played a circus ringleader ah. a couple of times. Um, I see where but, you're going but with But the reason, in this article specifically, they talk about uh, how Spielberg said that John Malkovich was too scary as Professor Yeah, Spurs. that's what yes. I was going to say. He's got a great, but creepy voice. that's not really the full story. I think Steven Spielberg's well, always then, trying to save face. And don't forget the middle one. Was Christopher Lloyd. Yes, Christopher Lloyd Whoa. was then going to be the next, was next. Okay. They got as he, two. Here's the thing why that could have totally worked. Because if you look at Professor Screw Eyes, he's a villain in the sense, yeah, he's a bad guy, but he's not really a strong driving plot force or really a strong character. Yeah. He's sort of just out. But he's kind of cartoony also. If you look at Judge Doom, yeah. who Christopher Lloyd played in Roger Rabbit. Now, Judge Doom wound up being a very complicated very scary character. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But he was still that sort of cartoony, not super important villain. So Christopher yeah. Lloyd probably yeah. could have pulled this off. Oh. And wasn't Christopher Lloyd also Rasputin in Anastasia? Yes. Well, oh. he's not the... Uh, the singing voice was Jim Cummings. But he was the... the but car- he's the, the talking the, voice. That's what... that. Yeah. yeah. I yes. read... I don't know if it was in this article or something else, but I read that they had asked Christopher Lloyd to do it and he agreed to it and then they waited and he like never showed up to the recording. (laughs) 
Right. Because when he said we're back, he hopped in his DeLorean and he went back to the dawn of time and couldn't find them. Yeah, he rock and rolled back to the dawn of time. And they, so, but what, didn't well, they record him though eventually? Oh, uh, they did. And then I, th- I don't remember. And then he didn't if, like, like that either. Or Spielberg didn't like it. And they kept saying, like, oh, Spielberg keeps like recasting these actors after we've already recorded with them. This costs a lot of money. So, yeah, but, it costs tons of money every time. So the article time. says that Spielberg just didn't like John Malkovich. I have a different side of it from John Malkovich himself, which is <laughs> Wait, really? it's so uh, good. Yes, this, this was a pretty fun question. Actor John Malkovich was originally set to voice the role of Professor Screw-Eyes, but dropped out because of disagreements with directors Phil Nibbling, Simon Wells, Dick Zondag, and Ralph Zontag's vision of the film. Upon the movie's release, Malkovich was a vocal critic of the project, arguing that the scope of the script was not fully realized and that the final product was subpar, to say the least. To this day, Malkovich generally refuses to talk about the film. In a rare 2003 interview, Malkovich made a brief allusion to the movie, saying, Good ideas go to die in Hollywood. I worked on an animated movie about dinosaurs in New York once. It was completely bureaucratized they took something that had art in it and put it in the laps of people that only cared about the bottom line and look what happened in a later portion of the interview Malkovich went on to say yeah projects like we're back a dinosaur story they just make you sick that's why I left this town it's all about the money the bottom line it's disgusting whoa <laughs> I love that's he's haunted by that yeah. I love that he like alluded. he has a movie about a fictionalized version of himself <laughs> oh my god I love that he like uh, yeah, he alludes to it to be yeah, like coy, and, and then and he's like, "So it's we're back." It's it's, and he doesn't say like we're back. He says we're back. A dinosaur <laughs> I story. And he has since been in other animated movies. <laughs> yeah, it's I. But I find that funny because I'd be I'd be a little salty about it too. Yeah, like, I put all my effort into being this character, and then you just remove me because you're like, "Oh, you're too scary." Yeah. I'm a villain. Well, I don't know what if do you he, want? he again. I don't know if they did remove him or if he's like this. I'm this isn't working. I'm leaving, but also like there was another part of that article where they talk about Martin Short doing his lines and how they Spielberg had told them that Martin Short wants to redo his lines because he oh, doesn't yeah. like them and Martin Short came in and he's redoing his lines and he goes like hey why are we redoing these I liked them before and they're like Spielberg told us you wanted to redo them and they just both stood there like, wait, I think we were lied to. I think Spielberg didn't oh like these God. lines. And he lied about it to make it seem like Martin Short didn't like did. it. This I is know. twisted. I love yeah. it. Someone did. Maybe not him, but like. Spill the tea, sis. Somebody, spill. There's yeah. There's a lot of weird tea to spill about the behind the scenes yeah. of this movie. Which you can tell then why it which ended is... up the way it did. Like, you, if you have this much, you know, going on behind the scenes, it's not going to turn out well. And Stubbs is my favorite character yeah, in this whole mine movie, too. by the way. It's the only time which, I ever laugh. Which is funny because... He's it, a clown. It's yeah. funny that Martin Martin Short's character is the best part of this movie, whereas in Treasure Planet, his character is the worst part of that movie. So, uh, <laughs> which you will allude, which you will talk about, I'm sure, what in your schedule, like what at the end of the year. <laughs> so it's a little sneak peek for, for somewhere for down the episode. line. Um, but the, yeah. Oh, also, do we want to bring up that the directors were basically replaced? Yes. Temporarily mm-hmm. at one point. Wait, too. temporarily. Oh, what does that mean? Basically were, replaced so, mean? Well, they were pulled off. Well, Wells they were pulled and off were the pulled project. Off not, to do cats. Yeah. Not fired. Yeah. They were just like, oh, they we were need like, you you're going to do this. cats now. And so they brought in the, the Zondags. Zondag brothers, one of whom mm-hmm. also directed. Uh-huh. Dinosaur. Dinosaur, yes. <laughs> so there's another connect here. Yeah, Ralph Go straight Sondag. to the top. Go mm-hmm. straight to the top, baby. Um, but then they came back. So Phil Nibbling came back when Cats fell through. Uh, Wells didn't come back. He went to Balto. He just moved on to that. So so Phil Nibbling then basically had to carry the film home. And Simon Wells yeah. even expressed Whoa. that it was kind of 
uh, like he almost feels like his name shouldn't be a, on director mm. credit for this because it was so early on that. Yeah, he was you wonder directing. what he did if he was there wow. early and then never came back. Yeah. So it, it just feels like yeah, too many kind of shifts in who was handling what seismic shit. Okay, uh, <laughs> seismic shit. <laughs> seismic shifts. Um, and yeah, overall, I think you can tell in the final product that. And it's a shame, too, because there's a lot in this movie that I see, and it's like, these, some of these things should work and fit together, and there are scenes that are well animated, or look good. Well, and I think, yeah. really, the most memorable thing about this movie is the Roll Back the Rock song. It's yeah. John Goodman singing, the dancing, the Macy's Day Parade. Put her there, you know, and, like, Which? pops the balloon and everything. Roll back the rock to the dawn of time When the earth was smoking and the lava flowed Roll back the rock to the dawn of time You can blow your cool just like a volcano Snap your fingers and stomp your feet Soaking up a little of the jungle beat Roll back the rock to the dawn of time And sing this song with me Roll back the rock Turn back the clock Roll back the rock to the dawn of time And sing this song with me which, this is a fun piece of trivia. Apparently, for a real Macy's Day Parade... Oh, and also, you see a bunch of, like, copyrighted Universal characters in the parade in the movie, which is kind of fun. Like, don't you see Snoopy? Or, like... There's another... There was a couple other characters. Woody Woodpecker. It was Woody Woodpecker. Um, but, like, ones that they had the rights to use somehow. <laughs> yeah. So... That's uh, why Jurassic Park's name shows. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, they... Mandy's product placement, baby. But then, apparently, in real life, there was a Rex balloon that they had made for the parade and it hit a pole and popped his head and then his body was the only thing left which is what happens in the movie where rex destroys one of the floats inadvertently so in a strange twist of fate it it was self-actualizing um but there's things in here that i look at i'm like yeah I, i could have gotten behind this and i think as a kid my mind made sense of it more than what was there. But you and know what I hate the most? <laughs> no, no, like, again, like, if they hadn't had this stand. aspect of it, it might have been okay. I hated the kid characters. And yeah, I well, they felt tacked they, on. Well, they, no, but they... Uh, they added nothing to the story, yeah. and they were very strange, because you have no, very little context for the girl. You have some, oh, my yeah. parents were like, the boy, I forget their names, which here's a problem right there. They're it's so forgettable like characters. Something Louis. Nuthatch. Cecilia Nuthatch. Nuthatch. Louis, Cecilia yeah, Nuthatch I, and Louis. But Louis, you have I don't even think you no find out context. His last He's a little, is he an orphan? Is he a runaway? Right. He has this complicated thing to fry his Yeah, eggs it's, it's good. thank you for bringing that up. Because on his it was drunk like, raft? What, what is going, oh, yeah. what is that about? Like, and it's never brought does up he again. he live there? He lives on his little raft? He's on a raft. <laughs> is he rock and rolling? Is he like air uh-huh. guitar? He's rock and rolling on the river. That's what he's doing. Rolling. Roll- <laughs> Rolling, thank you. Rolling on the river. Uh, but yeah, he's it's, like, it's just like th- th- these things shoved in here. Where they're I'm like, such serious. They're so serious for being. How old are they supposed yeah. to be? Oh, we were. You asked me that. I was like, they're either eight or fifteen. And because well, she, she, there's a lot of sort of sexual tension. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, her are they like eyes. tweens? Are they really preteens? Weird. But at the same time, he kind of acts like you'd expect like a nine or a ten year old to yeah. have. Yeah. And Rex makes this scene. really <laughs> uncomfortable, like suggestive. We had the subtitles on it. It's yeah. just like some oh. suggestive growl. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like what the? F- they're 
fucking like as the, as the pterosaur is busy trying to do some sort of mating display on him, which like, That's is what... also weird because they're different species of dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> I've been meaning to talk to you, Rex. <laughs> About what, Elsa? The way you look at me, it makes me want to um lay an egg. <laughs> I mean, in real life, one would eat the other. It would be the dinosaur <laughs> eating the pterosaur, and there'd be no weird, freaky, hanky-panky whatsoever. And none of that is in the book, by the way. There is no yeah. romantic anything. There are no kids. There's and no dinosaurs flirting with each other. So much I don't like... like I don't like about the kids' relationship, and that's kind of later in the film. Maybe we'll talk about yeah, you know it later. Like, but just, just to set up really quickly, yeah, like they, yeah. the dinosaurs, because you can summarize this film yes. pretty fast. The dinosaurs are primal. Some the alien and and new eyes comes to get them, gives them brain grain, makes them smart, brings them to the present, drops them in the middle of the bay. Instead of taking them to the Natural History Museum, which <laughs> or to is, a designated rendezvous point, he's like, "Oh, we're kicking you out. Good luck." Oh, here's a. Did he even give them a map? No, well, <laughs> I, I don't think so. He's just like, "Good luck." He's which, like, "Get to the museum." Which yeah, alien was like, "Didn't he like smash Rex's finger to get him to let go?" Yeah, or, or they like it off, or they're all like, "Dude, don't drop us off." Like, you have technology to go back in. We time. don't understand how to use our brains and grammatical syntax. Oh, this brain is cereal and hot dogs. Help us out. This is all a metaphor for the fall of man. You know. <laughs> like we ate the apple, you know. They they had the brain, you know, and like you, the oh, whole paradise sauce so, thing. You were so know? excited to go back in time and make dinosaurs smart. You didn't think about whether or not you, you should. You should go back in time and make dinosaurs smart. So they're dropping them off into the bay, and and then they run into Louis, who is making his egg on his weird sci-fi contraption that apparently he's smart enough to make. There's nothing else technological on that except his boombox. Talk about 90s boombox. And what year does this take place? They, they I guess they Jurassic Park was in theaters. That's true, that's true. Also, also, I guess I should point out, this. there's something in the book, too, that is weird, because it does happen that way in the book, where he oh, just where kind of... Oh, where they're parachuting out. Yeah, he yeah. just, like, parachutes them out. It's like, deliver them to yeah. the place. From evil. From evil. <laughs> and... <laughs> Deliver us from the KT extinction. So that'd be my one plot concern with... Oh, but, but, but... Also, I forgot to mention Kenneth... Um, not Kenneth Mars. The the book, the... Uh, Hudson oh, Hudson Talbot. Hudson, Hudson... Tableau? Talbot. Talbot. <laughs> I think drink Hudson? every time Dax doesn't remember the Talbot. author's name. Think Wolfman, Talbot. Hudson Talbot. Like, apparently used to do calendars, and somebody oh, had really? suggested... They, they said they liked his designs and was like, hey, make a make a children's book. And and so that's what he did. And that was where back and, was his first children's book. And he oh, didn't wow. uh, he wasn't involved at all in writing. And he, he did say that they they like brought him to London once, but it was more just to appease him kind of to be like, oh, come to London, see the studios. Right. And he said that Spielberg called in uh, over like the you know, the phone or what's it called? Phones. Um, and Skype. he was the voice of God <laughs> coming out of the speaker phone. <laughs> they were just being nice to, to him because he exactly. was the author, but, and he was freaking out as he should have about changes they were making and things they were adding in. But this is a general problem when you take a small children's story and you try to pad it out mm -hmm. to an entire film. I'm looking like, at you, Brokeback Mountain. I'm looking <laughs> at you. I'm looking at you nine, uh, where the wild things are, which I actually great. liked. 
Yeah, it's a thing where although nine was a short film, wasn't it? I, I, it's one of those things where like, yeah, why, where the wild things are has a nice aesthetic about it, but I definitely felt bored watching. Well, that part of the problem movie. is if you if you look at children's books, however long they are, if you take out just the text and you had a page of just text, mm-hmm. it's very rarely going to be more than two pages. Yeah, might be. A paragraph, really, because you'll be like, oh, there's two senses and a lot of lavish illustration. So a lot of these children's stories really don't have a plot. They have less plots than some of the, what these video game movies look for. So you have filmmakers, they have literally the bare bones. Yeah. So in many ways, why is the author getting upset? It's almost like they're, right. they're being inspired to tell a different story. And it's not their story anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, and they had to come up with the rest of the story, and so that's we not we can't his all be J.K. Rowling and write a children's book that actually has a great plot, <laughs> and then change it twenty years later. There you go. Wait, no, 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 shots fired. Uh, so Juan's fired. Um, <laughs> so we anyway, are talking about unicorns after we're not, all. We're, later. Not, we're not on the fantasy yet. We'll yeah. get there, but we are on science fiction, I guess. Oh yeah, so so. Oh, there's something else. Because it is a sci-fi movie. It involves a, a time travel. Would it be science ship. fiction or science fantasy? I would say f- there. Oh well, shit! There is fantasy because there's a because ma- it's it's Christ magic. Does he have magic? Science fantasy is a thing. Star Wars is the best example. <laughs> no, because they have technology, but they don't refer to it technologically. I've heard it referred to as science fantasy and. They say Star Wars would be considered science fantasy. Star Trek would be science fiction so, by huh. those standards. So, so what like, is this? Yeah. Is, is New Eyes meant to be the sci? Is he the? Is he the like sci-fi? Because they have all this then, science oh. that really isn't very sciencey. It's kind of magic. And Screw Eyes is the fantasy. Oh, since we're on the subject of Screw Eyes, did you read about the deleted scene that like gives him a backstory? No, wait, what? Yeah, there's a deleted scene. Does his eye get eaten out by birds? Yes! That would How make Jurassic so much sense! Park, he gets attacked by dinosaurs. <laughs> that would make so much sense. Yeah, That's so, pretty metal. So the uh, yeah, the deleted scene is that um, ah. Professor Screwwise uh, was snoozing by a berry bush. Snoozing? Uh, yeah. Snoozing. A, is berry, that- a berry fell upon his eye and a crow pecked for the fruit while at the same time taking his eye. Oh and that's God. why he's scared of the crows, but he also controls that them. That was not set up that's at all. disturbing. <laughs> that was not set and up And also in, in reality, slightest. I bet the crow would be like, I'm going to just eat the eye. Or <laughs> eat the eye first. Or grab the other eye. Nobody goes, grab what? that one. Why did smart. he put a screw in his eye? Is still the mystery that was <laughs> eluded. cool. And also, it really bothers me. It bothers me more than it should that he isn't called screw eye. <laughs> You have one screw eye. You don't have two. He oh. doesn't want to draw attention to it, so it's like he's got two eyes. <laughs> but but did also, they call him that because the other character's name is New Eyes? What was his, his name before? Maybe now here's the creepy thing. They're like we can't if have one with screw plural. eyes when he still had regular eyes. Oh, maybe he was <laughs> cross-eyed. Is this is fa- yeah. Also, is it a family name? Because then two brothers have two different yeah. family names. And why is the one guy named maybe New they're half brothers? Wait, why is he called New Eyes? Does that mean he used to have screw eyes and he got new eyes? Maybe. Also, Maybe why? he's the younger brother, the one mother doted on more, and that's why screw eyes is so pissy. Why are evil people always missing body parts? <laughs> yeah, what right? does that say? Because it makes yeah. you scarier. But it's not fair. That's terrible. That's it's terrible. stigmatization but, yeah. against... Uh, yeah. But we'll get back to screw eyes. Against people with screw eyes. <laughs> well, people with metal arms are hot. See, um, <laughs> do you care to? But I'm sure that in in the sun, yeah, their Mortal arm would Kombat, get really warm. Bucky Barnes from the MCU, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Wait, did you Luke say Skywalker. Mad Max? 
Oh, Mad Max would be great as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, no, Mad Max, uh, Charlize Theron, right? Inspector Gadget doesn't, doesn't count, Grayson. He's entirely metal. I want, I want Ooh, a calendar of like hot He's the hottest one. Do we Dude, bring imagine up, what else you could extend. I would, I would bring um, up... Um, go, go, Gadget! No, no. We keep, we're, 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 not that, we're not that. We're not that. We're not that explicit. Thank you. I'll be my dad like, did the trademark that was, for that cartoon, by the way. That was fabulous. Oh, right. Yeah, Grayson. Well, this is a weird thing Grayson and I have in common. Both our dads are lawyers, which oh. is interesting. So, anyway. Dude yeah, used you're... to be one of my dad's big clients. I believe he also did the trademark for Sailor Moon. Whoa. Oh, okay. So, like, huh. but yeah, like. I'd have that, to ask I didn't know him. that, though, for Inspector yeah, Gadget. Deke, That's yeah, Deke used to be one of his big clients, but I will, I will ask him if there's any other animated shows he did stuff um, for. Refuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, re- resist urge to make a big deke joke. Um, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you can tell how interested we are in talking about we're back, by the way. So, so yeah, now we're so back. Now we're back. I would have also um, brought up um, Ed from Full Metal Alchemist uh, when we were talking about oh the metal arms, metal arms. But he's a he's a child. That's <laughs> so fair. I, I think that's fair. He's hot. <laughs> um, even though I'm sure there are those who would say he is, because oh. he is one buff, young, young, chillin'. Gentleman. <laughs> but, um, anyway, we're back. We're Jamie back. Lannister and, count? and we're back to talking about... <laughs> talking about we're back. So anyway, they're dropped off in the bay. They run into Louis. They, oh. they, they, they're like, all right, Louis, you're running to the circus. For some reason, they join each other. Rex falls into the ocean. While oh. they're like looking at skyscrapers, you know what's Louis- stupid? Yeah, Louis like saves him, and but do you know what he says after he saves him? Yeah, it's the weirdest. He thing. says these things happen. He's like, no, no, no yeah, Rex is like, I owe you one, <laughs> and he's like, ah, these things happen, and you just immediately when we were watching it, you were like, no, they don't. <laughs> I am so sorry well, I did not come over to watch these films with you. I should have blown know, up my Dungeons and Dragons game. Also, why is nobody surprised that there are dinosaurs? They kind of just show up and everyone's like, oh, dinosaurs. So you are kind of of the big nature. So, and you're very small. Like, what is going on? This isn't a this real... Isn't real. This isn't real. I would crap my pants. Yeah. If I were to corner and saw an actual living, yeah. breathing dinosaur. I mean, it's scary <laughs> enough when you go into the yard and there's a damn chicken there. By the way, <laughs> one of the taglines. So, so one of the taglines for this movie is uh, it's something like a dinosaur film for everyone. You know, kind of kind of saying like, oh, Jurassic Park isn't for everyone. For the whole but this family is, is what it says. Right. But one of the other taglines is wish for a dinosaur and watch all your dreams come true, which is the exact opposite of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Yes, really. <laughs> well, they wished for a dinosaur, and their nightmares came true because yeah. life found a way. Uh-huh. I want to see the crossover where human new- beings. Mm, what a meal! I want to <laughs> see the crossover where New Eyes eventually shows up in the Jurassic franchise and well, like helps. He's like, I've got your mm. solution here, and he just gives brain grain to all the all, all the, 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 the yeah, Indoraptor yeah. and the Irex don't need the brain grain. They're <laughs> smart enough. They're, they're yeah, too yeah. smart already. Well, I did think stylistically Rex looked like I was like is there a theory that like when all the dinosaurs from Land Before Time grew up they became the <laughs> They even use some of the same music from Land Before Time, I think. Well, and I thought that was interesting too and I wonder again to the point oh. of like people being kind of tired of We're Back by the Time it came out because Land Before Time almost has the same roster. So, uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then obviously Jurassic Park has it's like every dinosaur movie has to have a, a flying reptile. You get your trained on a yeah. T Rex and a Triceratops, Triceratops or a Stegosaurus, or a one Stegosaurus. of the two. And this one, the dinosaurs look 
like you said, just like the ones in um, Man Before Time, Time, especially when yeah. they're in their primal feral mode. Yes, it's it's almost like uh, he's like twins with sharp tooth. They added like that little ridge down the back. They added a little bit of salty, so they're not the exact clones of what would be the parent animals. Like Woog yeah. looks just like Sarah's dad. Yeah. Even angrier. Yeah. Daddy yeah. Tops. In, in Daddy Tops. <laughs> Daddy that was Tops. Daddy Tops when he lost custody. In primal. Oh, no. And so he's real mad. But to clarify, in primal form is what you're saying. Like yeah, not, yeah. not in their brain-grained form, which is, for oh, yeah. some reason, row, row, it, row, brain-grained row, doesn't row. just make them smart. Like in the book, it, brain, it makes them rounder. Yeah, yeah. Brain green in the book just it makes it takes them away everything that makes them dinosaurs because yeah. that means terrible lizard. That makes them. I don't know how you say cuddly lizard in Greek. <laughs> but, but the Greeks have a word for cuddly. But yeah. yeah, like in the book, the brain green actually does just make them smart. In this, the mo- in the movie, it actually physically changes them into well, into these cuddlier forms. I mean, I wonder if that was just an artistic choice of like sure. to just kind of make it a little more obvious for That's kids. That's probably why because this is playing on the old trope with dinosaurs having the brain the size of a walnut mm. and being traditionally portrayed as big, lumbering, stupid, oh, it moved, I'm going to eat it, Yeah, animals. Um, Grayson, you brought up the music uh, at one point, which is interesting because, okay, so there's another thing that was kind of revealed in... Uh, in oh, uh-huh, about the music. Well, because James Horner yes. did the music for so both of these. There's a scene that sounds, it's the music... To me, sound like the opening sequence of Land Before Time, where they're narrating and it's in the water. Kind of. And I, I'm trying to remember what scene it was when I was watching We're Back, but I, I Netflixed it. It was the golf scene. Yeah. And I'm listening. <laughs> I'm like, is this sounds just like the music for Land Before Time? But then I'm listening to it. I'm going, this is the music. But I'm like, this was made by all but the same. But it's not. Yeah. So here's the thing that is happened. Is it the same music? No. Well, like it's okay. So what happened? James Horner was brought on to do the music for this, and we've talked about him a number of times because. He did. Uh, he did Land Before, Before Time. Time. He did, he did American Tale. He did both American uh-huh. Tale movies, and he did um, Once Upon a Forest. Once Upon a Forest, which we also mm-hmm. talked about, which is a good soundtrack, actually. Yes. Like the actual score for Once Upon a Forest is good, even yes. though the movie itself has issues. <laughs> but this, I thought I was going to have a similar reaction because I did right. listen to both of these soundtracks on their own. And I thought I was going to do the same thing where I'm like, oh, this is a great James Horner score. And I was listening to it. I was like, this actually isn't really terribly memorable for the most part. And apparently, one of the things in the interview article Mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier that they brought up was that James Horner had, like, from what they could tell, was bringing in different conductors and different people and somewhere like three or four different people would come in to do the music and they started piecing it together that it seemed like he was actually contracting other composers to come in and do music like his so he was just doing it like basically it's a thing of like i feel like for a lot of people who don't work in the industry it's this idea of like oh i'm gonna do it but it's my company and there's gonna be in-house or like contracted like freelance people brought in because it's like I'm actually too busy at the moment so I'll just get somebody else to kind of take it over even though it is still under my name yeah
So his name is still on the soundtrack, and it says he wrote the music for this, but behind the scenes, it kind of just seems like it was four or so shadow composers yes. who were trying to sound like him. Wow. And I think that's how it sounds. It Whoa. sounds kind of like huh. a carbon copy of a James Horner score, because usually his music is very striking and iconic yeah. and... and Captivating. Yeah, I, I found the quote for that. Um, it says that he basically, what you said, he freelanced the whole project out. There were maybe four different composers who came in and grabbed the baton and would lead. James was there. And this and he is was, nibbling. Yeah, this nibbling is nibbling saying, saying this. this. Uh, James is in there, and he was in the control booth, and then the conductor would come back and say, well, James, what do you think? And James would say, beautiful, great stuff, Bob. I don't know if Stephen <laughs> would have liked that, and I guess we kept it a secret from him because we didn't want to create a problem. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, because... Um, so, so often in in the industry, it's like you are paying the big bucks to get James Horner. Yeah, and then so if somebody <laughs> finds out that you're you're paying. The, you know James Horner to do this, and then he's actually hiring these other composers <laughs> yeah. at a lower rate, uh-huh. and then pro- po- like pocketing the profit from it. <laughs> like that's pretty wild. Uh-huh. But it, I mean, it's it's standard practice because you know I'm sure James Horner was like, "Sweet, I'll do this." Yeah, and you know, and he's like, "Oh well, I'm too busy because I actually want to focus on." Uh, I mean, I'm sure if we looked up what other movies he was working oh, yeah, in '93, he, he probably so much. yeah, and so he was just like. Well, which one pays the lowest, and which one is actually? I'm just doing this for the <laughs> which money. Which one do I care well, about? Well, Spielberg the least? wasn't there. That's the thing. Like it almost. Which seems one like, am I going to have the intern do? <laughs> yes, like, there really. Was, there was nobody like kind of running. Th- like you know, Spielberg wanted to be in charge because he likes being in charge. And then it's like, oh, he wasn't even there. But he so. wasn't in charge enough. No, and yeah. he was only chiming in every so often, which he needed to be there more consistently. And he was only chiming in to be like, oh, recast this, recast them again, re-record it. And it's like, no, you're. They, you should be more hands-on with this yeah. project. I was going to say to 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 make a timely reference um you know speaking of spielberg and animation you know they just announced a, a jurassic uh, animated sh- tv show oh, that's coming camp to netflix cretaceous. camp cretaceous and wow. so him and colin trevorrow are listed as oh. executive producers so you know for listeners because this will come out pretty soon so we'll have to keep an eye on that yeah. and see yeah. it involves campers being swallowed whole <laughs> by large theropods <laughs> i am not interested <laughs> i want this to be the prehistoric version of fast animals slow children uh, I, i'm more i'm more in, i'm more excited for Gendy Tartakovsky's oh, primal. That's going to be amazing and be damned wait, wait, wait. with scientific accuracy. Um, yeah, but I, I'm definitely more excited for primal than I am for. Yeah. I think, uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, Stephen. No, no, no. <laughs> I just learned that James Horner had passed away. Like I forgot about that. Ago, yeah, he's mm-hmm. he passed away. He's, oh, that's... he's no longer with us. So, but I also I like how this ends here. So Simon and I were just watching this happen and blinking and not saying anything. But now the truth is out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you want to know how many scores he worked on in 1993? Oh yeah, let's hear it. Swing Kids, A Far Off Place, Jack the Bear, Once Upon a Forest, House of Cards, Hocus Pocus, Searching for Bobby Fischer, The Man Without a Face, Bofa, We're Back a Dinosaur Story, and The Pelican Brief. Oh my wow. God. So the I dude like was two busy. Of those movies. But, but he did do <laughs> Once like Upon a, a Forest. Is that like 12? Well. That's like one a month, basically? Yeah, or? yeah he did at least do do Once Upon a Forest well. Like yeah. that, that one you can tell is him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he. I, well, because you notice that when composers, the older they get, the less they do. I mean, basically, John Williams is just doing, he only does Star Wars now, and then he'll, and yeah. that's like all he has left, and then he'll just like turn to dust. <laughs> and then, oh, no. <laughs> like, once episode nine is done, he'll just be like, I'm free. Is he not doing the music on the whatever they're doing with the Harry Potter franchise these days? No, he, no, he, that, he hasn't done it since. That changed after since, three. Yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban. Which is. When the franchise started going downhill. After, mm. yes, after three. It started to start going downhill. So I will say three. Alexander Desplat's scores were, were were pretty fun. Yeah, again, 
Prisoner of Azkaban kind of represents like the everything going correctly for yeah. those movies. Right like before it bottomed, right, right. before they cut their <laughs> legs off at the knees and oh. it's a free fall. <laughs> um, so where were we? R.I.P. James <laughs> Horner. Yeah. Phil Niblink also was involved in the animation for a completely different movie. I like how you brought it with because you. I have a VHS sitting here of... The Magic Voyage, which Holy I don't shit. know. I recognize the cover <laughs> art. I couldn't tell you what that movie's about, but I can tell from that art that I watched that movie as a kid. So, so this movie... Um, we didn't watch that together in college, Dax, <laughs> did we? We watched a no, lot of animated films no, in college. But I saw this movie as a kid, and it, uh, some a number of people have seen this movie as a kid. And it, it had two different dubs. It had one dub that was apparently not great, Um and then it had another one where they tried to just force celebrities into Wait, it. Have you said the name of it yet? It is the Magic Voyage. <laughs> I don't think we ever said it. I, I tried oh, you to. Did I did say it. Say it. it was forgot. the Sky Warriors. Um, <laughs> but it has Dom DeLuise. We mentioned it that. It has in Dom DeLuise as Christopher Columbus mm-hmm. doing a, a bad Italian accent. And I'm only saying that because I want to cut that clip in right here. I sail it to India and then I make a left. And then, oh, when I get to Africa, <laughs> she's uh, upside down. Oh, 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 oh. My map is so stink. How come a genius like me is so stupid? All the time people say to me, Face it, Chris, it's 1492, and the world is still a flat. Ow! Ah, navigation. I'm a waste of time with those stupid cubes. I'm gonna play marbles. But also, can anyone really play Christopher Columbus and have it be acceptable? I don't think movies should be made. I mean, this was from what year? Well, if you did a realistic um, biopic. Oh, uh-huh. You know, you could. I mean, I don't know if people want to see him, you know. Right. I don't. But. Yeah, no. <laughs> Will people go I don't, buy tickets to see it? Was that what the <laughs> second part of that would have been? Hey, people saw The Passion of it Christ, was, and so that's just about somebody... In the creators like, of Game the, of Thrones, Columbus. They made human centipede. <laughs> but this was... It, There's something it for was, everyone. It was a 1992 film mm. from Germany, and I guess, yeah, they, they tried to like give it one... They tried to market it here once, and then just the original The Magic dub. Voyage? Yes, The Magic oh. Voyage. And it just didn't do what it needed to do. Wait, what but is the connection with... The, the connection is that Phil Niblink was an animation oh, director on okay. this movie, which is interesting. Um, you're, you're basically trying to give us... You're giving the listeners other things to watch other than we're I'm back. I'm trying to like pull the attention well, away from people... this movie <laughs> but as to, much to as that? I can. To, well, you know what? Maybe not. But <laughs> if you like dinosaur animated films, watch Land Before Time. Yeah. Watch The yeah. Land Before Time. Listen to our last episode. Wait, I want to talk about how these kids bother me so yes, much. Yes, okay. So well, we no, get back... The way they meet is like he rides the, 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 the <laughs> he rides the dino the the was it a, t- a pterodactyl or the flying dinosaur pteranodon pteranodon it's a it's a very poorly done pteranodon yeah. if we're if we're going to be scientifically accurate right here pterosaurs are not dinosaurs I feel like we're being so They're, mean I don't we like, are we're being pretty mean. you've been crapping on this movie the whole podcast <laughs> I Dax. I, and I, I feel bad because if yeah. someone's listening and they do like this movie. I just want you to know that, that that's wonderful well, that you like we've it. We've talked about what's like that this movie, this movie's problems are not really like what this movie was meant to be. Well, and it, because here's the thing it, it's like it has a good heart, but it's just a heart stuck into this chimera body that doesn't function. Well, correctly. it's like the heart is there, but it's like uh, surrounded by all this money of like, oh, we need to make, you know, exactly. it does seem like and a that's, commodity. That's what's, that's what's frustrating about it because yeah. you see what they were kind of trying mm. to do and go for. And it, it's a shame that it isn't better than yeah. what it turned out to be. 
Yeah, but I don't know who came up with with the kid you know aspect of this but he meets this girl and immediately he's like oh you want to come with me but she was the one who kind of had the hots for him and she came on very yeah ag- very well, aggressively the problem i have towards the end is that he's so mean to her kind of yeah and she still likes him it's this classic thing that you see in all these movies where there's this like kind of rich girl who's like pretty or whatever yeah. and then well, there's this like you know street urchin yeah, who's like yeah. i have no redeeming qualities but you like me because i'm dangerous and yeah. it's like i that. Well, especially well, when it's little kids. Yeah. It's, it's really she, teaching the and wrong thing. And then she came on so strongly, and at one point he was kind of like, oh, you're, you know, kind of yeah. was t- taken aback, and I was like, no consent. No consent. Yeah. So you've got two very bad tropes yes. rolled into one. But, but I, so many kids' movies do this. They set up this, like, oh, you know, you should like this type of guy who treats you badly, and it's like, okay, I know that... You know, a lot of kids probably don't. I don't know if that affects everyone, but it's like I think back in all these things I watched. It's a it's valid like, point. It you're does making. kind of affect you over time. Well, like, I mean, it is part of the playground of like the person that's teasing you the most yeah, actually likes you, and, and it's that's like really we, terrible. Yeah, like that's kind of stuff that we grew up kind of ingrained yeah. in our brains, and it's like, wait, that's not how <laughs> brain normal. Brained. Yeah, brain brain. <laughs> that's not how normal healthy relationships should <laughs> yeah. work. You know, but that's kind of the stuff that we're raised. That's with. like the '90s. The whole yes. thing in the '90s is like, ooh. Yeah. And well, okay, but but also, she at the end, it's like there's that moment where it's like she kisses him, and it's like, yeah. oh, what are you doing kissing me? And she's like, you're right, you should be the one kissing me. Uh, and it's like, well, now we're like also enforcing gender gender stereotypes, stereotypes too. Like- so Louis is played by Joey She. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to bring up that he also <laughs> Joey She went in his older days uh, was in. <laughs> I can't even say it. I can't even say it. <laughs> say it, damn you. <laughs> it, it was like a made-for-TV special called My Sexiest Mistake. <laughs> Whoa, I was like talking that. about We're Back? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about all the inappropriate child innuendos in here. Of course, we don't know their ages. For all we know, they could be 18. And it right? could be perfectly... It could be perfectly does fine. She, does she but, look but, like an animated animal character? To you? Oh, she well, looks like... Well, they become like... animals later. Well, yeah, oh, they wait. become the monkeys, but she um, looks like a character monkeys? like in Chippendales or... or yeah, or like, Oh, she... my God. Right? Now that you... Ma- or, it's a similar style to the uh, to the Alvin and the Chipmunks movie, and I can see, and she's dressed in the same colors. Uh, yeah, the same it, color it's scheme. It's the colors. And, and like a, the hair. The hair bow or whatever. there's always something... A hair... Ba- yeah, yeah, it is very... Interesting. Well, yeah, uh, Brenna said she looks like... Um, from uh, uh, not Muppet Babies. What's the other Animaniacs? No, not Animaniacs. Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons. El- yes, El- El- Elmira. Elmira. Yeah, she also has a similar outfit of like yeah. a, a teal blue, and she's kind of predatory bow. like Elmira. Yes, <laughs> I was gonna say not <laughs> extremely predatory yeah. like Elmira. That was something I kind of forgot to bring up about the music. I was like, in so like in Land Before Time, the music is very like always kind of aware of the era that it's in yeah. and it's very the Cretaceous of, the Cretaceous era where it's it sounds like the dawn of time mm-hmm. and even the music itself almost sounds like large creatures breathing with yeah, the way yeah. that it kind of like swells and then and then goes back down and and it always has this kind of never quite gives you it like is always building towards resolve but it also kind of then backs away it's a much more complex score and this one was basically like tiny tunes or like looney tunes-esque at times if you listen to it it was just sort of all 
around silly. And I don't feel like it had the same emotional punch at times that it needed to the way that something like Land Before Time score mm-hmm. did. Well, and then even with as much as Roll Back the Rock is kind of the best part of this movie, it, sure. is, that, it is that problem like with Fern Gully too, where the songs don't really have anything to do with the movie yeah. it's like, right. like kind the of sharing song we talked about no but like you know roll, like again it's that thing and it's it has a lot in common with prehistoric also i would say it has a lot in common with the last unicorn again with the music where it is this like yes. kind of out of time but mm. it's also i think the problem with and maybe it was the problem maybe when um like our parents or something saw the last unicorn maybe they were like Oh, like why are they playing this like weird seventies music in, in the middle of in, this movie. in this fantasy stuff? But for us as a like when we look back at we're back, we're like, oh, they're like rock and roll is cool. And it's like rock and roll this kind of rock and roll wasn't cool. Right. In no, it was never cool. Still not cool. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem with I have with that music number, when it comes to animated films and musical numbers in general, I find that any animation company that isn't Disney is simply trying to emulate what Disney does, and the problem is, m- out of the animated features that have big musical numbers, Disney tends to do them the best, and I, yeah. they really sincerely do. Yeah. And there are very few non-Disney films that have really great music. Anastasia's got a couple of good numbers. Mm-hmm. Road to El Dorado has amazing music, but that's because DreamWorks hired the Disney people to yeah. write all Elton their music. John and, <laughs> yeah, and Tim Rice, right? And so you, you um, see this, and you're going... You know, if this had been a Disney movie, this would have been an amazing, ridiculous number. And, and funny it- you say that because uh, Ron Clemens and John Musker wanted to actually make an animated adaptation of We're Back, and they found out that Steven Spielberg had bought the rights. Whoa! When they, so when they in an out. alternate universe, we would have a Disney version of We're Back. Yeah, there would. I wonder. Would have been. So it would have been awesome. But do you, <laughs> but then I'm wondering. Cause, so 92 is Beating the Beast. Or when what was in '93 Disney and then the, was Aladdin '93? So, was Little no, Mermaid? No, Aladdin's '92. Like, okay, then Beauty and the Beast is '91. Because oh, no, Little Mermaid like was '89, right? 92, anyway, well, I'm just wondering which Disney Something movie would right. we have lost to have a Disney version of oh, War Back? Yeah. Maybe Aladdin. Maybe Aladdin. Oh, oh no, Jesus! Sarah, what did the rest get, don't get on this. <laughs> but I want I want to bring yeah. up um, though. I tend to have a problem with musicals that are like partial musicals. Which is where it's like you sort of put songs in and the whole thing isn't. And that sort of was my issue with the An American Tale when I was watching and that. Frozen. Like, Sorry. Fro- <laughs> well, Frozen is just, weird. It just doesn't have, it needs Frozen's, one more musical number. Yeah, yeah. Frozen's weird just because it is until like the last third of the movie. And then they kind of just forget that it's a musical. And most Disney animated features are musicals. Yeah. So okay. well, I got a good number of them. But but, but like, yeah. It, so Sorry, I'll just finish this mm-hmm. thought. Which is that. This one is so bare minimum with the attempt, where it just does this one song. That is true. It is very weird. It's like, well, okay, this isn't a musical. You haven't established it as a musical. If it's all except for this one scene, so it's like again, it's if you take the pieces of it onto themselves, maybe it's better. But the pieces don't fit. So even though that scene is kind of fun in its own way, yeah, yeah, it still is like. Why it doesn't work? Yeah, I mean, I would just, I mean, for a lot of people, it's like just watch the sequence. You yeah, know? just it, if you want to not watch the movie, yeah. just watch the roll back the rock mm-hmm. to the dawn. Of time. I can see where they could have stuck in some other songs, say, if Disney had done this when they first capture Rex and feed him the brain grain. That sure. would probably be a thing. You have brain grain, it makes you smart. <laughs> they can have a hot dog sharing song. Uh, that would Share. be the fun throwaway song. Yeah, Super Eyes has to have some song where there's, you know, lime green and purple smoke in the background. Yeah, and, you know, his, oh, his evil song. Yeah. 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 
Oh, Screw Eyes with a Villain yeah. song would have been so it, dope. It maybe would have been similar the to... The only good villain without a song is Hades. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's That's the true. villain in um, The Frog in Princess? Prin- Princess and the Frog. Oh, I'd say Facilier is one of the best. Song. Yeah, I'd say okay. that's like one of the best villains on. But, but I think prepa- Ursula, be, Ursula, come on, be guys. prepared. Poor unfortunate what are we talking, souls. What are you talking about? There's not good villain songs. There's so many good villain songs. Yeah. No, no, I'm seeing you. I, you <laughs> oh wait, did you say there's lots? I said, I said there's lots. Of, my comment I was, said I said Hades lots. is the only villain, good villain without a song. Oh, I, I Hades. Yeah, you. Hades. There's a lot of great music in Hercules. Hades does not have a song, but he has the best one-liners. Yeah. Just, I guess anyone. Jafar technically does have a song, but it's of the, Jafar. It's, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh God! And the, the, yeah, the Prince Ali reprise. The Prince Ali reprise is his song in Aladdin, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. was because they just every time they tried to make him seem. I think they had "Humiliate the Boy" was the cut song from Aladdin. It was like, "Humiliate the Boy," and it it just made him seem. It didn't work. So they decided, that, oh, just have him mock. That's a sexy song. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say Dude, I also I like thought Jafar. that, but. Daddy. He has oh, we all love Jafar. Powers. <laughs> In the butt. <laughs> I'll give you um, your so, reward. So we were, asked, we were looking up uh, the Disney films. 1991 was Beauty and the Beast. Okay. 92 was Aladdin. 94 was The Lion King. Oh, so um, 93, they could have. Well, 93, they have The Nightmare Before Christmas listed, but I think wow. they just have all these different. That was when they were. Do- Taking risk using the touchstone name because they're like, if this backfires, our name's not on it. And it mm-hmm. can't bite us in the ass. Yeah. And, and now, because it's so popular, they're like, oh, Jack Skellington's in Kingdom Hearts. We love him. Come <laughs> here, Roger Rabbit. You too. Come here, Yoda. <laughs> but, but that's really funny because Come here, everyone. <laughs> the empty slot would have been 93. So yeah. we would have gotten We're Back anyway. Yeah. But it just one would have been a Disney version. Mm-hmm. Then they'd be doing a live action reboot. And it would be called Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> it comes oh, full by circle. The way, there Blue was the Raptor a, would sit, roll back the rock. Yeah, there yeah. was one other, because you know Jurassic Park is on the marquee of the theater, but did you guys know, because I read this, I didn't actually notice it in the film, but um, there is also somebody in the crowd who's a caricature of Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, it, there's a caricature yeah, of Yeah, with an Amblin baseball cap and a Jurassic Park t-shirt. Oh, I never <laughs> I, I noticed that. I didn't either, but, so, yeah, I didn't and, either, and, but and, I'm not surprised. And the roll, yeah, the roll back the rock. His song is where you do see the marquee for, the, mm-hmm. for Jurassic Park, and that's they apparently. I guess that was the directors adding that in. Oh. They're saying like, "Oh, it, we just wanted to lighten it up a little bit." And so I well, feel the, bad for them because they wanted this to be yeah. such a fun movie, and yeah. then they had this screenwriter come in and try to force it to be something dark. Uh-huh. It's like it clearly wasn't really meant to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sorry, you were no, no. Say. I just it's just funny that this movie was being was literally like started production before Jurassic Park came out, and then by the end, there's a reference to Jurassic Park being in theaters yeah. <laughs> in the movie. It's kind of sad in a way because it 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 should have come first. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that was the reason they went for the darker angle because part of the appeal with the dinosaurs was the the big scary aspect. Yeah. And, you know, one of my big memories of seeing Jurassic Park was hiding every time a predator came out. Missing the iconic scene where the lawyer gets eaten off the toilet, but maybe like you know, oh dinosaurs, somebody there has to be something scary. Obviously, because this is targeting children, they can't have lawyers being eaten off toilets. Well, I think I mean really because yeah, Screw Eyes isn't as isn't as scary as I, I don't know the creepy kids souls stuff and the primal dinosaur. That to me is scarier than anything yeah. Yeah. on his on his. Uh, what what terror radio? Scare yeah. radio? Oh, his, his, let's see. There's the wish radio and then the. I like, think it was, a, radio? was it a fright radio. There's, fright a, radio there's a wish radio at the beginning that shows the children of the world in the all most. All wishing for dinosaurs. All wishing for dinosaurs. Kids Look, don't wish for dinosaurs. No. The most eclectic 
looking children. There's like a full on kid in a sombrero and everything. And it's, oh no! It's like it's a real? small world. We're trying to be yeah. inclusive, but being racist while we do it. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a small world bubbles, and then yeah, later he has the fright comparison where it's like all of them screaming, which is sort of yeah. like a Monsters Inc. thing or something. They got to collect yeah. those screams. Which, well, what is his goal? What is his goal? So you want to scare children? Is that is that what, what, is he, what do you mean? This what is why he was missing a oh. musical number. Would have explained. You know, <laughs> he would have monologued story. basically, singing about. You it. might wonder why I scare no, these no, children. Well, it turns out it brings me joy. <laughs> part of his backstory was something like. Uh, I'm gonna look it up because I didn't even understand and it. If he has such issues with birds, why would he get dinosaurs? True, it's a good point. So anyway, yeah. The, the well, he's trying to like he can maintain control over birds, but he's still scared. <laughs> but of he birds. really can't. Yeah, because oh. he didn't have to. Because he kind of went like this, and they all just showed up, and then yeah, this movie's uh, okay. So, oh, where is the? It was something about how he because he had this he had this thing happen to him where the bird ate out his eye. That made yeah. him be evil because wait, I wrote this. No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Are you talking about where New Eyes says like the loss of his eye made him insane? Well, yeah, it was like yeah, that was all how... that they said. That's all they said. Well, it's kind of like with Scar. You know, he's got the scar in the eye. What's the deal with that? We don't know, but it apparently made him evil. It made him evil. He and resentful towards his brother and um, they were the younglings. So if you're in an animated film, folks, and you have a sibling. Stay away from the face. They don't. It will bite you them. in the ass later funny, in the plot. That'd be a funny bit for like <laughs> a king who like inadvertently keeps doing like things that cause his brother to become more disfigured. And it's like, shit, <laughs> like, I'm just going to be on. He's going to he's going to want to overthrow me because I've done nothing but make his life miserable. Um, it comes full circle. It comes full circle. Circle, circle, circle of life. Hi. Look, Mommy. Those are real dinosaurs. <gasps> They're real. They're real. They're not robots. They're alive. Gosh, real dinosaurs. And then they go through this elaborate slapstick chase scene where they're not really going anywhere. They're just being, what, are they being chased? I don't yeah, know. I mean, are the they... cops are trying to stop them. I, I mean, guess. <laughs> it's not as dramatic as you see in most monster movies when the giant monster goes rampaging through downtown. Yeah, it felt very like I'm not sure what's going on. Well, and in the in the kids' book, it actually kind of ends with that where they go and hide in the yeah, museum. They and run then, straight to the end. Yeah, that makes sense mm-hmm. for a kids' and book. They and they stay then the really plot still. Goes yeah. There and like, oh, we're yeah, and the woman, the woman there who in the movie is played by Julia Child. Yeah. Um, she brings them in, and then she t- has them sit still, and then the police come in, and and she's like, "Oh, we just have these dinosaurs here," and she leads them out the exit, says they must have gone that way. So that was the ending of the book was then heard. Then yeah. it goes to the cuts to the finale. But like in this, yeah, so they, they go around, they run into the little girl who I didn't finish saying the thing that bothered me about oh. the two little kids, which is that, <laughs> <laughs> so, again, it's so hard to keep a rope on this movie because it's just so crazy. So Joey, she is the voice of Louie. Oh, yeah. 
But then Yardley Smith. Yardley, Yard- I think it's pronounced. Yardley Smith. It's pronounced Lisa. <laughs> I was trying to make it so I could cut that. <laughs> so now it's funnier. Now it's funnier. That's why Yardley Smith. The voice of Lisa. It's Lisa. I can only hear mm-hmm. Lisa from The Simpsons. That's I only noticed she... like halfway through that it was her. Because I'd seen her name in the credits, but then I didn't and, realize it was well, her. Well, I remember when later. I rewatched this movie, not this past week, but before that, several years ago, one of my friends had a VHS copy and watched it. And I remember going, holy crap, it's Lisa Simpson. It's Lisa Simpson. <laughs> and the, but, but the thing that bothered me, and I think it's funny because you brought this up, how like with with male voices they have to get like younger male voices sometimes and then with women can sometimes try to like sound younger for longer so that's kind of what was happening here because he was in his like he was like 13 to 16 i'm not sure exactly when they would have recorded his audio but joey she was somewhere around young teen at that time so about the age of the character yes she was in her mid-20s which is kind of weird when you think Which is about weird. their dialogue. If you together. think about what they're saying to each other, and I feel like it either should have been two yeah. older people, it should have maybe been two women doing young voices. Or it should have just been two kids. You are great too, Louie. Don't do that! Why not? It's embarrassing. You kissing me and everything. It's not manly, just that's what it is. You know, you're right. I am? Well, yes. If anybody's kissing anybody, you should be kissing me. I should? <laughs> most definitely. So Don Blue's credit, most of the time when he casts young people. And again, you I, can tell when it's an actual mm-hmm. child versus yes. somebody who has a higher pitched voice. Yeah. Don't I, have a cow, man. And I didn't bring it up. But I, this is the whole point of the podcast is that some of these movies are mistaken for Don Booth movies. Yeah. Some people do think this is a Don Booth really? film, which is odd to me mm-hmm. because I think it's so visually distinctive. Or maybe because they compare it to Fievel and they think Fievel's, Fievel Goes West is a Don Fievel Booth movie. Well, a Fievel lot of people West think Fievel is Don Booth. Right. And that's that's probably where. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable because it's the sequel to An American Tale. Right. So that's why they think that. But yeah, because this is visually similar to Five Goes West. Yeah. And also because Land Before Time, they think thematically dinosaurs. Right. And it's also connected to Amblin. So they think that that's. Yeah. And, and, it's it got, has, and they all have Spielberg's name. And they all have Spielberg's name. And it has name. the Fievel at the very end. Yes, in it the does have. Amblimation credit. And, which is actually better animated than it is in uh, Five Goes West. <laughs> I went and checked. The, the, of course you did. The, the animation at the very tag of the credits is Fievel coming in, pushing in the Amblimation logo and then leaning against it. And it's a little wonky looking in, in Five of Goes West compared to this one. It was cleaner. So the, but anyway, yeah, it's just their dynamic is strange to me because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like two kids. It feels like an, a, a, one kid and, a, and a, an adult trying to sound like a sexy kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, it is. I mean. <laughs> well, she kind of worked. I mean, Cecilia was like, no, Ugh. you should be kissing me. See, it's weird when you think of like an adult saying that to a, a boy. Yeah. and for, But in The Simpsons, it's never once bothered me, which is, I think, because consistently well, they don't have kids doing no. those characters. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, they have two girls doing the voices mm-hmm. for the kids. In, yeah. in the, and so. they don't kiss. And they're siblings. Two yeah. women. <laughs> this is Game of Thrones, people. They, um, I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, two women. I, sh- I shouldn't say girls. I hate, I, I hate that. You're grown up. You're a woman. You're you're not a guy. You're a female. Man. <laughs> you're male. You're female. I'm not a detective. But actually, and the hole well, we dig gets steadily we, deeper. I just want to I just want to go through the voice cast really quick because we didn't. Which is yeah. John Goodman is Rex, right? The T Rex. 
Um, well, this three racks I'm, with I'm just extra digit. Straight. <laughs> I'm just straight reading this off of Wikipedia. Uh, Renee Levant as Woog, a Triceratops who likes to eat a lot. Felicity Kendall as Elsa. How do you say her name? Kendall. 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 K e n d a l. Yeah, Kendall. Charles Fleischer is dweeb. Charles Fleischer is the voice of Roger Rabbit. Whoa. Huh. And uh, he, he... Oh, my God. As soon as you said that, Melissa, I'm like, holy crap, he is. Hmm. And, he was um, better as Roger Rabbit. And he also played Elbows in Ringo. So, but, but it, uh, which was the like weird old bird character, I think. But he... Yeah, he's a much better character as Roger Rabbit. I think the problem with Dweeb, who is kind of objectively the worst character in this entire film by far, even more than the kids. I hate Dweeb. I forget which one they are. It's like a Jar Jar kind of thing, you know? I hate him so much. Which one was he? He's the green parasaur. Yeah, he's the parasaur. He's the hadrosaur. Yeah. Yeah, so... The other dinosaur. I'm Dweeb. And it's like, that's not a character. How many we had so far today, Dweeb? 250, and that's with everything. Take it on faith, Rex. You want a hot dog? Hi, I'm Dweeb. He's got to have mustard on it. He doesn't do anything. Maybe he that's why I can't remember him. He doesn't say anything of merit or value at None all. None of the dinosaurs do except for Rex, other than the weird sexual references <laughs> Elsa makes. <laughs> and even Woog is like, maybe... You want a hot dog? He's kind of charming, I guess, in, in some sense. Where it's like, he's has some good line delivery. But, but yeah, like, no offense to Charles Fleischer. He was given absolutely nothing to work yeah. with with that character and well, it just I never blame the voice actors for well, having to read the problem bad lines. with this movie you can't connect to any of the characters whereas like Land Before Time which this movie probably will always be overshadowed by has characters you get sucked into yeah. and you care about we like, had a whole conversation about yeah. which one we are and it's like I don't care which we're back I don't want to be any of them <laughs> I don't want to be any you know Rex is there like drowning and we're like who cares whereas you know we talked about the sharp tooth drawing yeah. like, that's a really horrible thing Even that happens the to the villainous tooth. predator of the film and yes. we don't care yeah. what happens to that's probably sharp tooth's cousin <laughs> Probably literally. And he's a main character, and he's a protagonist, and we don't care. He is yeah. the main character, mm-hmm. I would say. I forgot to say, I think this is John Goodman's first major like feature yeah, and he voice did a acting bunch role. of animated stuff after. And yeah, he then became kind of a continuous voice yeah. actor. So maybe that was a good thing that came out of this. But <laughs> the one good thing. The one good thing. <laughs> well, but what, what's interesting also is okay, so Jay, Jay Leno is Vorb, and <laughs> sorry, and it's just, Vorb. Vorb. So so it's weird because this movie also enlists a lot of people who were personalities yes. more than they were actors. Did you see why? Was it in that article? Because there was a thing that explained why. Was there why. a reason why? Yeah, because I forget who... Um... God, we should really read this article. Walter yeah. We'll put oh, a link oh, to yeah. it. So yeah, two of us were... There is like a lot to no, look up but about. Phil, Phil Niblink, uh, when they were kind of reading over the script, he would just do voices of celebrities for the animatics, I guess. Oh, yeah, I guess and that is why, And huh? then Spielberg was like, let's just get those people. Because <laughs> they... Uh, yeah, he would just do impressions. And That's when somebody has funny. too much power. So, yeah, Jay Leno is Vorb, which I guess is, he just needed to be written a little more clearly because the stuff that Vorb's saying at the beginning is so hard to understand. And It, it doesn't matter. His character is useless. And it, it, it's ultimately yeah. useless. And it's he's a, a ripoff of the Great Gazoo. The Great yeah. Gazoo dum-dums. <laughs> yeah, he's a, green, just... he's a green alien. In prehistory, well, you this is the not so great him. gazoo. You could have just merged him with Captain New. Like, yeah, Captain New Eyes have gone it's back. It's two and done characters it. that don't yeah. need to be there when it should have just been the one. So, and Vorb shows up again at the end when they're freeing them with the shackles, I guess. And he's just like, 
let it go fire in the hole they've got some weird beam that yeah, destroys apparently that shackles. machine also fires like plasma lasers or something <laughs> and I was like this I, so okay whatever question marks but moving on Walter Cronkite as Captain New Eyes um, alright so <laughs> that, that was actually a, go- a good call I he had a good voice yeah. he had a good voice and the character even though he's a weaker was supposed to you know this goody sort of comforting mm-hmm. figure and Walter yeah. Cronkite they talk about how his voice was like that and I Believe he's been using a couple other voice acting roles for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Which apparently they accidentally locked him out in the cold on his recording session, Aww. and they didn't realize they had done that. That makes him Walter Klondike. <laughs> well, I guess we're not going to talk about the last unicorn now because we're done. Because <laughs> we're done. We're done here. Um, and the one of the. Cheeky things, because you actually wondered about this, and I wondered about it too, because it's a weird moment towards the, like at the very end of the film, and when he closes the door and he says, and that's the way it is. I didn't know what that, what, and he like looks at the camera when he says it. And I was like, why is he breaking the fourth wall? And it's a reference to his typical closing catchphrase on the CB, but, CBS Evening News. But he used to say that. Belong. Why would kids know that? Yeah. Why That's kids are for the parents. That was for it's the true. parents. Along that, with, hopefully, all the sexual jokes. Because yeah. <laughs> if those were meant for the children, but yeah, that would very, explain a lot, actually. Yeah. So as a CBS anchor, Evening News anchor, like I guess that was that was the joke. was just... And that's okay. the way it is. But, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Guys. So it doesn't work out of the out of the context of the era. I'm sure when kids were taking their when parents I mean, were taking their kids to mo- the movie, they like saw that and they're like, Haha. that's because I mean, we watch them at home. Who grew up watching Walter Cronkite on the news would maybe get that. But yeah. I mean, do, do people get genies references now? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess the thing with genie though is that he's still zany and it's always feeding into the idea that he is an anachronistic weird yes, character. Exactly. It it's always, consistent throughout it's, the movie. Even though and the well and also because the characters themselves don't get his references. Yeah. He's only ever doing weird things and so it, no matter what it still works because it's like oh he's an extra de- temporal being yes. that knows all these things and he's just trying to make himself laugh mm-hmm. even if you don't get it. So that's why I think it always still works with Genie, even when the references are not connected, you know, so with, with what you might know. Brain um, grain. Brain grain. Brain Joey, grain. Brain, brain grain. grain. <laughs> so well, brain graining along. Um, <laughs> Julia Child is Dr. Juliet Bleep, who is just, Wait, I guess. Bleem? Bleep. Bleep? Bleep. Or Bleeb. Sorry. Dr. Juliet Bleeb, who <laughs> Sorry. says maybe a dozen words in the whole film. She's like yeah. kind of funny. Like she, I, I, she, well, I like sort of like her reads. She's like uh, something that was in the book. So they kind of just put her in the movie, but she doesn't really do anything. She's, yeah. a, pl- she's a minor plot device. She's not yeah. really a character. Oh, I'm always late. Um, let me see. Who's Buster the Bird? What? That was the bird from the start of the movie. Oh, right, right, right. So Blaze Birdall is Buster the Bird. And Blaze Bust- Birdall is Buster the it's Bird. B E R D. Birdall. Going at church every And then it's Birdall because he played a bird. And Buster's mother is Rhea Perlman. And Larry King is himself. And Martin Short is Stubbs the Clown. What Larry King always plays himself in things, and I kind of love him for it. Like. You ask him to be in your movie and he'll show up. Yeah. So if you pay him. Oh well, well, um, well, I guess we should talk about Stubbs though, because I want to talk about the bookended bird thing. Yeah, let's but get maybe to, we can so, do that last. So let's get to Stubbs. So, but let so moving through, they meet the girl. 
after pterodactyl writing. They basically she, just go to the circus. She throws... Well, I just want to touch on this one random thing because uh-huh. it, it was a clarification, which is that like she throws her oh, hat. Yeah. You were we, wondering about why <laughs> why she throws her hat or like why, well, why no, that scene? So, okay, when we first watched the scene, it looked to me like she threw her hat... And it went like back in time to herself as a kid, and she caught it <laughs> in the past. Because the character that they give it, it to looks is similar this to her little girl that isn't. It isn't past her. It's just a little. But I girl thought who it was past like her. her. We had to rewind it and watch it like three and more times because I was confused. Well, I was here's what angry. it actually is: the reason why her dad isn't home all the time, he's got a side chick, and that's actually her half sister. <laughs> <laughs> bet you got a chick on the side. Bet you got a chick. No, anyway, so. The, the, so the, she, but she, the reason that that scene is there, I didn't catch it until I looked oh, back. No, I knew why later. No, but did you look back at the well, reason? Well, I knew why once beginning. I once I realized it wasn't her because there's a girl in the beginning who yep. wishes for a hat. That's her in the in the wish and so radio she gets wishing a for a hat. hat? <laughs> and so she gets. Okay. I wish I had a hat, and so she gets her hat when when it's thrown. <sighs> When when Nuthatch, what's her name? Is that her <laughs> Cecilia name? Cecilia Nuthatch. Yeah, when Cecilia Nuthatch is like, I guess I will run away it with sounds you. Sounds like a squirrel's name. Vagrant young man, and throws <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cecilia Nuthatch is a chipmunk's name. But but yeah, and then I guess they somehow they go to they go to the circus. They go to the circus. Well, but like, how do they get? Sep- I don't Wait, know. Wait, does that take place before the parade or after the parade? A- after that's before yeah. the parade because when they were doing it. the parade. Louis Tsu were like at the reins of whatever the float was that made it look like Woog and Dweeb were pulling it and they were acting like robots. Okay, yeah, you're right. And it was okay. Rex who blew their cover. Got it. Okay, so yeah, that oh. the right, but well, like why are they flying? I don't know. Why I can't even remember. I just saw this movie 2 days no, ago. I don't know. It doesn't so, matter. So anyway. they, but, but they get to the end of the of the the film. <laughs> they get to the circus <laughs> and and Screw Eyes is like there with Stubbs who Again, is like my favorite character in this film. Yes. And he's trying to make Scrys laugh. And this is the thing I remembered the most was just Stubbs trying to make Scrys laugh. For some reason, this was just funny to me. It was him sitting there like trying to all these things and this old man is just cranky and won't do won't react at all. Um and and then and then Screw Eyes like <laughs> like when they laugh. He turns around like, <gasps> like he has the the strangest kind of reaction to someone laughing. Like, who laughed? And by the way, Kenneth Mars does. I think you were saying like, yeah, he is he is almost too kindly of a voice, and he's trying to sound less kindly. He's trying to do a villain voice, and it, it just kind of doesn't work. It's because it's like King Triton. If he wanted to sound scarier, he would have had to go into the European accent, which they probably don't want to push because of you know because mm. right. he sound a little. Nazi-ish, but as the German thing, yeah. As Triton, even though Triton gets angry, I tell you, Ariel, don't do it. Like he'd still get. He's still he was the stern father figure. He was big. He had the the stern trident, stern racist father figure. And and he and Richard is in the Batman episode is also very King Tritony, and it's like he's good at warm characters. But then Screw Eyes, it's like he sort of works. I would have liked to hear the John Malkovich or Christopher Lloyd versions. Would have maybe one day. Maybe one day. Release the cut, Spielberg. <laughs> and then <laughs> it doesn't even match. Like, the vo- voice doesn't even match. No. They just try to play it yeah. over it. Um, but but he Stubbs, makes, is, Stubbs is great. Like Stubbs is charming. But he's not in it long enough to, like, if he'd been in it more, I would have been like, oh, that's a... It'd been nice if... It, well, uh, Scrooge should have been in it more. He, he comes in the last third of the movie for the most part, other than being mentioned at the beginning. But then... 
they're like, we want to join the circus. And he's like, beat it, kids. And he doesn't even want them. Well, he wasn't really set up as a villain because Professor Nuar was like, oh, stay away from him. And it wasn't that Squirrel's like, oh, I need to foil my brother's plan. We need to get the dinosaurs. Yeah, he doesn't He was even busy know. doing his own evil stuff. Yeah. It's he like wasn't not, directly opposing his brother. He it's not it's not Seemed like villainly, is the one who's interfering. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not villainly motivated really why he like then signs them. So he then's like, well you join me, sign my contract. And and he, but this okay. Lawyer <laughs> son of a lawyer time. This bugged me. <laughs> Miners <laughs> Most of the time, if you are under 18, you cannot sign a legally binding contract without a parent or guardian. Yeah, you mentioned signing. that. Does that work with a Faustian contract? Yeah, exactly. Though? You also can't sign a contract in blood most so of the time. This doesn't apply like to that that magic blood. <laughs> this doesn't apply to blood contracts, I yeah. guess. But <laughs> Yeah, I don't think when the paranormal is involved, you need parental consent. But, I think that was your big problem with the scene. It's me. like they're under 18 they're and they under can't sign a contract. Because we don't know how old Cecilia is. We were talking about this earlier. She might have been old enough to sign that thing. Because this is the case if you are underage or if you are insane you do not possess the mental wherewithal to make actual like sound decisions about what you're doing so you possess a right to actually back out of a contract at any time even if you've signed one in blood in blood but and also (laughs) the only exceptions are if you need to have um if it's a contract signed for necessities of life like food or shelter so there's what about your immortal soul (laughs) But I just wanted to point this out because it, well, it just irked me on a legal what level. What irks me on a level of the two kids is that he signs it and then she decides she has to sign it too. No, you don't have to follow him into this terrible decision. Also, I'm All the sure. cool kids are doing it. I'm pretty sure you can't sign a contract without being shown what the terms are before you sign it because then the terms show up after they sign it. It's a magic contract, Dex. I guess, but that's illegal. This whole this whole evil blood contract is not legally binding Dax. and would not stand in court. Dax, you were talking saying if you're insane, you can't sign a contract. Wasn't Screw Eyes insane from the loss of his eye? He so can't he, even sign a contract. Say, so how illegal is the contract how anyway? He's, he's, he's crazy. We need a lawyer to watch you this and evaluate. It. You have Insane a crane in the membrane and two young children. So anyway, I'm sorry. And a talking dinosaur. Don't forget the talking dinosaur. So <laughs> they go through all this. Brain green. <laughs> so anyway, they get to yeah. They decide to turn into monsters because that's what he wants. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. And then they bring. Look, I don't even remember kind of how the rest of this exchange. movie goes. All I know is that. So in in exchange for. Their souls. When the dinosaurs show up, he's like, "Oh, you're my brother's dinosaurs," and just is like, "Okay, well, I'll get, I'll let them go if you give me." Because he turns them into monkey. He get his brain drain is his. Yes, he thing. has the antidote, which is the an antidote. actual like drug. He's got like a thing of pills. Yeah, it's not yeah. cereal. It's oh, pills. So it's like there, right there. Don't another, do drugs, um, kids. You'll turn into a chimp. Another deleted. Scene, some of the deleted scenes involved like the dinosaurs getting chained up. That was cut down a little because apparently it was too scary and there is a scene where he has a cannon and he's shooting brain drain pills into their mouths and that was cut out wow okay because it's very uh so that's intense yeah so so he turns them temporarily and the kids into monkeys to get them to take the brain drain they agree reluctantly and then they take it that's why creationists don't see this movie (laughs) 
so they, this is why this is why our podcasts are four hours. So so they they go then the dinosaurs go off to be made dumb and then the kids turn back to normal and then they wake up in the carrot. There's actually kind of a slightly touching moment with Rex like and the kid where he's like we were friends for a moment. And oh, it's like, and there's sort of sweet. I guess no. I was thinking the sweet thing is when Stubbs makes some pancakes. Yeah, and then Stubbs makes Aww. some pancakes in the morning and he's trying to cheer him up. He's trying to distract them from the fact that the dinosaurs have become bad again, and and then. He, they're trying to convince him that he's too good for the circus and like he shouldn't stay there and you know he's being mistreated and then this whole weird finale happens where the dinosaurs go crazy oh and yeah and they everyone. use the power of love and they use the power and then yeah that can stop anything including one of the largest terrestrial carnivores yeah. the planet has ever seen if you go up and say I love you it will not eat you it'll it'll evolve into uh, into a teddy bear uh, yeah as someone who's worked with animals for 25 years, that is 100% how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you tell a cat you love them, they'll let you pet them. That's why yeah, I said that green anaconda at work, and then she bit me on the ass. So, <laughs> so the power of love changes them back. Right. Like Louis just is, like talks to Rex for a long time. It's, You're not evil, Rex. You're not. And then changes him back. And then I get, and that's when she, when Nuthatch said, like, let no bad happen. Uh-huh. And no, she said that because what happened, you forgot this, Screw Eyes was trying to show his power over them. He unchained Rex and was like, take a step forward. And he's like, I have control over this crazy, vicious animal. And then Louis oh, yeah, like, you know, be got- a king. Don't be an animal, Rex. And he's all crying. And then Rex is looking at him like he's going to eat him. But he turns back into Rex. And, then, and she's busy basically praying while he's there, st- while Rex is staring him down, snarling. And then they go and they hug all the dinosaurs and they're happy ending. Oh, yeah, yeah it, Screw Eyes has this weird Faustian hypnotic power with his screw eye. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very interesting. They always, they keep zooming into his screw eye. It's like, we get okay, it. Nice. He has a screw, screw eye. eye. Jeez. And then Sauron had a better one. <laughs> this is true. So, yeah, and then, yeah, New Eyes shows up and it's like, I heard your message on my wish radio. Uh, and then no Screw Eyes doesn't do anything. Like, oh, hi, brother. It's hi, like, brothers. He's not pissed. He's like, get out of my carnival of horrors. He doesn't <laughs> try to attack him with his like so, demons or his t- killer dinosaurs. He does nothing. So they're just awkwardly there, and the audience is still like there as well. And and then, but but then Stubbs comes back and is like, that's all, folks. And the best scene in the entire movie yes. then takes place. Yes, where as he's trying to leave. Uh, Screw Eyes is like, where do you think you're going? And and Stubbs just gives the most amazing I quit speech yes. I- I've ever heard in a movie. Hey, Stubbs, where do you think you're going? Get back here! Oh, I forgot to tell you. I quit! I quit! I resign! Oh. Get this completely in your ear? I am profoundly out of here! And this ain't about money. I ain't even complaining about my dry cleaning bill. But hang around with elephants all day and try to keep your clothes clean. <sighs> but that's not the point. The point is, I quit. Quitsky, over and outskirt. That's all she wrote. Keep my last check, buddy. Here's my shoe, my nose, my horn, my buzzer, <laughs> my fake arm, my bug eye glasses, my backstage passes, my hat, my rabbit. His backstage passes, my fake fangs, a few birds, my pogo stick, my donkey ears, my extending tongue gag, my rubber chicken. He can't even get these anymore. My lucky whale tooth and a giant clam that opens to reveal the American flag held by a merman and a normal brother, Richard. So long. Ah, ah, oh, 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 oh. 
Yeah, if I, I, next time I quit a job, I'm going to just do that whole speech. All the things. <laughs> just the way it escalates. Martin yeah. Short's delivery and so the good. animation on like all the things that he's saying. It's just like mm-hmm. my lucky whale tooth and pulls that out and drops it. <laughs> like a woman holding the American flag out of a clam with my normal brother. It, it's so good the way it just keeps building to ridiculousness. And yeah. that, that I remembered laughing a lot as a kid. So I was so happy that that up. scene mm-hmm. was funny again watching it now like i really thought that still worked um but then we get to yeah th- then they leave because he asks us like well you join me brother yeah <laughs> now <laughs> get out of here and they're like then they're gone and then everyone's gone the whole audience Not is gone everyone except for the circling crows who don't eat so much as absorb yeah. him and that's the moment they chose to do it because Throughout the entire scene, a whole part of the movie where they're in his circus, there are crows in the background and they're not hidden. So presume it's like, well, why didn't why did they absorb him now? There's no context. And if he's so afraid of them, why is he keeping them around? He's not you they're not his minions that he controls and they're fighting for control. He's just like, I'm afraid of the crows, and they're just there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a plot hole. Nevermore. Anyway. Uh so anyway, crows happen <laughs> and then yeah. uh he's dead. I guess, and the crow takes And that its... one evolves lips and blows away the smoke. It blows away the smoke <laughs> off the screw eye and then Just flies away Just the way away a mammal it. would. But a crow's like shiny things, so... It's, that they do. It's canon that it takes it away. And then they get to the museum, and uh, then they meet the kids. Oh, yeah. Kids are like, yeah, you dinosaurs. Kids are like, yeah, dinosaurs. The kids are all weird looking. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then, and then the... we finally get to, we get to the bird, the, the bookended bird scene. The bookends back to the birds. It's like, thanks for telling that story, dinosaur. What is the point of that? Because the no dinosaur... The dinosaur says um, those two kids ended up as a couple and Cecilia's parents spent more time with her or something. So you should res- you should like appreciate your parents or something. No, you know, the story because the, the little bird was being bullied by his right. siblings in the nest. He's like, I'm going to run away and join the circus because Rex is like, why uh-huh. are you running? Oh, I knew someone who tried to run away oh, and join the circus. Okay. And he's pretty and he's, you know, he winks at mama bird there. And he's pretty much trying to convince Buster, I guess, to go home. And he just, he gives this long-winded, you know, I'm a T-Rex playing golf. Let me tell you so my story. So the whole reason for that story was to tell them. It's a, pl- it's it's a plot tell device. Tell them that circuses are bad and he shouldn't join one. But it's like, you could just say that in like one sentence. <laughs> you could have told that by all the sad faces on the elephants that wheeled out the dinosaurs. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming those were the ones that they kicked out of the Dumbo film. <laughs> oh. Um, I just wanted to tell one funny story uh-huh. about about this which and it's funny that like in that article wells said basically like i it's not a film i have great fondness for so he's kind of always surprised if people like it but i remember saying to phil nibblink one time at duck like i think i brought up at the time like because i knew he'd worked on we're back and i i think we'd said like yeah we like we're back but i hadn't seen it in forever and he kind of looked at me when i said it like (laughs) Really? Like, <laughs> like, like one of the directors for this movie looked and it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm sure. But looking at it now, I, I, I understand. And uh, well, you understand why? Yeah, you, you, we know his role in this film was hindered in a lot of all ways. The, all the limited. roles felt mm-hmm. hindered or strange or just didn't. Not that any one person was bad. It's just that no. it didn't click and yeah. it didn't make a good stew. So, <laughs> thank you. For listening to We're Back and the Last Unicorn. Let's move on. When the last moon is cast over the last star of morning, and the future has passed with 
without even a last desperate warning. Then look into the sky where through the clouds of that See how she sparkles. It's the last unicorn. Right. As long as it's not the guy from Twilight doing the sparkling. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, yeah. We're Maybe back, everyone. We're, we're back. We're back. <laughs> no, we're, not. we're alive. <laughs> we're the dinosaurs. Um, so we are. Wait, wait. That means you do a cover where you do a cover of uh, "Roll Back the Rock," but in the style in the of the style, Last Unicorn. Uh, get America Ooh. to do a cover. Mm -hmm. of when you roll back the rock yes. to <laughs> the dawn <laughs> of time. <laughs> so. So Are everyone's mic still on. Uh, yeah, everyone should be on. <laughs> hello, so hello. We anyway, moving on to a movie we want to talk about a little bit more, which was the Last Unicorn. And I actually uh, spoilers here. I had not seen this movie. I also had up. not. Wow, seen Wow, that surprises me. But I've been wanting to For see it. Dax, not you. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised by that too. I, I've been wanting to see it for a really long time, and this was a good opportunity to finally sit down and, and watch it because I've always heard people say such good things about it. And I had a very wonderful time. I don't know if it was just because we had just watched I know. We were back and so it was like we're kind of like... It was a breath of fresh air for me. <laughs> it It's... Because it's not perfect and stuff and it's flawed, sure. but I love we'll that. I love that. that about it. We'll though. talk about the thing, the, mm -hmm, the flaws yeah. But had you movie. guys, you guys, had you, you'd seen it. Yes. I hadn't, I feel like I've seen it, tw I saw it twice growing up but they were sort of date movies, so I feel like I was kind of just making what? out during them, so I don't really remember them, to be honest. And that was the case again, I'm So assuming. you're saying that wasn't the unicorn's horn? No, uh, no, certainly was not. Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is that... <laughs> yes. Uh, what, what I'm saying is that in my mind, you know, similar to We're Back... To me, the last unicorn seems so much in in a way, and I actually kept getting this messed up because not it's the you know Rankin Bass did The Hobbit, and then and Return of Bakshi the King. did uh, Lord of the Rings. Bakshi did Lord of the Rings, and I think in some because but I, this this film has connections to all three of them. Yeah, and I didn't know, and I all the stu all the Studio Ghibli connections or pre Studio yeah, Ghibli connections. We'll get to those. We'll get to that, but. I think maybe because I've I was a really big fan of the Bakshi Lord of the Rings. In my head, I thought Last Unicorn had more in common with that. So mm. when I went back to watch it, I was like, "Oh, this is a totally different movie than what I remember." Well, well part of the reason I didn't watch it till later. I'm sorry, Dax. No, no, um, no go ahead. I am a big Rankin Bass fan. I grew up watching the Hobbit film as a kid, and I didn't watch the Last Unicorn until, as I said, it was uh, streaming on Netflix. But part of the reason I didn't. I'm a big fantasy fan, but I prefer more the sort of high fantasy, sword and sorcery, sort of more Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Dungeons and Dragons. And to me, Last Year was a bit more, I guess, sort of fairy tale-esque fantasy. And I'm, I'm not as big a fan of that particular subgenre, hmm. so I wasn't as interested. I like it when there's big scary monsters eating people and armies clashing and all that, you know, violence you can't stick in kids' films. Mm -hmm. But I did watch it, and... 
I don't know if my opinion is different from some of my friends because I saw it as an adult. Because I have some friends like, oh, this was a really important film of my childhood, but uh, it's only a handful of people mm-hmm. I know who saw it when they were younger. Yeah, yeah it, I, I feel like I've talked to people recently who said they liked it when they were younger. But again, I I, I wasn't a horse girl, so maybe, <laughs> you know, I was more into the cats. A mare? A mare? <laughs> so maybe How that's why you? I never watch it. But I loved, like, you know, Rudolph is a Rankin-Bass thing. That was like, I watched that every year, and I loved, but maybe I was more is, into their stop motion. Is yeah. it Rankin, too. Is it Rankin-Bass or Rankin-Bass? I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah, I'm not sure, so it goes Is it the fish ways. or the instrument? <laughs> Right, is it and it's going to be pronounced Rankin Bess or Rankin Boss or the soft A. I, I thought you were just being metaphorical, but, but I mean, the fish or the instrument is actually the yeah. two ways but, to. But the reason for anyone who does, I feel like I say for anyone who doesn't know a lot, but for anyone who doesn't know, it's a lot of people. It's uh, Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass are the directors of oh. the Rankin Bass films, so there. That's why drop the bass, drop the boom. <laughs> that's why they are. That's why we call them that. But and wh- one of them is still alive, I, I think. Um, Ar- I didn't know if one of them. Oh, Arthur Rankin Jr. died in 2014. Okay, so. so and and uh, Jules Bass is. He's still alive. He's and still he did. So they haven't dropped the bass, is what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> but look yeah. what he's. Don't, don't make. <laughs> They're rising up in the rankings? Make, making it hard for us to cut <laughs> off color jokes. Um, oh, but I see, keep it blue, boys. We're Bass, talking. Uh, turn blue. It says that he now uh, he writes books about vegetarian dragons. Herb, oh, that's cool. Herb the, oh, vegetarian, herb dragon. the vegetarian dragon. Yeah. Both a flight of vegan dragons <laughs> would be my preference for a new... So, so if, we're, if we're talking about spelling and, and stuff and spell mm-hmm. and stuff really quickly, every time I'd enter this into my... When I was taking notes, uh, it's always the last unconfirmed <laughs> instead of unicorn. Ooh. <laughs> I love how autocorrect <laughs> doesn't recognize the word unicorn. It's honestly really disappointing. Just connects nope, it to unicorn. It's amazing what autocorrect knows and doesn't know. Did you mean Charlie the Unicorn? Uh, Charlie the Charlie. Unconfirmed. <laughs> oh, they got my freaking kidney. Take us to Candyman, Charlie. <laughs> By the way, I have to say, after watching this, I went back and looked at um, the Gravity Falls episode, The Last Mablecorn. Again, oh, it's I so, should do that. It's so funny. It just, it's, I just love how they make the unicorns into these, like, pretentious assholes who have like way too high standards like <laughs> like <laughs> there's just nothing you can do to make them happy um but it it it's just funny how how clearly inspired that episode obviously yeah more than, more than just the name but just the aesthetic and just the whole idea of the unicorn um but i think that so it's fair to say that this is the best unicorn movie is it wait? What other unicorn? <laughs> I mean, there's the there? unicorn the, that impales people I mean, do, in uh, uh, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> do we do we count um, My Little Pony unicorns? No, wait. Are there unicorns in My Little sure. Pony? Sure. And the modern incarnations, I think. Okay. There are. Yeah. Well, there's Pegasus and there's unicorns. Okay. And the unicorns, the horns are usually magic. There's a dead unicorn in the first Harry Potter film. Oh, uh huh. I believe there's oh, right. a unicorn in the movie <laughs> Stardust. Which, are is there it, unicorns in the Narnia films? Isn't Voldemort? I'm sorry. Ooh. Isn't he who must not be named drinking? Or no, unicorn. It, it was yeah. Quirrell who it was, was Quirrell. doing the blood drinking. Voldemort was just Quill. like the tumor on his head. It was Quirrell. Okay, yeah. But are there in any, the best like, CG effect of all time. Are there any unicorn protagonists? Protags. Uh, hmm. Protags. 
any uni, any unicron She's pro a. tags apart from Char- there's uni the unicorn from old school D and D that cartoon unless unless film cow comes out with a Charlie movie at some point I don't think that this is that that's the case so it's like I love unicorns now I mean not that I didn't before but it's like I want unicorn I'm like getting in touch with the childhood I never had where I oh, just the- I want to be a horse girl they count they count Blade Runner <laughs> as a unicorn movie oh wait what but only but only the final cut. I guess <laughs> is it the little is it the little origami thing? Yeah, because the origami. I don't remember well, that. Well, don't make don't make me do don't make me get into a conversation about Blade Runner here. Like, yeah, like, yeah, okay. we, don't, yeah we don't need we don't that. Need that. Because, <laughs> because, no, but yeah. So in in Blade Runner, there's a whole unicorn sub thing that is different in all the different cuts because there's five different versions of Blade Runner, which you can get on Blu-ray. It has all five of them hey, together. You know what? It's Last Unicorn and Blade Runner came out the same year. Did so. they? Ooh. Oh, There's right. our connection. Oh, yeah, Last Unicorn was 1982, yeah. which is the same year as Secret of Nim. Huh, okay. See, yeah. we're, we're, so, we're making these connections. So, yeah, connecting it. Yeah, also, but, but, I'm but, wearing a Pashina corn shirt. That's right, you just, are. Just so everyone's aware. Um, so, it's but, Pashina. But, but Decker keeps having... <laughs> it's Decker, right? Keeps having Decker, the, like yeah. visions of, the, of a unicorn in his head, and he doesn't know why. And that's not even in the theatrical cut, I don't think. Oh, I don't... I can't even remember the, the, which... Because... They added that in like director's cut or final cut where he's like seeing the, the the images of the unicorn in his mind. And then at the end, the little unicorn origami is put there by the Edward James Olmos character. And he finds it to indicate that he's been in his apartment. And then that's in some way, if it has the unicorn scene in his memory in the edit, that's meant to imply that he might be a replicant. Yeah. But in other edits, it's really just saying that he's been there. Yeah. Because there is no unicorn memory. Yeah. So it depends on what cut of the film you're watching. Anyway, well, go well, ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I mean, really, there isn't that many unicorn movies, which is yeah. actually kind of surprising it considering, is. you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It seemed like unicorns were a big deal when I was... It's like, you know, they're kind of... As far as mythic beasts go, well, they did, were... Did, but, but you know what? They don't hold the same place as, like, say, dragons do, or even... Sure. Griffins, because you see the few times Griffin shows up, they're a sidekick of their amount. I'm thinking of Quest for Camelot, which had like the one Griffin. And then oh or, like the, the World of Warcraft movie had a lot of people riding, or Buckbeak the Hippogriff, I'll lump him in. Well, but, yeah, even in, um, even in Thor, Ragnarok, and in, I think in Endgame, they have Valkyrie riding a Pegasus. Hmm. Huh. So, like, and then Hercules, obviously, having the Pegasus as well. Did Lisa Frank ever do unicorn stuff? That's a good question. Her her Instagram, the Lisa Frank Instagram is insane, by the way. Everyone (laughs) needs to follow Lisa Frank on Instagram because there's just there's like a weird darkness, like sometimes with it. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah. Um, So I liked the look of this movie. I I I really I thought it looked really nice. I like that the backgrounds were very kind of Renaissance ish where they're like we're. You know, there's graphic shapes for plants. It was and so pretty. Like so my question was, and maybe you'll go into this, but so I was like, there's something Miyazaki something about anime-ish. this movie. <laughs> and I was like, is there something Japanese? Maybe and I'm just thinking because it, it absolutely so anyways, um, so one of so even though this is rank and base, they would farm out basically, even though they do a lot of the pre-production and everything here they would then t- go to a japanese studio which was topcraft and topcraft also worked on uh the hobbit and the lord uh the return of the king oh, okay got it. that rankin bass also did so they also did the animation 
with them for those movies. Um, this made me well, think you, of you the Hobbit. Well, you can tell there's some uh, cells they used in the. I think it's the opening scenes that a uh, reference with the eagle. It's flying. It's the same shot as in The Hobbit, except oh. the eagle is colored differently. I wonder. It, it's when the, it, the scene in The Hobbit. It's it's one of the eagles flying over Wilderland, and you see him. He's up near the top of the screen, and in The Hobbit, he's all brown on top, and in. Grayson last is standing up for those who sorry. can't see it. No, <laughs> yeah. like, you were being so dramatic yeah. about and, it. And I just wanted to unicorn, let them know. It's a lighter shade brown, and then you can see like some of the secondary feathers are of sort of like goldish tan, but it's clearly the same. I guess it would be cell. I'm not an animator, so if I get the jargon wrong, I apologize. But <laughs> no, there I've were seen, cells. These I've done seen that cells. a lot in Disney films too, where it's like you they've reused. The, it's clearly the same sequence. They yeah. just colored everything, like. In Jungle Book, when Mowgli gets tackled by the wolves, that scene's in the sort of the, in the stone. Yeah, only there's are the mastiffs under the table. There's, there's a lot of videos of of the Disney reuse stuff, but I mean, the thing is that what they're reusing is the mechanics of the animation. Mm -hmm. They're still redrawing it, so oh, even wow. if it's the same like run cycle, that you're still it's still redone. Yeah, I'm, especially on cells, like they didn't have a means yeah. of just recoloring it. You'd have to redraw and recolor the whole cell. Okay. Oh, wow. So even if it's similar, you you may be right. They may have reused like some flight animation for a bird, but they still probably had to redo it. I, but, like I said, I'm I, I'm not an animator. I don't know these things. No, that, but and, but Rankin Rankin Bass like. Topcraft, I think, was a studio that did know how to work with limitations, and they were obviously not mm -hmm. given the biggest budgets in the world. I did um, think the people looked like people in The Hobbit, because I've seen really The Hobbit, do. but I don't really remember it, but I remember us having the VHS and having that Hobbit you can probably. I bet you if you look, you can probably see where it's like the same, like a background dwarf and this, and they just... Yeah. The, the, not, the evil wizard in this... I have a feeling, looking at his face, I have a feeling he might have been a dwarf in The Hobbit. Because mm -hmm. he, just that same, like I said, he just changed I mean, the color. I feel like and gnarled is a good word for a lot of those yeah. characters. Yeah. That's why yeah. my mom hates Rankin-based films. Because <laughs> all the characters have such these big exaggerated noses and it just drives uh. her nuts. Yeah. <laughs> The <laughs> Schmendrick in particular <laughs> has a very large nose. Yes. Schmendrick actually reminds me a bit of, uh, you remember Kyle? My roommate Kyle. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. I love you so much. So, oh my God, Dax. So when great when I was living upstairs from Grayson, he does, he does look like Kyle. Doesn't he? You mentioned doesn't that. he? Kyle, I'm sorry, dude. You, you need Kyle if you're listening to this. I'm watch sure he'd the love last knowing unicorn. That. Watch it. You look like Schmendrick. Get a I, wizard hat. I'm sure he'd love knowing that. But like, but, but yeah, Kyle was my roommate. One of my roommates. We in, love you, in Kyle. College when I was living in IV, and I was a roommate. I was a neighbor above you. And Ivy Grayson, um, and did you ever meet Kyle Stephen Mike Frank Kyle? I won't mm. say his last name just so I don't incriminate him. Uh, maybe I'm not sure, <laughs> but but uh, so he looks exactly like Schmendrick. Okay, on, yeah, the, yeah. on the note of similar character <laughs> models, on the note of similar character models, though, Topcraft um, they actually were formed. They were established in '71 by a former Toei producer, which was Toru Hara, and I'm. I'm fairly certain they brought some people from Toei over. And the reason I bring this up is that if you look at this movie, in particular, if you look at um, the, uh, the unicorn's human form and Amalthea, mm -hmm. and if you look at her and if you look at uh, Prince Lear, their character designs look very much like the typical kind of anime girl or guy yeah. from like stuff like Be Forever Yamada. Like um, from uh, yeah. spaceship Yamato, battleship Yamato. Oh. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Or from um, yeah. Or for, you ever see uh, 
Interstellar five 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 is like the Daft Punk movie. Those are made late Ooh, at different times. Yeah, time. yeah. But it's weird because those were. I almost feel like those are branches of off the same inspiration because I can't necessarily. I couldn't find if Sam the same artists were involved in both those movies because I don't know Just if they more were of the style at the time. But it was a style that kind of grew out of Toei and it carried into a bit of of Topcraft and a bit of the Miyazaki stuff and. Um, this studio, Topcraft, eventually disbanded and uh, became part of it. Became Ghibli, yeah, and because they had worked on Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, of the Valley of the Wind. And I also remember looking at this movie and thinking, "Man, this really looks like Maycross." And <laughs> they also had done. They had also worked on Maycross. Do you remember Love? Yeah, so, you noticed it while we were watching, or you didn't say it because we were trying. They to look say like Maycross characters, yeah. and it was like that. It was like I, but I thought I was just crazy, and then finding out that it actually was the case that they really were, I was like, okay, cool. There is an actual connect here, and what? I would say like, I, oh, and they also worked on um, Loop on the Third. Oh wow! Uh, some maybe not the studio itself, but some of the people involved. I think I saw like when I was looking up IMDb credits for the artists, I saw a number of them had worked on on Loop on the Third, and at the I think the second series which Miyazaki and Takahata also worked on. Yeah. So there were a lot of connects here for Ghibli, and you can yeah. see it if you look at the earlier Ghibli movies that some of the male character models are kind of... So it's like, it's in the head shape and the eyes, and there's just a particular aesthetic that I think carries over. Yeah. I'm not an anime fan, so I didn't, you know, I didn't notice that, but there is something that... You don't have a waifu? <laughs> <laughs> I am a wa No, I don't know. Um, Do I look like a penguin to you? <laughs> Weeboo? I don't know what you're saying right know. now. <laughs> uh, but this film did make me think of Watership Down, mm. actually. Just huh. because it's like, it's got this kind of limited animation. The budget was $3.5 million. Whoa. Uh, and it made $6 million, so it you know nice. made some money. But yeah, very, very small budget. Pretty obvious by the way it looks. But yes. I love that it looks imperfect, or it looks like they were working with a limited budget. And I just love, you know, the backgrounds are really pretty. You can just tell it's made by people who cared, even if they didn't have all the money. It's kind of the opposite of We're Back a little bit. I mean, not that the people who worked on We're Back didn't care, but it's like, you know, probably a smaller crew. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I really, and, and all the all the like woodland creatures and the backgrounds, it very much made me think of Watership Down. Well, it's, it's a thing where like, it, I think you bring up a good point of like, We're Back is money spent in all the wrong places. Whereas, right. you know, they were like, Spielberg, you know, or whoever, it's like, all right, let's just keep spe wasting money, money on re-recording voice actors when that could have been thrown into the animation. Yeah. Whereas it seems like this with its limited budget and it's kind of scrappy, uh, you know, by Pacific crew, like yeah. it, it, that, that they kind of had to make the most of what they yeah, had. I, I have a quote about the budget. Oh, cool. Um, this is from some article where they were talking with the writer, Peter S. Beagle, and also um, Cochran. I think that was his his publicist or something. And they said, it's hard to believe the last unicorn was made on a $3.5 million budget. And he responded, a couple other movies from that time spent considerably more. The Secret of Nim was $7 million. Disney's Fox and the Hound one year earlier cost $12 million. And then Disney spent $25 million on The Black Cauldron. They spent eight times as much money on making a film that nobody remembers at all. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Damn. <Burn. laughs> I have that on VHS. <laughs> I Black also have Song Cauldron. of the South on DVD. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you have, a, you no. have a bootleg of Song of the South. <laughs> oh, no. You bet I do. I just found... I 
uh, Space Battleship Yamato was the series I was trying to think of. And mm. it, that was a series directed by the manga artist was uh, Leiji Matsumoto. And I think some have said his style, his manga style was like what kind of established that, that sort of slender bodied, uh, thin, like thin-eyed anime look that is in some of these movies. Even if he didn't directly work on The Last Unicorn. I think that was part of the source of the influence. Um, so this also was written by Peter S. Beagle. It was also a book. It was also Just a like book. Just like we're back. But it was a book, but it was written by the same person who wrote the That's book. Cool. And it was a novel, not a children's book. It was an actual book with yes. a plot and stuff to pull yeah, yeah. from. And <laughs> right. he, not he, a picture book. Uh, yeah, not 25 <laughs> words <laughs> worth of text. We yeah. need to make an hour and a half and, out of this. And the unique thing about this is that he had done the screenplay for uh, the, Lord of the, uh, the Lord of the Rings, the Bakshi. Oh, Lord the really? Wow, that connection. I didn't realize that connection, too. Yes. So that's why The Last Unicorn is connected to all three animated... Uh, he wrote the screenplay for both films? For the Lord of the Rings, uh, Ralph Bakshi, I, 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 I. and then for this. So yeah, he so, didn't yeah. work. He didn't write the Rankin Bass so Hobbit and no, I know, I, I oh, know. Yeah. What I, was, I was gonna say, then why is Last Unicorn written so much better, and why is that Lord <laughs> of the Rings film so well, bad? Because the reason, <laughs> the, I like the reason being that I think that when you're you're you know the author of your own content, you know what to cut and you know what to leave in. Whereas with Lord of the Rings. The problem with that whole story is that it's he and he said in an interv- interview that it was like ninety percent backstory, and that's the thing they want to get rid of when they're making the movie. It's so it's it's hard to edit down the Lord of the Rings because you're just trying to get rid of all this backstory. Just cut out Tom Bombadil. Yeah, like they well, always everyone do. does. That's because nobody likes Tom Bombadil. I think Tom Bombadil's interesting, but I would never force him to be in a movie version because it just yeah. doesn't make sense. I think he sucks. Wait, wait, Sarah, have you seen the Bakshi Lord Shots of the Rings? Fired. I I don't know if I saw because I, I know we had Fight the me, Hobbit, Bombadil. and so I don't know if I watched Lord of the Rings too, but yeah. I don't remember. Curious if you guys end up approaching it for a. Mm. Non-bluth at some point. I wonder. We might. We might. Who knows? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember how disappointed I was when I first saw that movie. Well, I, I think my dad said that when he saw it. I think people thought that it was the whole trilogy, Mm. and it's crazy the idea that it's like one and a quarter of the trilogy. Yeah, it's it's, you don't even get the Helms Deep. No, it's insane. So, yeah. Uh, So he had he had written that, and then when it came to the Last Unicorn. He was kind of, I guess, terrified what would happen to it. And so he oh. himself preemptively decided to remove a bunch of stuff and well, pare he, it down. He insisted on writing it, too, which is oh, funny because wow. that's like the opposite of Watership Down, where Richard Adams didn't want to be involved. He's like, I'm not <laughs> writing. I'm not involved right. with this That's at probably all, so. healthy, too. Like, yeah, I this, think this thing is, is going to be out of your not hands. Not all authors can write movie yeah. scripts. Screenplays. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling. You took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, wow, so you should sorry. get that cough looked at. Get that. <laughs> you should go to the doctor. <laughs> um, so <laughs> what a strange laugh. What a, um, what a strange person. So, but yeah, he wrote the screenplay for it, and I think it shows that the person who knew the story, you know, formed it into a movie, and he did it. He did a pretty decent job of it, you know. Uh, I actually have a quote from Peter S. Beagle about seeing the film. Because uh, this same article says, when you first saw the film in 1982, what was your initial feeling? 
I was a bit numb. It's better than everything Rankin Bass had ever done. I don't know what I thought about it. I liked all the individual vocal performances, Alan Arkin and Christopher Lee and Angela Lansbury, and now I'm very proud of it. I watched the latest remastered digitized edition and find myself catching small things I'd missed in all these years, small mistakes or small delights. Uh, and then they asked him if he ever sees it being remade, and he said, I would love to see it done in live-action production, which I'm quite sure will happen in the next few years. You, I don't well, know when this was done, but... You know, I... I usually am against this. Like, I know, like, we have, like, it, Grayson, you actually pointed out to me on Facebook that they were going to do, like, a live-action Secret of Nim, or, like, that they're, they had these plans for these kind of remakes of anime films, and I'm typically not on board, but I actually would be interested in seeing what a live-action interpretation of The Last Unicorn would be. I think that you have a lot of room here to do something different. Like, just another version of it. You the know what I the mean? problem yeah. I feel with doing that, though, because fantasy films today sort of are more the big, epic, high fantasy, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Unfortunately. Game of Thrones, they would try, and even it when they started Princess doing Bride. the live action, when they did that live action Snow White movie, that ha I remember seeing that for it. And the she Huntsman? Was, she was decked out in plate mail, like riding in the battle and going, <laughs> when does Snow White know how to wield any sort of sword and <laughs> what? So I'd be I would be worried they would try to add well, oh, something absolutely. like the battles yeah. in Narnia, where maybe yeah. it doesn't take from the story, but it's just not necessary. We need we need more fantasy monsters, well, you know. I, I'm thinking more along the lines of something like if so, if you were to take a step back to a Princess Bride level of fantasy, that mm. would be or Willow or Legend, oh, right? Or yeah, yeah. Never well, ending we, story. Well, yeah, I've heard that recently. There's been talk of remaking Willow. Um, and Peter in, Dinklage in a hundred percent of put the mic in front of my face. Um, a hundred percent also because in that era of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings where everything had to be that kind of high epic fantasy. But I think now we are slowly because, you know, uh, BBC is doing a his dark materials with HBO. Hmm. So there is, so we hopefully are going to get into a period again where there is kind of mid-level fantasy, which I think last unicorn would be nice. Yeah. It'd be appropriate. And what you could do is that you could have Jeff Bridges and Mia Farrow come back and oh. play different roles. Actually the, the IMDb so trivia. Jim Henson would be a great vendor because they're redoing the dark crystal. Ooh. Just, they're really good at blending modern special effects mm. technology with the old practical effects. And I feel a fantasy film like this to avoid what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. Cause I want, we need a scene with a lot of CGI and either armies or monsters. I'm thinking the red bull sequence, but yeah. to do it in a Jim Henson style, mm. I think would be something. And I know that the dark crystal has that, um, prequel series prequel coming, coming out. And yeah. that, now I'm intrigued season go now to think about last unicorn. That type of fantasy setting would be a great live, because yeah. that's the problem. It doesn't have that big Hollywood glitz that Hollywood. Yeah, would. yeah. We don't need armies of. I mean, you know, there's armies there, of there's unicorns. The, yeah, we, there, there's need the one way. army of unicorns at the end. That's, that's it. it. That's but it. they need to impale everybody. <laughs> you just like, how do we get these corpses off our horns? <laughs> so, but the reason I think it works for this too is that Last Unicorn seems to be a story that kind of enjoys having different versions because there is the original book there is the animated movie there is the graphic uh, novel the graphic novel which i have right here which it is is, is which, it different it's different and it's good i read it last night and i really liked it i thought it was a very very well done version there's a few moments that weren't quite as powerful to me in this as were in the movie like um like when Molly meets the unicorn in the movie, I feel is was much stronger than it was here. But 
there's things about this I liked more than the movie. So I think that I can wholly recommend that you read The Last Unicorn because it has extra stuff too, like when they get to the circus and all the animals, there's like a spider, which I don't know if that's from the book, but it's kind of cute because it's like she lets the spider out and the spider kind of stays there. And it doesn't, and then it eventually falls. Like there's, um, actually, let me find it. Spider friend. You really find it. The artwork is very nice too because it, it really takes advantage of being a comic and there's a lot of well done layouts. Um, Ooh. But uh, yeah, this interesting here that says, uh, actually, let me bring this up when we talk about Mommy Fortuna, but mm. uh, it's a fun, it's a fun. Is difference. the graphic novel different from the actual novel? And this is the thing, because I haven't read the actual novel, so I don't know what the differences are between this and the movie and the, the actual novel. So, Because I have almost purchased the book on numerous kids because I've seen the film and I, I like fantasy because I like to read. And as I've mentioned earlier when I was talking with Sarah... I tend to prefer a lot of the sort of sword and sorcery, high fantasy, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons. I like the action, violence, and monsters, not so much the... F- I do like the fairy tale type fantasy, but not as much. Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, and I wish that one of us had read the book, because yeah. it would be nice to have that knowledge. Yeah, and that was but... why I didn't buy the book, because I'm like... Eh, it's a... But yeah. we did go to the library to try and find a copy of the book. We didn't yeah. find it, but we found something else, which is The Last Unicorn, The Lost Journey. Which is That's new. more recent. Isn't that yeah. like a sequel? No. no. Is it a prequel? It's no. a dequel. It's a what? <laughs> it's it's a, his original version. It is the original which, draft. Yeah, which eventually he changed it and it became The Last Unicorn, but the original draft is like it's set in the modern day. Whoa. So it's... Yeah, it's, he has like a, a demon, or she a, a has dragon. like a demon friend. Yeah, well, and like a dragon comes and tells her about what happened. It's weird because like the dragon apparently shows up and it got a parking ticket for being mistaken as the vehicle. <laughs> it's like strange present day anachronisms yeah. are in in the new ver the old version. Yeah, um, but they released it, I guess, because they just wanted to. Have a well, because it's so different that they can. It's yeah. almost like another. Oh, didn't they say? Wait, the quote, oh, the on, the quote back? on the oh, back is fun. It's like uh, this. So this is from Patrick Rothfuss, author of The Name of the Wind. It's like reading an early draft of The Lord of the Rings, where Tom Bombadil shows up at Bilbo's door instead of Gandalf. <laughs> it's like that makes like, me not want to read that <laughs> book right there. You know, just, just Bombadil's aside. Just the idea that it is <laughs> a, a weird kind of remixed version of it. Like um, the alternate, you're saying like the alternate timeline version or something? <laughs> well, I was like, <laughs> what was that, sir? The alternate timeline version you were saying? Yeah, it is just an alternate reality. Uh, so that's why I'm saying, for me, having a different. Yet another version of the last unicorn is kind of like, yeah, sure. What what's another take on the story? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think that's too strange. I mean, it's like imagine being a, a successful enough offer, author, offer <laughs> that somebody would make an offer to sell an f- early draft of your book. Mm-hmm. And the, oh, and there was a stage production too. Oh, cool. So yeah, there's. I been... could see this as a great stage production. Oh, and they're working on. Well, I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but uh, Fergie wanted to do a Broadway musical. For the last unicorn, huh? But it's—I don't think it's—it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Wait, so different you're, than your delicious production? I, I guess well, this is a Broadway thing, but oh, okay. it never—it never—it hasn't happened. And uh, this article, Josh, who do you pronounce? Josh Duhamel. Du- That's how I Josh, say it. Josh Dumal. Dumal. Okay. Yeah. Dumal. <laughs> Josh Dumal and Fergie grooming Josh the Dumal. last unicorn as a Broadway musical. This article is from 2014. Sexual Pokemon deck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wait, getting back to Rankin Bass. Can we get Rankin back to Rankin Bass? Because um, I have a, a little piece of trivia from the IMDb tribu- uh, trivia. 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 Um, 
when negotiating, we're doing great today. <laughs> when negotiating for the, I've had too much caffeine. I've had almost a whole cup of tea. When negotiating for the making of this movie, author Peter S. Beagle told his associate producer Michael Chase Walker that he specifically didn't want to work with the Rankin Bass Company. When uh-huh. Walker told Beagle that they had signed a deal, he was horrified and threatened to pull out of the project. However, he met with Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. and liked their ideas, so he agreed to work with them. Which is funny that he like didn't. What, like, I don't know why he didn't want to work with them. Hmm. He probably <clears> wanted <throat> to work with Disney, get more money. Right. Yeah. Well, they had said, yeah, it was like second to last choice to work with Rankin Bass or something hmm. like that. So uh-huh. um, I I can, I guess I can see why, because it is limited animation. Yeah. But, but even uh, like we listened to the audio commentary with him and his publicist and they kind of like, it. you know, it's like they're, they talk about how limited oh, the animation is, but so they're like, it's good, though. Because I want to clarify this. I found out something fun. Um, so we picked up the Blu-ray that we found. We couldn't find a laser disc. We couldn't find a laser disc. We found the Blu-ray of The Last Unicorn and we thought, cool, we've got the Blu-ray. And Sarah, you don't know about this because I actually found this out, which is that this is the Lionsgate release of the Blu-ray, which came out, I think in like 2011-ish. And then apparently four years ago in 2015, Shout Factory also released The Last Unicorn on Blu-ray. And it has entirely different bonus features. Really? And it's a different print of The Last Unicorn. Mm. So it is even a different scan. So the one we watched is actually kind of grainy and has mm-hmm. like, which I, I like, and it has a n- lot of artifacting. But apparently the Shout Factory release is a little sharper, used a bit more DNR filtering, which I'm not always great with, but like made it mm. more modern looking in some regard. But it has like brighter oh, colors. Oh, so I had a question about that because I I rented it from iTunes. Okay. I don't know how you watched it. Did you have it on DVD or? Um, it used to be on Netflix and then it, it it's down from Netflix. I actually amazingly found it on YouTube. <laughs> oh my God. And yes. it wasn't where they flip it reverse to avoid the copyright. It was just thing. sitting it, there. It was, on it, was, it was. And so I. I probably wouldn't be able to tell. It seemed like the, you know, it seemed perfectly fine to me and it was the whole movie. It was mm. synced properly. Yeah. Well, so I because because my question was, I feel like halfway through the movie, the anime, like there's something about the quality of it changes mm. on the mm. iTunes version. Oh, that. weird. And I don't, I, and maybe it is DNR stuff because huh. like cleanup stuff because it somehow gets, because like the beginning, the forest and everything has yeah. this very painterly quality, but then at halfway through, I feel like everything gets really clean and it, yeah. it wasn't distracting. I just maybe thought maybe it was like, that's the point when like Topcraft started working on it or something. Uh, yeah. But That's interesting oh, no, no. you <laughs> mentioned that because one of my big complaints about the, the DVD version of the Hobbit film, I used to watch that movie all the time on VHS when I was in like fourth and fifth grade. And I remember getting it on DVD and watching it. And the sound and Foley effects were very different where there were sequences where sound effects had been added including some singing from the background. Leah, when they were going into the valley, that song gets extended, which I thought was weird. Well, and they, they added some sound effects and they took some out and to the point where it actually detracts a bit from well, the and movie. And that's what's weird is this isn't the only instance of yeah. this happening because for this movie too, there was an alteration to... Well, there was an option for two... There were two different soundtracks. Well, and here's, sound. But here's the other thing is that there were like different edits. So there was mm. a VHS release of this movie that was shorter, apparently. Oh. Or some, How much or no, shorter? Or no, no, no. Maybe it was an H. I think it was an HBO version well, of it that well, was actually shorter where they cut out things. And, and so swear words and stuff I, I thought well, I saw. But I think it yeah. was on, it might have been on VHS at some point. Well, I read but, the butterfly speech was cut down for theaters. 
So for some, yeah, some version of it. too much. There were parts <laughs> of the movie that were cut out, but also for the 25th anniversary edition that they had done on DVD, some version of the movie had been used where they had taken swear words out. Yeah, yeah like there's one part where she says, like, damn you. <gasps> where have you been? Where have you been? Damn you! Where have you been? Don't you talk to her that way. Mm-hmm. I actually watched the oh, scenes did you? in both because this div- this Blu-ray that we have does have both. It has oh, cool. the 25th anniversary, which it defaults to, unfortunately. Mm. So you do have to go in and select well, it's good original. We it up too. Yeah, you have to select original theatrical soundtrack to hear the swear. What words. does she say instead of "damn you"? Because I think when I saw it on Netflix and YouTube, she I seem to recall her going "damn." I remember. Yeah. This. So yeah. Th- instead, she just says, "Where were you? Where were you?" She just says it again. <laughs> Don't you talk to her that way. The lip sync doesn't match at all, but they do it anyway. I, 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 <laughs> my brain remembers hearing damn you. Yeah, well, good, because you watched the right version good. of it. Go Netflix then and go <laughs> yeah. whoever uploaded that to YouTube. Um, so, so yeah, the, the swears are meant to be there, but there is a censored version of it. And it, it yeah, like that when, was considered bad enough to censor. I know. Well, oh. then another character says hell. Well, it was a thing point, where it was a thing where back out. in the eighties you could say damn you, and then there got to be a point I think probably in the early two thousands where people got way too weird about that, and so it got taken out. And, and then the now British it's back. say that all the damn oh, time. Oh, the British say hell. They say all there, kinds of stuff. There's two hells and a cunt or two damn. <laughs> We're gonna have to bleep that. No, there's no, two, leave it in. Thanks, seriously. <laughs> there's two dams and a and a hell that had to be removed from this. Two dams and a hell. Sick well, out, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but even though the animation is limited uh, for this, I I still find it very charming. I still yeah. think the design is strong and interesting. Yeah, the unicorn's design is so cool. The so- sexiest <laughs> unicorn I've ever seen. Oh, they do something with her that I. I, it took me a minute oh, yeah, to realize that. it, but I finally picked up on it, which is, and it's super obvious, which is you'll notice most of the characters <laughs> to in... To you, yeah. Well, no, it is <laughs> once kidding. you see it. Yeah, it's once like, you pointed it out, I was like... All the characters in the movie have pretty dark outlines. Yeah. Their lines are usually black or something along, like something that isn't, you know, light. Her outlines are almost always lighter colors. They're like... Mm. Uh, like a an orange or like 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 a, a light brown, and if you look at the comic, they do the same thing. So she always has a kind of ephemeral quality because the very uh, lines that are of her character are lighter than everyone else's in the movie, and they mm. maintain it when she turns into a human. Uh, so, yeah, it seemed more noticeable. When she was a human, uh-huh. you know? Well, and it's, I mean, it's like Galadriel in Lord of the Rings where they like lit her eyes differently than other mm. actors right. to give that ethereal quality. So that's, yeah, I just thought it was a clever. Oh, that's nice. cool. I love that. Nice Again, working, working with your, your limitations. Yeah, working with your limitations. Like, okay, maybe you can't do a lot of stuff, but you can choose a different color for the line, you know? Yeah, and that's a very simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of nice visual tricks in this movie that I thought, it just has a, a great fantasy aesthetic visually. And it's hard to talk about this movie without talking about the music because the music is just so kind of an interesting iconic. component and iconic of this. Because, and I know Grayson, you you have your strong opinions about this, <laughs> but the 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 main song for the score was done by Jimmy Webb, um, and the main song was done by America. Oh, and Jimmy Webb was brought on by Jeff Bridges. 
Because <laughs> Jeff Bridges was like really wanting to do this film. He's like, I'll basically do it for free. And then he's like, oh, I also know this guy, Jimmy Webb. Because his so friend was in. playing the mm-hmm. skull. Yeah, he was also the last unicorn. (laughs) Are you just is that a Tom Waits (laughs) version? (laughs) The last unicorn. I'm alive. not to talk about this movie without talking the music the the song the last unicorn is i think a really wonderful bookend to this whole movie and it is hard to not be moved by i don't even have memories of it really growing up but i still felt like it was a song i'd always heard like that it's it's another thing that reminds me of watership down even though i know they're not the same people doing the music but it's like watership down has like the bright eyes sequence and it has all this kind of 70s-ish music, you know? Yeah, it, it's fantasy, but then it has yeah. the 70s. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, Future Dex here. I found out something a little interesting, which is that Art Garfunkel, who sang Bright Eyes for Watership Down, apparently also sang a cover of That's All I've Got to Say on his album Scissors Cut. And according to Wikipedia, was credited with some element of songwriting for that piece. So... I think maybe he helped write it to some degree, even though he seems uncredited in other locations. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. Also, Kenny Loggins did a cover of the Last Unicorn theme on his album Return to Pooh Corner. So go figure. And there's like one, it's like, it's very, uh, what did I write down? Like there's a little bit of Neil Young going on in Jimmy mm. Webb's vocals. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like, I could see like James Morrison. Wait, Jimmy Webb? Or the, was that the guy who sang? <laughs> no, no. Jimmy Webb was the composer. I'm sorry, who's who sung, sings so, the song? So America, which is Jerry Beckley. Jerry Jerry so, Beckley. So, so America is um, the most famous song that people. Would, this is actually kind of funny. The most famous song that people typically knew America for was the horse with no name, and that oh, yeah. for that reason, um, Peter S. Beagle was worried when America <laughs> was coming on because oh, yeah. he thought that it was going to be something like that song. Well, and it's also, it, he said he didn't like that song because his kids played it all the time because they loved horses. Which I, <laughs> I find funny because my dad also hates that song. <laughs> even though he hate that Even song. though he likes America. I like America too. But that particular song he dislikes. And I actually don't care. I, I don't really feel strong either way. My favorite America song is Sister Golden Hair Surprise. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's I think a good that's a, actually is one of my favorite songs. That is a really good song. Well, I tried to make it Sunday But I got so damn depressed I set my sights on Monday And I got myself undressed I ain't ready for the altar But I do agree there's times 
a woman sure can be a friend of mine actually a song they were trying to write in the style of Jackson Brown and a little bit like George Harrison with the guitar. Mm. So, uh, and they had George Martin as a producer on that album. Oh, cool. Yeah. So anyway, side note about (laughs) Sister Golden Hair Surprise. Uh, But I feel like that that there is a a sweetness in his voice in that song, which I think comes through in the last unicorn theme. I think that there's a, a really lovely sincerity about it. Yeah, um, and at least like e- even if you don't like the music, it all ha- is very uh, cohesive. Like the whole music of the whole thing is very cohesive, and I I like that. And it, and it feels again part of that lineage of like how when fantasy made a huge return in the '60s and '70s, it's like it almost feels like it pairs together like fine wine, like '70s mm. music and yeah, fantasy so for some reason. Even though it's like medieval yeah. stuff, it, but it feels weirdly appropriate. Uh-huh. I don't know. And- I know that we're. Led Zeppelin, you know. Like, I know we're a little more forgiving. I know Grayson, you don't care too much for some of the, for some no, of the songs. And I, as I said, I saw this film as an adult, and it took, I think, three viewings for me to really be like, okay, I, I appreciate this film, because other than the opening song, which I think is incredibly emotional, it's incredibly moving. Ranking bass films tend to have great opening songs. The right. best one being the Greatest Adventure from The Hobbit, which is one of, I think, three songs that are guaranteed to make me cry every time I listen to it. All of the other songs in The Last Unicorn, I feel, are just bad. I agree. They, they fit into the movie well. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. detract from... And none of them detract from the story. Well, I just right. don't think they're good. I think the lyrics are... Dumb and, and yeah, kind of, well, and, I think they're okay. Like well, for the most part, the non-diegetic music I I like and I think it's fine. But the diegetic music is I, cringy a little. If it didn't yeah. have lyrics, it would be better. I yeah. personally well, feel yeah. like it does get a bit in the way it, at it times. It does. Yeah. It's distracting. Which, <laughs> if you read the comic, doesn't happen because <laughs> it's there like are the no Suicide Squad. Of, <laughs> oh yeah, you know. <laughs> Well, this doesn't happen in other ranking base films. Like, there's a lot of little tiny songs in The Hobbit, but those are all taken out of the book. Yeah. Mm. So those These are, are Tolkien, Tolkin wrote all those. And those are, you know, like fi- like 15 birds. You know, they're all dramatic and they're well done. And the last one, they're silly and they're distracting. I think in part because they're these fairly bigger songs, but the characters aren't singing them. Mm. So you're like, so you have to but focus on it. I don't more. like yeah. the songs that they sing, though. Like yeah. the ones they actually sing to me oh, are like oh no, Amalthea's well, so, song was awful. yeah. So well, so can we talk about Amalthea's song <laughs> yeah. because apparently okay, so Mia Farrow, God bless her. Well, she did great except for that. Song she does was. wonderfully, but like <laughs> she was great in Rosemary's Baby in the Open. <laughs> I looked this up because I was curious kind of what people's opinions are. And and they the comments that I would find about her voice was that she's frail, 
so it matches the frailty of the mm-hmm. unicorn, which I kind of agree with. But at the same time, I think there's a way to be on pitch. Yeah. Like just a bit more. And she either needed to be given a little more music coaching. She needed a she needed someone to come in and actually like give her a few lessons on how to like sing a bit better. And it didn't have to be operatic. It just needed to be a bit more on point. And the, but but she gets the acting side of it right, yeah. where it feels like it's the character singing it. So I can I can see why someone would say that they still like her version of it. However, the interesting thing that I found is that apparently there is another version of the song, really? which is sung by Katie Irving, and this was a version that was released through the German release. I oh, guess like they in the German release of the movie they replaced Mia Farrow singing with this other person. That's what I said. Oh, they huh. said German language, but that was like, well, wait, but it's in English, so it just mean it was the German release of the English version. They replace it, but hmm. on the soundtrack that I fa- I tracked down, uh, it's it's Katie Irving's version. And is it pretty good? It's a better. Well, here's a bit of the Katie Irving one. That is worlds better. It, it is, yeah. And the problem having heard that that I now really have with the original, part of the problem with Mia Farrow's voice is I, it doesn't really fit the character well. You said it's very frail. It's too frail. You realize, you know, she's confused. She's scared. You get that. But she's also the last unicorn that's supposed to be this, this great, powerful, magical mm-hmm. creature. Why do you have that much frailty? This hmm. has the fear and confusion but not the that overwhelming I, yeah. sense of weakness. I think the argument is that she's frail as a human, that she's not powerful as a human. So that's why she's feeling weaker in that moment. So maybe that that's what people maybe, s- maybe hear and like about it being the other way. But I do think that the Katie Irving, Irving version is better. I do think that maybe it doesn't quite match yeah. Mia Farrow's voice, unfortunately. So taken on its own, it's a nice song. But also, Katie Irving didn't wasn't... En- engrossed in the character the way Mia Farrow was. So it's only like some of the notes in the Mia Farrow version, like the higher notes where it doesn't quite, again, if she just had like a, a singing coach to give her a couple, le- you know, lessons, it would have been totally fine. So, so yeah, neither version is like a perfect fit to the movie in my opinion, but it's kind of, I thought it was interesting that like it's somewhere along the line, somebody else went, mm, uh, uh, 
Redo that, please. <laughs> and had someone else do it. So Americans don't understand how the voice works. Like, that's so weird. So, like, yeah, I wonder what the logistics were behind how that version came about. Yeah. If it was the record yeah. in label, and then maybe for that release, they just took the soundtrack version. And... Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because it's become really tradition, you know, in all the Disney films where it's like you have the in-film version uh-huh. and then you have the pop song version. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you know, Lion King or... or that's the one they roll over the credits where they can change the lyrics and get yeah. nominated for an Oscar. Yes. But no, Beyonce is going to have a post-credit song speaking of Disney. Oh, yeah, Lion King, yeah, mm-hmm. Feather Lion King. Oh, weird. But even so, it's not uncommon for films to also have different singers yeah. for yes, yeah. the characters mm-hmm. if you can find someone close enough. But uh, I I also don't really feel like Jeff Bridges did a great uh, job. I, like, I, I mean... I think he did fine. He like, was Lear, right? Yes. That was a weak, weak song, too. Yeah, it's not so much him as the song itself, I think, but like, because he can sing. He sings sing in Crazy Heart. Like, Jeff yeah. Bridges actually knows how to do that. And but I believe it, he tours with a band, too. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he did, clearly is musically gifted, but like, it, it just, it, to me, it didn't quite work here either. I've had time to write a book about the way you act and that song do you guys buy their relationship or their like he kind of just falls in love with her it's, again. it's definitely little... better than the relationship yeah, yeah. back for sure. sure league's better and i'm fine with it but we, it, it but in this it's the trope of like the mysterious withholding right. mm-hmm. you know it's like i desire because you are withholding you know well, yeah because well, she's like this mysterious creature well he and didn't have any substance to his character he was right and she he loves wasn't him even for a that. Prince you know? Charming cliche. It's yeah. like, oh, he's the prince. Oh, you know, I killed a dragon. Which he's a, he's... very weirdly was an Eastern style dragon, which I thought mm. was kind of weird and random. Yeah. yeah. It's well, it's interesting because in, in the comic, there is Well, a they difference. just told the studio they told Topcraft make a dragon, and it's like <laughs> they didn't explain which dragon to make. In, and in, they're probably like, we can't find the cells from we use for the Hobbit. It's actually there's kind of a sad beat in the comic book where she, where he is bringing her you know, the dragon. And then he mentions that his horse's legs got burned in the process of getting the dragon. And she goes to the horse, puts her hands on the horse's legs, trembles and then leaves because she's unable to heal the horse. And the horse ends up dying. So there's really kind of sad beat with that. Mm. And it's a little more clear how she's losing kind of sight of who she is. Did she know the dragon personally? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's my buddy Puff. He owed me 20 bucks. Well, see, and she still falls in love with him, even though he, like, murders a dragon. Well, know? that's her losing her unicornness, I well, suppose. Yeah. I, but I liked this this sort of back and forth they have when he... That scene when he meets her on this, like, with the poem in hand and meets her while she's standing by the by the window. You were dreaming, my lady. I would that I might know your dream. I will not trouble you, my lord. I have dreamed it many times. Please tell me. In the dream, there are black barred wagons and beasts that are and are not, and a winged being that clangs like metal in the moonlight. The tall man has green eyes and bloody hands, and it is never over. My lord, sing to me. My lady, I drown out my dreams. 
So, and and then he starts to tell his poem, and it's like, it's a little more of a kind of connect, yeah. like where like you mm-hmm. get that they're actually there's a thing there where sh- she's more scared and she like wants something to distract her from this like recurrent nightmare that she's having. Mm. So I, I, it makes a bit more sense, I think, but it's still not great. I mean, <laughs> it's just they're pretty and they're both pretty people. Right. In the movie. I, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. The prince has to fall in love with the princess. Yeah. Well, I do. I mean, I do. And I, not to jump all the way to the end, but I do kind of like where he goes in the story. Yeah. yeah oh, he yeah, has yeah, a good yeah. arc. I do like the ending here. Yeah. And apparently there is, um, there's a sequel that's yeah. about the two of them. A book, a, wrote, a written sequel. Like, oh, wow. Peter, Peter Spiegel wrote a book called Two Hearts, which is uh, supposed to do with, which I'm curious now what that's even about. Like, yeah, where it's like he's a lot older because yeah. she's immortal because she's a unicorn, right? And I think, I, I don't know. I didn't read up too much So the on way that, that it kind of reconciles that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, should we do some like broad strokes plot stuff just so we get some of the main plot points and, and characters yeah, and I stuff? Yeah, I guess so because yeah. she... The, it starts out with the two men showing up in her forest trying to hunt and that they don't, they can't find anything to hunt. And one concludes that it's because a unicorn probably lives there and it, the animals have taken to her magic. Obviously, it's because there's a unicorn. It's obvi- <laughs> Obviously, it's because there's a unicorn. We're really bad trackers. Um, <laughs> Magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why. But what do men know? You know. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. What do men know? I yeah, love men that are line really too. stupid in this movie, where it's just like we can't even see unicorns anymore. It's kind of it sucks. Yeah. So, but they basically tell her that she's the last one, or something that there aren't any more. Yes, unicorn. thank you. But yeah, she's alive. <laughs> oh, and then it goes into that cool opening title sequence with like the tapestries, mm, which is yeah. like from Peter That's, Spiegel's childhood. No, those are not. Those are famous pieces of Renaissance art. That's some of the most famous unicorn artwork in well, history. Yeah, I think That's he must those... have seen because Peter Spiegel, as a kid, would go to the museum and look at the yeah, like unicorn what, you know, when art. that stylized lion roars by mm-hmm. the dust. That is, I forget. It's from. I think that's from either. It's from a painting. It's called either the hunting of the unicorn or the slaying. It's from a very famous series of tapestries that depicts the hunting and slaying of a unicorn. It's very famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was but that's from like the 15th oh. or 16th century. That's yeah, he went to the as, as a kid. He would go to the Cloister Museum in New York. So he probably saw. Yeah, a pr- a probably. No, he, that. Mm-hmm. he he openly acknowledges mm-hmm. a lot. Like, and that's what's interesting. I do recommend listening to the commentary. Oh, I didn't finish saying. By the way, the two different Blu-rays. In addition to having different bonus features, they have completely different commentaries. Whoa! With but still both with Beagle. oh with the same people. It, well, it's with Beagle and and uh, Cochran was that his name? Uh-huh. And because th- the first one on here is just the two of them, but the one on the Shout Factory is the two of them with with two other people. Oh, so that's cool. I'm wondering what the difference yeah. is in what they said in that version. But in the in what we listened to, he was very open about mentioning where he got stuff, and he would say like the butterfly speech. He got so. Let's move into the butterfly speech. Yeah, like, yeah. The butterfly I, comes and is like, "Hey, yeah," because she's like, "Have you seen any more of my kind?" And he's just talking in poems. I am a roving gambler. How do you do? Hello, butterfly. Welcome. Have you traveled very far? How far would I travel, yep, to be where you are? Clay lies still, but blood's a rover. Red Rover, Red Rover, let Charlie come over. And it's interesting, in the comic, the butterfly actually meets her after she's left. Oh. And then they have a conversation. Which, so the man, the man coming is what prompts her to leave. But, but yeah, he acknowledges that the butterfly 
is actually kind of a self-portrait of himself. Mm-hmm. And it all the things that it's saying are references to literature and poetry and, and various things. Like, none of them are things that he's necessarily written. Um, except maybe, like, bits and pieces of it. But I thought... And, and he'll actually, like, go piece by piece on what it is that each thing is referencing. So I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. And then she decides to go out and... Uh, Find the other find unicorns. Find the other unicorns. Well, like, well, you're, you're not saying what the butterfly told her what happened to the unicorns. Because once he stopped talking, she went to leave because he was talking in riddles and she's like, you're useless. And he went, wait. And basically what he said was that all the unicorns had been driven into the sea by the Red Bull who had then covered their tracks. Doesn't explain what that means, but he does tell her what happens. That's well, pretty important. He does important. mention the Red Bull, and yeah. It's, it's interesting. Red Bull gives you wings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this episode... Sponsored well, by Red Bull. Girl. Wait, Which, did, did, did we? Did, did I feel like I didn't look it up? Was Red Bull I inspired by either, this? I no, wondered no, that no, no, no. It was uh, came from a drink called Craving Dang, which was a kind of Thai uh, drink, I guess, for energy drink for workers. Mm. And when the person who made Red Bull ended up bringing it over here, he he made a business deal basically to to bring Red Bull over into. The rest of the world, and so it's just a literal translation of what Wait, the. But when was that? Was oh it God, before the last unicorn? If what it's if nineteen eighty two? That would be what insane. if the last if unicorn? It's before it, it could be a reference to the book. What if the last unicorn was was inspired by the, the drink? drink yeah. <laughs> it says nineteen seventy six. Oh wait, when did the book come out? I didn't even look that up. Hold on, <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. So I guess maybe in someone. In uh, in What's Southeast it? Asia, had read a translation of the Last Unicorn, maybe, but I I, I think it was said that because it was ah. made as an energy drink for Ooh. workers, he chose a bowl because of the idea of strength, and then just red because of I, you, you know, know like when you're energetic, you're all like red and stuff, passion um, or whatever. The Last Unicorn book was published in 1968, so it precedes Ugh. Red Bull the drink. Where's their royalties? Yeah, <laughs> Where's their... very interesting. So, interesting, strange. Depends on who's got the trademark, the copyright. <laughs> yeah, so she... But the Red Bull for, for him, mm-hmm. his cousin married a painter, and the painter had this painting of a, of a unicorn fighting a bull. Mm. And it was a Red Bull, I believe, in Ooh. the painting. And I think we saw it when we were going through yeah. the gallery on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, So that was the inspiration for that. And he talks... He's a very he's very writery the way he talks about how he came up with stuff where they were asking like how would you know the unicorns would be in the sea? And he's like, "Oh, I just was looking at the ocean and I imagine that's where they had to be because oh, it brought me serenity or something something he, along those lines, you know." He mentioned something about like 5:30 lines. There were things that he came up with at the very end of the day at 5:30, <laughs> which you know, jumping ahead a little, but there's a line where somebody says, "Have a taco." And he's like, "That was a 5:30 line where you leave it in, you see if it's still funny the next day, and then if it is, you <laughs> just keep it in. <laughs> um, the, the, the bandit king said that when they when they joined mm-hmm. his yeah. camp, he offered yeah. them a t- which I remember hearing that going. That's very random, and I was like, <laughs> why do these fairy tale fantasy people know about Latin cuisine? Mm-hmm. And he yeah, this is not this is not Mesoamerican. And he says fairy tales. Well, don't get me started on all the songs of the butterfly singing, but but there yeah, there's a moment where Schmendrick says, "Ah, turn blue," when the lock's mocking him, and and it, it, that apparently was a thing that they would say in his neighborhood, like when he was a kid, like that was a, a way of being like, "Ah, piss off." Well, like, I I feel, I feel like 
Alan Arkin's character Schmendrick, I, he feels like an anachronism. Yeah, yeah he is. you know, but in a way that is like Princess Bride or something, where it's like there's like that infused element of like. Let's bring a modern character and throw he, them into yeah. a, a fantasy setting. It's like Bones. He's still Bones? he's Bones. still silly. <laughs> he's still silly in the in the comic book, but but he is a bit more. He fits a bit better in in that world in in the comic, I think. But um, I I totally agree. So he so anyway the yeah so the we? unicorn she goes off to find uh, her friends. And she gets mistaken for a white mare because man a can't mare. see a mare. her, uh, her horn. So they're all like, you know, but she's also like very pretty for a horse. Or Even though she doesn't <laughs> actually look like a horse. Yeah, I know. Because, right. Because it's funny because the whole thing with unicorns and horses, that is a Christian thing from the Renaissance. Because hmm. the first time you see unicorns mentioned in literature, it's in a natural history treatise by Pliny the Elder. They Ooh. weren't described as magical creatures. They were exotic wild animals from India and most of the descriptions they describe an animal with cloven hooves horses huh. have a single hoof the animal they describe has much more in common with a goat or a deer and that would also explain the description of the tufted tail and the beard and uh, I actually have two legitimate books on the natural history of unicorns and they think the myth is based on travelers blurring descriptions of yaks Tibetan antelope and Marco Polo's description of a unicorn he saw is not a good description of a horse, but it is actually a very detailed description of an Indian rhinoceros. Huh. And, huh. A, and a lot of the uh, the Persian unicorn they called the Carcadan. That myth it probably has to do with rhinos. The Oryx antelope of Africa, which are big, almost horse-sized animals, have long straight horns that when you view the animals in profile are actually perfectly symmetrical. And the Arabian Oryx is white. Interesting. There you wow. go. <laughs> Wasn't there also something to do with narwhals and people? That is when um, they f would find narwhal tusks washed up on the beach because that is not a horn. It is a, it is a, a, it tooth. Is a highly is a modified tooth. tooth that spirals because if you look at the horns of antelope, goats, cattle, they don't spiral like that. Oh. So they f somebody found a, a narwhal tusk on the beach, and unicorn horn <laughs> was believed to be able to detect poison, cure disease, had all these healing properties. So some Danish merchant was like, oh, yeah, that's unicorn horn. And if you <laughs> yes, look at a lot of the royal treasuries in some of these European they have unicorn horns, or alicorns as the technical term is, and they're, they're narwhal tusks. Huh. Whoa. Wow. So that whole horse thing, there's a lot of symbolism with the white and the purity. Um, the unicorn's also the national animal of Scotland. It's depicted on their coat what? of arms fighting the lion. Whoa. Oh, neat. <laughs> cool. And a lot of the myths of the unicorn describe a very ferocious, aggressive animal that was dangerous to hunt. They would often, one of the ways to soothe the savage beast, you use a virgin and her purity and innocence, the beast would come and lay its head down in her lap. The other method oh, was to have someone kind of... use as bait, get them to ram the horn into a tree. Huh. huh. So that's kind of in this book. Is uh, well, See, now I'm blending the film. Did it have much of like the unicorns putting the heads in the laps? In no. Because that's in the comic. But one thing I don't understand, this is jumping ahead a little bit, is that when... Wait, what's the woman's name? Molly? Mm -hmm. Molly Grew. Molly Grew. Well, when she finally the sees unstoppable the unicorn... Molly Grew. She, <laughs> she says something weird that I didn't Unsinkable. understand, where she's like, 
why why weren't you here before? Why did you come to me now? Why not when I was younger? And it's like, what does that have to do yeah, with... This movie's about the loss of innocence in a lot of ways, and I think that's... Her- now, there's a lot of context and details, but I think that's probably referencing to when she grew up, when her childhood died. Maybe something bad happened to her, mm-hmm. and I think that's why she's so uh, upset, because yeah. it's like, you know, I had all this dream and beliefs when I was young and idealistic and it's gone and now you have the gall to show up now mm-hmm. well you know screw you it's interesting I wanted in, to be a horse girl in, in, <laughs> yes in the com- horse girls in the comic it like kind of elaborates that the reason that she doesn't show up because there's someone in the book in the comic that she she could show up to along the way that they don't and and grew asks why didn't you show up to her and and she says well because most of the time they are scared. And that's why, like, it, it's actually kind of rare to show up to someone who then just calmly, like, lets you, you know, put your head in their lap. <laughs> but, but that is a. I think it's more clear that unicorns are meant to show up to the young and pure, oh, and and mm-hmm. that is a sort of almost. And that's passage. the thing you see in a lot of fantasy. And it's the, it's the young, it's children who can see them, people who are innocent or mm-hmm. who believe. Y- you see that theme time and again in fantasy and fairy tales. And there's, you even see that in Peter Pan. Mm. You know, they go off to Never Neverland so you don't have to grow up and lose your innocence and and lose your unicorn. I think, I think, (laughs) yeah, I think this, the movie just assumes you know a little bit about unicorns. (laughs) Unicorn culture. Before you go in, which do it, yeah, like, I guess you should, but I feel like it could be slightly better set up here and there, maybe throughout. Um, but so yeah, so, so but yeah they, normal people, normies can't see yeah, they unicorns. Can't, but normies. they still think she's a really cool horse. So yeah, <laughs> they, they still, still think she's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Mare. And then she runs and then she gets caught by Mommy Fortuna uh-huh. while she's asleep. Who doesn't know at first that she's an actual unicorn. But no, knows she the, does. So she does immediately. She does and she, she gets Rook and she gets Smedrick. She goes, mm. what do you see? Smedrick keeps his mouth shut. Uh, yeah, I love that. And part. I'm going to... Who knows what Rook sees? Because he obviously is in on Mommy Fortuna's game. I assume he's some sort of magical hob. I assume he's not human. I always mm. assume he was like a hob, go- you know, a goblin or just some little, yeah, I some creaturey minion. I don't think he sees. I th- I think he sees a horse. I think he's dumb enough to like yeah. not be. Able but he to still see. might know Mommy Fortuna's game because he knows mm. about you know right. Her so, whole thing. So, yeah. So, but, Voiced by brother Theodore, same guy who did Gollum in the Hobbit. Ooh. Oh, there you go. Uh, but Schmendrick is kind of a funny character because it's he's basically just at a temporary job. You know, he just is yeah. like looking for freelance work. Oh. And so he doesn't really want to be there. He's a Hogwarts dropout. <laughs> uh, Essentially, yeah. Um, oh, did you know that uh, something about Schmendrick, his backstory isn't in the movie. This must be from the book. I forget where I even read this, but... Mm. Oh, I'm curious. Apparently, he's actually immortal until he becomes a real magician oh, okay. so and then he'll age again once he's a real magician so he might be really really old does it does it does it talk about his so mask? he's tom bombadil yeah. <laughs> damn it <laughs> does it talk about his master uh oh i don't remember i does, feel like i heard it something. Does oh, in, okay it doesn't hear that the reason like the the master had made him yeah had made him immortals because he believed that he could eventually he he couldn't be that inept without somehow having some secret hidden power. And so he wanted to make sure that he eventually it came out of him. But So but, he made his apprentice immortal. Yep. And and uh and that's a dumb wizard right when there. When they when they but when they run into the Twisted. other wizard later on at the castle, uh that wizard 
knows about Schmendrick and knows about his master. And oh, they know each other personally. They greeted him by name. Yeah, oh, yeah, what's yeah. up, Schmendrick? But but he says like among adepts, he is best remembered as Nico's folly. So that was because Nico was was his master magician. Oh. So I thought that was kind of it's funny because Schmendrick. His backstory is interesting. Like he does, he is this failed magician who's just like trying and trying to access his power. You know um, who he reminds me of, and not your roommate not Kyle, Kyle, who yeah, I've never met. <laughs> well, and you know what the word Schmendrick means, right? Oh, they no. mention it. Wait, in it's the Yiddish. Thing. Yeah, I forgot. It, what means it means an inept person. So he's been. Oh. This is like an Olaf situation. Oh. <laughs> no, but it, it, yeah, because when I was growing up as a little boy. When I did something silly, my father, and he still calls me this, would call me and my brother, you're being a Schmendrick. Or like when the dogs would call me Schmendrick. So, but yeah, that, that is an old Yiddish term. Wow. That's amazing. Which describes his character. Also, that's so sad that that's his name, you know? Uh, but you know who he, he reminds me of? He kind of reminds me of, I was trying to figure out because he reminded me of someone. I was thinking maybe Abracadaniel from Adventure Time. <laughs> Abracadaniel. <laughs> or like King Arthur from Sword in the Stone. Like he's just this like kid you know almost like a kid Floppy who doesn't kid. yeah who has this big hat that doesn't really fit him um, or mickey from the sorcerer's apprentice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> brenda said uh zach braff <laughs> <laughs> that is who would play him in the life right? <laughs> unicorn <laughs> or like maybe 10 years ago zach braff yeah yeah, yeah. Or, if, yeah or when they do the live action adaptation zach <laughs> braff's like <laughs> just anybody any just him like being JD from Scrubs. Yeah, yeah. Any any like man who still has like a doe doe eyed like boy face, you know? <laughs> that's like oh, eternally youthful. That's so funny. Zach yeah. Efron would be perfect. Mm. Oh, okay. mm. Or even like Mark Hamill in the like nineties or something. Oh yeah. Like early Mark Hamill. Yeah. Totally. Well yeah. Or mid mid period. mid Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because Mark Hamill went in Star Wars is very bright eyed and bushy tailed. That's true. I think Schmendrick has a little sadness, tinge of sadness to yeah. him. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. you but, would too if your name was that you're a klutz. Aww. Yeah, I know that's true. But, but the unicorn is then collected into this collection of Mommy Fortuna's bizarre beasts, which are mostly just normal creatures that yeah. she uses magic to make people think are. Mm-hmm. More extraordinary. She's a witch, we also, should mention. Similar, yeah, she is. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. She S- is a witch. Similarly to We're Back, circuses. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a circus and there's an animal being captured in a circus. Yes. And they're hiding the truth. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, <laughs> but this is the one where I wanted to bring up the spider, where she they Ooh. point out Arachne of Lydia and... Uh, where Rook is saying, like, guaranteed the greatest weaver in the world. Her fate's the proof of it. She had a, the bad luck to defeat the goddess Athena in a weaving contest. Athena was a sore loser, and Arachne is now a spider, creating only for Mommy Fortuna's midnight carnival by special arrangement. And the unicorn says, but really just a simple spider's web, almost colorless, and does not, in fact, hold the world together. Yet she's not like the others. And uh, Schmendrick says, but no credit to Mommy Fortuna. The spider believes she sees the galaxies she weaves and thinks she's done them. Hmm. And then there's a beat later when the unicorn's letting out all the animals where she says, where it says, only Arachne refused to leave her universe. Weaver, freedom is better, the unicorn told it, but only twice. Hmm. So uh, she lets out all of the other animals. And then among them, is one animal that's real, and this is a harpy that <laughs> wants to kill and Mommy Fortuna. you can see its boobs. You can see its boobs. <laughs> well, in, in Greek mythology, harpies were half, they were these dirty sort of crone evil women from the top up and vulture from 
the rest down. So they're huh. they're they're evil bird women. Yeah. So, but they make the weird choice in the animated version of giving it three boobs. Oh, was it only three? Yeah, I, I didn't count them. I all, thought it was but... three. What yeah. year did Total Recall come? Yeah, out? yeah, yeah. You got to bring it bring up. I think maybe if it's 1982. Oh my God. No, I think it's a little bit later actually. <laughs> but but I I, I was kind of weird. I didn't weird. think it was distracting because it because it, it, well, it they didn't look. Like breasts, they looked more like the teats or an udder you would see on yeah. the net. Yeah, they did. Where, where it's like, oh, it's there, but it's not distracting. It wasn't like if she'd been a really humanoid harpy and she looks up humans like, oh, but your boobs are out. Definitely because it's a kids movie. I think when that shot happened, I think I just said like nipples or something. Right. Because <laughs> I'm wardrobe malfunction. 12, wardrobe. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's nothing compared to the titty tree that we see later. I so. know, right? Oh, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, wow, there's a lot of boobs it's in this movie. a little foreplay, you know, in the <laughs> beginning with the harpies. Mommy Fortuna has this whole god complex about holding on to these creatures, and the harpy in particular, she says how she knows the harpy's going to kill her one day, but she mm. she still feels like she's beat her because she caught her. You know? But and she also, that, she, because she knows the harpy's going to kill her, it's like she almost wants that. Yeah. Because she knows the harpy is going to remember, that after mm-hmm. she's dead, right. she's gonna re- the harpy's going to remember I was captured by Mommy Fortuna for the rest mm-hmm. of the harpies. So she's, there's a line, so there's my immortality yeah. for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really like that line. It was, is a, Mommy Fortuna was a really good, solid character, and I thought Angela Lansbury was a great yeah. voice choice. Yeah. yeah, she really was. <laughs> the harpies, as real as you are, and just as immortal, and she was just as easy to capture, if you want to know. Do not boast, old woman. Your death sits in that cage, and she hears you. Oh, she'll kill me one day or another, but she will remember forever that I caught her, that I held her prisoner. So there's my immortality, eh? (laughs) I really kind of adored that whole sequence. And then uh, my favorite part, which is that, because they don't run, and my mind first is like, run! Like, why aren't you running? And then immediately explains it. No, you must never run from anything immortal because it gets their attention. That's also good advice just dealing with predatory animals. Mm. That What triggers the predatory response is the running. That's when you become prey. So obviously the, the harpy is sort of an evil magical creature. When she was talking to the unicorn, let me out. You know, we're sisters, you and I. We're two sides of the same coin. Unicorn lets her out, Schmendrick screaming no. Then they promptly get into a magical creature duel. And yeah. it's pretty dramatic for considering in this movie not a whole lot of blows are exchanged, but you still get the the feeling of danger and peril. And this is the thing I liked in the comic, which is, no, you must walk slowly and pretend to be thinking of something else. Never run from anything immortal, magician. It attracts their attention. So they journeyed through the night together. Beyond the unicorn's light lay the shadows of the thick, Happy sounds the harpy made as she destroyed. Hmm. But beyond that, another sound followed them into morning on a strange road. The tiny, dry sound of a spider weeping. Aww. That's so <laughs> sad. Like, oh, my God. This is like, so I, lo- I just love this spider character that's in here that isn't in the movie at all. But I get why they wouldn't put in a spider because it's. Because they'd have tiny. to make it look like the scary spiders from the Hobbit. But it's movie. tiny. It's like the whole point of it is it's a small And then you feel bad thing. for it. It distracts you from the unicorn. Yeah, <laughs> that poor spider. Because, you know, they had a crippled monkey in there. And yeah, they showed him they with did. his bum foot running away. Mm-hmm. And the lion looking like he was, you know, a senior citizen. Yeah. 
But I don't know if it is, but I'm assuming the spider is in the book because it feels too specific. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm going to guess that the graphic novel is probably a bit closer. A, a pictorial ver- is the book without all the narration. Hmm. Because I have a graphic novel version of The Hobbit that actually looks like it might have been illustrated by the same people. Oh. And it's based, it's the, no, it's the, uh, it just doesn't have, no, there's very little narration. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you see the word bubbles. So I would bet that's probably closer to the book. Yeah, it yeah, says I the imagine. art is by Rene de Liz. I don't know who does my, um, my the, that, ver- I'd have to look when I get home. But it, I would bet that's closer to the novel than the film is. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, the, they carry onward and, uh, yeah, and Schmendrick uh, asks to go with her, and she's like, "Oh, that's what the reward you want." <laughs> yeah, but it's like she she me? implies that like he was gonna ask her to make him a real magician, and she goes, "I can't make you something you're not," <laughs> which is really sad. <laughs> Poor Schmendrick, I like that guy. And and then they they carry they sally onward. And, yeah, they do. Uh, oh, then they get to the they're just in the woods, and the and the the gang of like highwaymen, the highwaymen. highwaymen. Mm-hmm. You're a lucky guest this evening, magician. My minstrel, Willie Gentle here, was just about to inspire us by singing one of the adventures of bold Captain Cully and his men. Hey, Willie, not that thing again. Willie, sing us a true song. Sing us one about Robin Hood. There is no Robin Hood. Robin Hood is a myth. For some reason, there's this whole thing about Robin Hood that comes yeah. up. Because the Bandit King is like, oh, I'm I'm so-and-so, I'm so great. And he's trying to be kind of nice. And then Molly Gru's like, you're pathetic. Yeah, and the, you they're suck. all they're eating rat soup, and it's like not glamorous. And then they see Robin Hood, and they're like, oh, we're going to follow him, right? Isn't that what happens? They, yeah, they go it, off it, with somebody the... Somebody compared him to Robin. Like, he was comparing yeah. himself to Robin. Molly was like, you're like not Robin Hood, you loser. <laughs> and Spender's like, oh, you want Robin Hood? And then everyone's like, oh my God, it's Robin Hood. Well, no, they were like, oh my God, it's Friar Tuck. That's what impressed them. They all wanted to chase after Friar Tuck. And then and then that's when they tie Schmendrick to the boob tree. And then, and then, and then Kid Cudi and his giant, huge friend were like, you're no good magician. And they tie him to the sexual harassment tree. Yeah, <laughs> so which is just a tree until he magics it to have, he, like he, he well, can't he, control his magic. He you accidentally know? magics it alive. <laughs> and I was going to say it had the boobs before it came It does, out. it does. If you look at it, it actually... And it has got, like, redwood, cup redwood size. I don't know how it works for trees. <laughs> so, how I guess... dare you? Because in the commentary, he reacts... Do you even, like, Peter makes a comment where he's like, nah, it's vulgar. Like, that. it was mostly an animation thing where they just sort of designed it that way. Um, and in, in the book, it just stays... In the comic book, it just stays visually a tree. Hmm. So, but it still is, like, being... You know, it's still Does talking the, about so how the it tree loves doesn't him. try to molest him in the book. I mean, it still is kinda. It's still is talking. It mo- to is him. it more like Grandfather Willow in Lord <laughs> of the Rings, where it's like, okay, the tree's like trying to eat him, but it's not trying to molest him? Because she she kind of reminded me of some some of the uh, some of the cougars who hit on me in bars. <laughs> It's Grandmother Willow in her early years. <laughs> I like the line where she she's like telling him that she's I don't know, she's like saying that she's gonna like be with him forever or something like that. And he goes, Oh god, I'm engaged with Douglas Fur. Because <laughs> the, the point I laughed at is just like, oh god, what have I done? It's like, yeah, that'd <laughs> yeah. be my reaction too, buddy. But um, it's like now he's forever stuck with morning wood. <laughs> Well, thanks, everyone. This has been a great... Um, If you thought we were going to talk about unicorns and not include phallic jokes, you were wrong. So many dick jokes in this episode. (laughs) 
anyway. Well, the, uni- the unicorn comes and gets him out, basically. Like, you know, uses her magic to unmagic what his she magic fights did. off the sexual harassment tree. <laughs> yeah. After the unicorn frees him from the tree, then we have the whole meeting that Molly Grew has with the unicorn. Mm-hmm. And uh, this scene is actually quite touching like i and i think it does resonate very well the whole like you know, where were you and and the only response that can be gathered it's like where were you all that time years ago and it's like well i'm here now it's like what else are you supposed to say in any in any situation you know it's all you can ever really do is something in the present so i love I, molly Grew's character she's like a no-nonsense woman you know and she then she, just, she don't take no crap from yeah, nobody and, uh-huh. and she's waited her whole life to see a unicorn and without hesitation she just leaves and and doesn't take anything with her just nope i this is what i'm doing now mm-hmm. and i i think there's just something kind of great about that because she does obviously doesn't want to stay with this guy it's well, no he went off with his big huge friend after they tied schmendrick to the tree and <laughs> dress for the job morning wood joke here but she's like yeah i'm just coming with you and and schmendrick is basically like no you can't like but she's like no i'm <laughs> no, i'm coming she was pretty much like shut up i'm yeah, coming yeah. yeah and uh and i part of the way I, I, the whole time like you notice that the crow is following them. Oh yeah, yeah her, her crow fall. He shows up. Fortuna's crow. Oh. He's the magpie in the lyric. Go ask the magpie. I'm like that is a crow, even though it's the same family of birds, but it's not a magpie. So crows in the both crows films. Are, crows and we're back. Crows in this movie. Crows in I think they both had green eyes in both. It's <laughs> so yet another connection. Coincidence? I think not. Like animated sincerely, crows can I cross universes. Sincerely, I think not. Maybe the brain grain was made using unicorn magic. Oh, my God. (laughs) Boop tree. Boop tree. Oh, yeah. Busty tree is what was my notes. Oh, I wrote titty tree. Titty tree. Voluptuous. That has a better, like, alliteration. Yeah, I went for the alliteration. Uh Yeah. Titty tree. Yeah, I like that one. So so they're moving along. sorry. And um, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll try to stop bringing up the comic. But... This is where they they actually go to the town that's outside of the castle. Mm. And you find out that there's an inverse curse on the town, which is that if... So a witch helped build the castle, and he didn't want to pay her for it. Of course not. So so she put a curse on the castle uh, that that he would just live in, in... despair but pay your freelancers everyone yeah but for some reason there's like an inverse curse on the town itself which is that it it as long as there is despair to him there is like good things happening in their town Mm -hmm. so so they benefit from his misery it's it's interesting it's like strange so they walk up to Hagrid and go your anguish sustains me (laughs) pretty much Um, that is messed up but they kind of glad they cut that out but they don't want and you find you actually meet the dad that abandoned um, Lear. Prin, uh, that yeah that abandoned Lear, and he the reason he abandoned him is because the prophecy is that one born from the town will undo the king, and so they don't want they don't let anyone have kids, and so he basically like but it's actually not clear if it was his kid or if he found the kid and left it to die, but it's still messed up either way, and it upsets Molly Grew. And, but again, this whole sequence doesn't need to be in the movie. because it, it seems it, if you're going to get rid of a baby in a fairy tale or fan story, just leaving it out somewhere. Somebody's going to find it and your baby's not oh, going to be destroyed. Just feed it. 
to the find the wolf and be like, you want a treat, puppy? And no, it's wait. for the wolf to show up because it, it won't. It's actually you'd appreciate this, which is that the the guy finds the baby in the town square, oh, wow. and it's being uh, covered with cats. <gasps> Who are trying My to keep dream. It, they're trying to keep it warm. Oh, cuddle puddle. So they're probably cute. trying to eat it. But he's yeah. That was also my thought. But I know how cats work. Too. <laughs> Narratively, they were trying to keep it warm, and so he scares the cats off. Nobody likes it. cold leftovers. <laughs> he scares it off to leave it to die, and but the next morning he sees the baby is gone, and that implies that the king found the baby, and that becomes Prince Lear. So the the mayor tries to or whoever he is tries to bribe. Schmendrick to kill Lear, not to, you know, not to go and help them. But like, so there's this deal that he makes where he like tries to get him to give him a bunch of gold and he gets him to pay him saying he's going to kill Lear, but he's just not going to do and it. And that's all in the graphic novel. That's all in yeah. the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So I can see why they took that out. Yeah, of it, yeah. It's, it's, it's a little dark. It's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to that need to happen. But then they get to the the castle and then they run into the bull. Well, and well, they oh, run yeah, into yeah, the yeah. bull before they get to the castle. Oh right, they're almost at the castle. Yeah, they're almost yeah, at you're the forgetting castle. a very important plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're almost, aren't they almost to it? They're, I they guess see they, it. They see they it. They enter his valley. It's mm-hmm. nighttime, and the only light is, I guess, like the fire of the bull. Right. Because <laughs> it's, I gotta say, one thing Rankin Base does really well. A lot of their monsters they animate. They're really scary looking. Yeah. yeah. That bull comes out. He's got like fangs. He's got like the double windpipe you see in the goblins in the Hobbit films, and mm-hmm. he's got fire, and he's he looks like a bull, and yet he doesn't look because you think about it, a bull, yeah, it's big, but it's still a cow. <laughs> he looks like Ganon to me. Mm-hmm. Several several times where I'm just I just had Legend of Zelda flashbacks to boss fights, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. So so the bull's trying to <laughs> the bull's trying to attack the unicorn. This is the thing that kind of blindsides you in the movie. And in the comic, they set it up because there is a beat where he talks about his master being able to do this. And so it's kind of like foreshadowing it. But Um, I kind of like not even having any inkling that it's going to happen because it really was like, oh, I got to do some magic and I got to do it now. And the the bull. Yeah. So the bull is like charging and trying to kill her. And he uses magic. And he says that the magic magic do what you will. like he, He doesn't. It's not like he can control it. Kind of. He's just like doing magic. He basically like submits to the magicness. And it changes her into a human. And then the bull is not interested in it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not like, into oh. human chicks. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> he's not smart to go, oh, this thing was chasing it. It's the same thing. Apparently, it's not. He's got the intellect of a regular bull. Yeah. So it's a, it's a mindless beast. And and that in that form, it, and it freaks her out. And she immediately, this is why, like, made me kind of annoyed with unicorns, where it's just like, <laughs> this body is dying. Well, how do you think we feel? You know? Like, <laughs> but she's right, though. If you could be a unicorn... You wouldn't be a human. I really, I guess so. But I'd you know, you keep talking like that, Amalthea. We can see why you're the last. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she, she is disgusted by being in this body, and uh, but it's at the same time. Schmendrick's, it's protecting her too, yeah, though. Schmendrick's right. It, she needs to, you know, not be a unicorn so that they can get in, and then they get to the castle, and we run into two stars in this movie, which are. Jeff Bridges and Christopher Lee. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah, I was like, I don't know who you're talking about. Who are the two stars that are well, in this Angela movie? Lansbury and yeah, we already talked about Alan her. Arkin. I don't know. Mia Farrow. <laughs> we Christopher about Lee. Oh, who's the voice of Schmendrick? Did we even look this up? It's Alan Arkin. It's Alan Arkin, yeah. 
So the voice of Schmendrick is Alan Arkin. <laughs> We're not cutting that. <laughs> Daxton, I knew no. that. <laughs> I don't know much about Alan Arkin, so I don't know what else he's done. He was the grandpa in Little Miss Sunshine. He's, oh, okay. He's won at least one Oscar. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well then I'll just leave. (laughs) Yeah, that's why you look at the cast. It's like there are some huge names. You know, Mia Farrow was in Rosemary's Baby, Mm -hmm. which was a huge movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I know her from. Um, Well, and I just love that I read the detail that Christopher Lee, like Lord of the Rings, for The Last Unicorn was also a huge Last Unicorn nerd. and He's a big fantasy fan. And he would bring the book with him to Uh recording sessions to be like, these are the lines. He wanted to reinstate lines that that Peter had removed. I am King Haggard. This is Prince Lear, my son. Hi, glad to meet you. What is your concern with me? We seek, sire, to enter your service. I need no servants. Oh, but surely, sire, a magician, a fine cook. Uh, you are losing my interest, and that is very dangerous. Christopher Lee is the best. Have you guys ever heard him read Jabberwocky? No. no, but that would sound. Oh that my sounds amazing. god! Because you know he was the Jabberwock announcement. So oh, yeah. for one of the promotional things, they have him reading the, the actual poem. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the momraths outgrave. The only rendition of Jabberwock that even comes close is the one from The Muppet Show. <laughs> Christopher Lee is probably the greatest movie villain ever. Yeah. Because he plays almost all of our favorite villains. You know, and Universal Monsters. He's, he's so or many Hammer, about. sorry, Hammer, the Hammer. He's been Dracula. Yeah. He was the man with the golden gun. He was Count Dooku. <laughs> of course. He was the Jabberwock. The three classic villains. It was like, he was the Jabberwock, huh? Yeah. He was Saruman. 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 All of it. <laughs> they have a Christopher Leaf. Oh. <laughs> Everyone. All right. You too, Sarah. You stink of horse. Yes. You stink of red bull. What am bull. I supposed to say? I, I don't know what we I'm gotta doing. We got to pick a Lord of the Rings line. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, you stink of unicorn. You stink of unicorn. But can you, Hello, right. I'm Christopher Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do it? Did I get Peter? it? <laughs> Peter, uh, you cut me out of Return of the King, and I still showed at the premiere like an idiot. I still wanted to be there. <laughs> but I'm in the extended cut, so that is much better. That's so cool that a lot of people who were involved with this just really loved the book and wanted to be a part of it. It is, so cool. and he does bring a wonderful kind of presence to this, this sort of, like, King Haggard is so believable as this just kind of, he, because he, he's, he's basically haggard. bored. Yeah, he's, he's just bored. He's bored. He seems a little. I don't know if angry is the right word. Maybe irritated. He has a bit of an air of not like I'm going to attack you hostility, but he definitely seems like he's a bit on edge. Especially where you know he's staring at a mouth. He's like, I know something. I know what you are. I know what's up. Yeah, but into him, it's kind of a game because normally that kind of stuff bothers me. Where it's like, why did you do that? But I feel like I understand why Haggard's doing it because. One, he has his own feeling of power that no matter, even if he lets them in, they still can't ultimately hurt him. Like, but at the same time, I think he just wants to shake things up. Like, cause he, and that, that comes when Schmendrick is like, I'll be your magician. He's like, well, I already have a master magician. And 
then the, the great line where it says, I, a master magician has not made me happy. Maybe an incompetent one will. <laughs> and well, it's, it's so good. And the whole thing is like him trying to find something that makes him happy. And there's a, skipping ahead a little bit, we'll get to the skeleton because there's a lot of cool stuff with him. But the skeleton is someone Haggard killed to see if being evil would make him happy. So he's always well, that like. that was removed though, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think that's in the movie. I, I read that Did somewhere. Did he chop that leg off the cat for the same reason? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I bet that cat actually has a leg though. The cat, the best part. Are of you the saying movie. Haggard is Jeffrey Dahmer of the fairy tale world? Because <laughs> no. that's uh, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, so so he makes he, he makes Schmendrick his new magician, right? So Schmendrick becomes the new magician, and uh, then they be kind of just hanging around the castle. By the way, I don't know if I brought it up, but I just love how much of this movie feels like a game of D and D. If you really <laughs> like look at it from beginning, where it, it's it's just it total as somebody who runs. Dungeons and Dragons games professionally. This is so a game of D and D. It's not funny. <laughs> it's like the unicorn left and then suddenly got trapped. Ah, oh, but there's a magician here, and you have to win him over, or like y- bring him on your quest. You can totally then- see when somebody rolled a nat twenty and a nat one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very obvious. Unicorn sleeping, nat one right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crit fail. Witch- I got. <laughs> I find a unicorn sleeping and put it to sleep before it realizes anything's going on. Which shows up, you're trapped, and then... Yeah. <laughs> uh, Band of Thieves. Um, so, yeah, like, but I love how much everyone in this movie accepts what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's just, well, I'm that harpy's gonna kill you. Yeah, well, you know, you all die someday. It might yeah, as well be by her, a harpy. So she's gonna be really pissed about that for the rest of her immortal life. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, we get to this point where, yeah... He just feels like Schmendrick rolled a nat 20 on his bluff and somehow worked his way into being the magician oh, yeah, at the castle. Your, yeah. That's when he na- he says that this is Amalthea, Mike. What does he say? Cousin or? Niece. 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 Um, and Amalthea, yes. Getting to that. That is, uh, was Zeus's like foster mom who was like a goat it or was something. The- oh. Amalthea was the goat because when Zeus was born, for those who don't know Greek mythology, his father was Cronus the Titan, and it was foretold that one of his sons would overthrow him. So when his wife gave birth, he would swallow the child. Mm. Zeus was the last one. Instead of giving the infant Zeus to Cronus, I forget what his mother's name was, gave him a stone swaddled in baby clothes to fool him. He swallowed that. She took Zeus, hid him away in some cave with like nymph babysitters, and the goat was what provided the ambrosia nectar that he nursed on to grow up. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the name is from. And he pulled one of the horns one off. Of the, and that's sort of that, like the cornucopia image. That's where that... Yeah, and so that's yeah. like the, the author was plenty, yeah. saying in the commentary that she's basically... She was a unicorn at that point. And as I mentioned earlier, goats play into a lot of the mythology of mm-hmm. unicorns. Horses have nothing to do with it. Yeah. What are you looking at? The sea. Ah, yes. The sea is always good. <laughs> it's like, it's, like, it's so weird, but you get what he's saying. Like, I, I, I just, I kind of love that, that there's, that he understands immediately. But they, you also find out there's another reason for why he feels well, that way. And I love that when he does look into her eyes, he can see the forest kind mm-hmm. of. And then at some point he can't see that anymore because she's becoming more human. Uh, and I guess like if she's human for too long, she can't turn back or whatever, which is, there's a lot of like like Little Mermaid. Can I know you were probably going to bring up the Little Mermaid, but yes. it's kind of similar to I that. I mean, that's that's an old fairy tale trope. Yeah. How about Cinderella and mm-hmm. Midnight? Right. Well, and and while we're on the note of Little Mermaid, uh, the skull 
who's played by oh, yeah. Rene Aberjuna. <laughs> Aberjuna, is that how you say his name? Um, who, Very French. Who we found out was... Dun, 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 dun. Chef Louis. Yay! He was Chef Louis in Little Mermaid. So he's the one singing about... Le poisson, le poisson. <laughs> He's so great as the skeleton. Poor little succulent crab. <laughs> so I kind of just like that both of these movies have voice actors from The Little Mermaid, so it's yeah. another strange connection. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, he's, he's angry about not being able to see himself in her eyes, and then uh, the prince kind of is just like, well, what does it matter? She's here. <laughs> what does it matter? She's hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in the uh, in the graphic novel, he says very well. Uh, it's actually interesting because the reasoning he then has is well because uh, there's finally a creature in the castle that has caused uh, my son to call me father again, <laughs> which he hasn't done since he was five. Mm. And then the son corrects him since I was six. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's uh, oh. kind of a cute moment. I don't know if this is in order because I kind of forgot the order of what happened. But like, there's the part where Schmendrick is trying to, uh, he's trying to impress Haggard, and he's like juggling and doing all these little magic things, and it does remind me of of Stubbs from We're Back. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it, yeah, so trying to make him laugh. This is the same yeah. thing where he's trying to make an old man laugh who just isn't happy, which is a very <laughs> strange specific similarity between these two movies. <laughs> It was um, kind of weird. It <laughs> was not planned, was not thought ahead, but... Uh, Maybe that's where the Weird Back Riders got the idea. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. It is. Oh, also... Ten years later. Uh, the, and the final connecting thing that I found was the transformation, because you have transmogrification in both of these films, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he, the humans turn into monkeys and the unicorn turns into a human. Can we get to the cat scene? Yes. I am dying. Your favorite scene in this movie. Uh, so they're just chilling in the castle. They're basically just living <laughs> there now. Molly became the cook. Yeah. yeah. And then they're trying to figure out how to find the bowl and where mm-hmm. the unicorns are. And she talks to the, the one of the kitty. best characters, which is a pirate cat that so has cute. a patched eye. You want to know what it says in my notes? The kitty is such a kitty. <laughs> <laughs> has, it has a peg leg. He's a pirate but cat. It's so cute because it's He's talk- like Growl Tiger from Cats. But it's, like, it's like saying all these things that are very like profound and like trying to, you know, tell like riddles and things. And then it's like, pet me. It's basically like, <laughs> it's so cute. It's such a kitty. I love Aww, it. Oh, uh, yeah. And then. Uh, yeah, it's that weird stumpy cat. I think and- Edward James almost would play this cat Ooh, <laughs> in uh-huh, nowadays. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and it says the best thing ever. I would tell you what you want to know if I could, mum. But I be a cat. And no cat anywhere ever gave anyone a straight answer. And then he yeah. moves his eye pat. He, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, you have two perfectly good eyes. <laughs> he's, you're just a weirdo. He just two eyes. He's two eyes. I, so I just want to be a pirate, eh? It's like I Frankenstein. I parrot once. It's like the the the, the uh, Frank or the um, in last or Frankenstein. You young know, Frankenstein. The hump? <laughs> young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Igor. Igor. Yeah, yeah. He's like, what's what the hump on the other side? <laughs> no. That's the second time we brought up Young Frankenstein. Um, so I love that kitty. Such just a to critter. just to get it to the to the to the yeah. ocean at the end of the lane. What? No. Yes. <laughs> Actually, Neil Gaiman did speak highly of. Uh, Peter S. Beagle. There's a really lovely. Well, didn't he? Didn't Neil oh, Gaiman do Stardust? Oh yeah, he did. 
So which is a kind of fantasy film within this kind of genre, I would so, say. But he says on the cover that movie of also has a unicorn. Yeah. On the cover of the last unicorn, the lost journey, it says his stories are jewels. Neil Gaiman Aww. is the quote that's right. What on What kind part. of jewels, though? Yeah, rubies, <laughs> rubies diamonds, rubies? sapphires. <laughs> Um, <laughs> rubies you owe me Cubic zirconia They are not the synthetic no. kind <laughs> So It looks just like a real diamond You drink the rest of the milk So okay. the, 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 They end up finding out That there's some weird thing They need to do with wine And the skull in the basement And they go down there yeah. And they're, they're talking to the skull Oh yeah the skull's like well, yeah. there's a riddle Yeah it's clock. like a, Something like they have to give him wine when, the t- when it's the right time Something yeah but he like they they can't make wine, but they give him like an empty bottle and they he trick think, him because he doesn't have a like a mouth or eyes or a nose or a stomach. Yeah. Well, this so. this happens actually, or I'm, any soft tissue for that matter. And I'm realizing, but he blushes still. And he's, he can talk with no vocal yeah. cords or muscles to move his jaw. Let's not bones. let's not break this apart too much. Too <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, actually, we should mention though before that happens that the that's the whole um, Prince Lear and Amalthea falling. In love, kind of oh, yeah, part that's yeah. going on, and 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 there are doves and they're singing and yeah, <laughs> more bad music. So that it's all happens. Sappy. And I tried to write a symphony, but I lost the melody. Alas, I only finish and finish. I suppose I never. They also do, when they have their duet, she is replaced in that version, too. Katie Irving, in the replaced version, is also singing on the mm. on the duet between them. So they, they break into the clock. The skull then realizes, oh, wait, that's a unicorn. And so it starts calling for Haggard, and then they run through the clock because they figure out that you're just supposed to go through it from from the skull. And, and, <laughs> and like, <laughs> I was like, what is this, Mario 64? Just, uh, so we... <laughs> Wow. I understood that reference. So, so just just go through the clock. There's a world on the other side, and but they go into the cab, the bull's cavern, and uh, and that's just Jeff Bridges' character. Oh. Lear appears out of nowhere. Well, and there's a thing too where they say, "Oh, she's not who you think she is," or something. And he has this great line where he says, "I love whom I love," which is kind of sweet. I mean, again, they just kind of met, but I I love that line, and I think it's I don't know. You can apply it to a lot of things. Today, I guess. I think you believe their emotions. I yeah. think it, it does actually yeah, yeah, yeah. seem sincere. And and then they get down to, to running into the bull. And then. Who has figured out the ruse by this point of me? They don't turn yes. her back and he's like, oh, you're a unicorn now. Well, and they found out from King Haggard that the unicorn, like he basically rounded up the unicorns because he wanted something to make them happy. And he drove them all into the ocean. So they're all out in the ocean. They don't explain that. It's like, why would you keep a unicorn in the ocean? It's not a fish <laughs> or a marine creature. It's just like that. It's like, is that a narwhal? Because <laughs> yeah. they even have in what lyrics some random line about narwhals, which they pronounce wrong as narwhales. Uh, but, um, narwhales. It'd be, it'd be it'd be interesting if if narwhals turned into unicorns when they came on land or oh, vice yeah. versa. No, so they, as opposed to being beached and dying horribly. No, yeah. they become terra narwhals. They're, they're they're just narwhals with tank treads. That's Ooh. okay. Yeah, yeah, they evolve their hooves. Yeah, and exactly. Land animals again. Yeah. <laughs> so so the bulls figured out the ruse, and and then Schmendrick kind of magics her back into a unicorn. Yeah. And and then the whole final battle kind of ensues, and uh, it reminded me of Ponyo a little bit with the, the oh, unicorns. Yeah. There Should... were there were few Ponyo again. The animation led into that studio became. 
part of it became Ghibli. So well, you kept mentioning Little Mermaid earlier, guys, and I remember when I saw Ponyo, which I, I'm not a fan of that film. Ponyo's a little. A I little thought mermaid. Ponyo was very much Miyazaki trying to do his version of the Little Mermaid. But that yes. was that was also yes. in the publicity for it. I think. Yeah. I don't remember the publicity. I no, just no, remember yeah, yeah. going to the movie and they, going, this is too Disney for my taste. That, that wasn't something they tried to hide, is what I'm saying. Like, wow. they, they actively based, said that it was, like, his take on The Little Mermaid. Well, yeah, that's 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 my theory, that the weakest Miyazaki films are ones he's adapting. I feel like, uh, like, Kiki Delivery Service is, like, the middle, like, the middle of the, middle of the pack for me. But, but original Miyazaki, to me, is better than adapted Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. But you are right that the the unicorns coming out of the wave do feel like well, be, the fish. Well, because that was, I mean, the one cool thing about Ponyo in the sense of what I thought was like spectacularly imaginative, like animation wise, was it's like the waves, they become fish and then they kind of spit like that. The fluidity oh, the animation of it is so beautiful. The and the animation in, in Ponyo is, is like one of the is I think some of the best in all of the Ghibli movies, especially just the variety of the sea creatures yes. at the beginning is astounding. Like you look at those jellyfish and every jellyfish is different. Mm. It's yeah. not, they haven't even copy pasted them. It's like, there's even specific designs on different ones just so you know that they're different jellyfish. <laughs> Somebody did a meme of Miyazaki taking over every film that a, a younger person takes over, but he's like purple, like Thanos. And he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Um, but, but with the unicorns of the waves, I mean, it's such a stunning, amazing visual. Yeah. Uh, so, so they saved their budget for that. And they it, really it, did. It, so it works. But, but to, so what precedes that is, is they are in their battle with the bull and the unicorn is being backed into the water. And then she kind of, as she hits the water, she runs and realizes that she, you know, doesn't have to go back into the ocean. Well, and she then can fight back. She can fight back. She and and I think it's attributed that the reason she's learned to kind of fight back is because she's been a human, or she's that's changed her in some way. And uh, then King Lear does kind of the the ultimate sacrifice of throwing himself in front of the bull to try and help her. And he gets killed. He gets killed. This enrages her and gives her the. Um, because full Anakin this, Skywalker around. This, no. Yeah, th- this gives her the uh, the Saiyan rage boost that she needs. To, <laughs> she to, goes over nine thousand <laughs> to, to to then push the bull back in <laughs> to the ocean instead. And at this point, you start to see the unicorns parting, kind of from the waves. And at first, I wasn't sure. I really wasn't sure for a bit if the unicorns were just full on dead. Yeah. in the ocean, <laughs> they just wash ashore. There's nothing but a bunch of just horse carcasses. Right. Oh no! The seagulls but, picking out their eyes. But then, it, then the reveal that yeah, the, the unicorns are all safe within the water, and they all burst out and run. And then you clearly put all their budget into the sequence yeah. of yeah. The, all these unicorns run, and their cycles. But they're really yeah. clever cycles of of the horses running where They're like scaling the mountain and mm-hmm. smashing through the castle and it's it's this thing where you have it so that like as each horse is running it becomes the next horse running and you repeat those frames so it it looks more complicated than it is. It looks good, though. but but they did a really good job of it, and it and you just see all of them running along. Yeah, there's ones running sideways on the cliff, and it I just all kind of love that that they they're have unicorns, dude. They've they're been unicorns. living underwater where I know apparently they can <laughs> respire with gills, or <laughs> I don't know. So so uh, they're running and they destroy the castle, and Haggard kind of. Falls to his death. I knew you were the last! <laughs> and it's a great death. And uh, and the unicorn revives uh, Prince Lear. Yeah. She brings him back to life. And, um, oh, I would like to mention, though, that like before he died, Chris 
Christopher Lee did have a lovely kind of speech on oh. when they were looking out over the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but it, it is sort of satisfying when he dies because he's been such a well-developed character and you've had all this time with him and Christopher Lee did such justice to the dialogue and made him feel believable. Well, and I just really like, well, I mean, we were having this conversation conversation only yesterday about something else in my life, but just like, I love this idea of a character who doesn't know how to be happy and he looks for it everywhere and he never finds it. I don't know. I know that's like sad and tragic, but I'm also like, he had to kind of die sort of at the re- end. Sort of relatable? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's yeah. relatable. I think that's important in a villain is that yeah. you need to see the worst version that could happen to of yourself sometimes. Yes. Yes. Like the idea is that you don't follow the path they've done, but the seed of why they became the way they are is something that may be yeah. in all of us. It's relatable. So he he dies and it's a satisfying death yeah. and he, all the unicorns in the world couldn't make him happy. So he, <laughs> that's so sad. He deserves to, to just fade. I and, would just need one unicorn to make me and, happy. And he dies by, <laughs> and he, the irony is he dies by falling into the ocean where he mm. was trapping the unicorns. Yeah. Would have been really funny if he'd gotten impaled on a unicorn. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> uh, also, but are you saying that as an allusion to the opening of return of the King in the extended edition where Christopher oh, yeah. Lee's character, Saruman falls onto a spike yeah. off of a tower. Yeah, that's true. Why? Why does? Why do Christopher Lee's characters have to die by falling? Aww. Is what I'd like to know. Um, <laughs> so, so that at this point though, she ends up reviving mm-hmm. uh, King Lear with her unicorn magic, and. Uh, and this is sort of the wrapping up. Of yeah, the and I love how they don't give them the happy ending you would think. It's because it's like you know, in the Little Mermaid, she decides to stay with the prince, Prince Eric. Or well, um, in the movie, in the movie, yes, in yeah, the book, yeah, yeah. she dies by turning to sea foam. Ooh, nice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, color. I love that it's it's more <laughs> it's more it's realistic. Like out of the water, they can't support their own body weight. Like of of course a unicorn would stay a unicorn. You know she can't be a human. She's a unicorn. Well, and she's aware too. She even says to him before she turns back that it, once I'm a unicorn, I will not love you. Yeah. And she doesn't initially want to turn back because of that. She's ready to let all the unicorns die, basically mm-hmm. for her love. And yeah. Mendrick kind of plays a mind game with her to like make her realize how wrong it is that she wants to stay a human. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but, but she, you know, once she is a unicorn again, she at least says that I remember you. Yeah. And, and I, I think there, there's a quote at the end that, uh, Schmendrick says about, I think, I don't know if like Prince Lear is like asking if she'll remember him or something like that. And he says, she will remember your heart when men are fairy tales and books are written by rabbits, which made me laugh. And, and this is the best thing is mm-hmm. that that line and this is, I, I swear, it's the last time I'm bringing up the comic. But that means it, that that line is probably from the novel. Well, yeah. So, but in the the comic book, it's really adorable because, uh, and they mention this in, even in the commentary for the movie, is that the very last page has a tiny little rabbit scrawling next to the words "the end." Yeah. yeah. So. And also, it reminded me of Watership Down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But that's the last unicorn. Yeah. That, that, I that's mean, the last little bit about the last. Does anyone have any other thoughts the about first the last to, The first to last unicorn. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and there is something here at the back, the conversation with Peter S. Beagle, which has a lot of info, and I recommend reading if you do get the comic. Um, but he, he brings up a story where he was at a convention. Uh, yeah, he was at WonderCon, and he says that two large 
uh, Latino men like walked up to his booth when they saw him and they were like, is this your movie? He's like, yeah, your movie saved us. And they talk about how when they were younger, their parents used to have like fights all the time and would scream. And that one of the things they would do is they would run into their rooms and play a VHS of the last unicorn. Mm. And that was, and it's, it, it's, so sweet what they say to him. They said, they said that uh, we are sane, functioning human beings today with families of our own because we had your world to hide in. We had your world to hide out in. Thank you. And he says he was speechless. And the, But those are the kinds of stories that he'll get from people about this movie yeah. and about the impact that it had on some people. So even though I didn't grow up with it, I can completely see why this was a film that mattered to like yeah. some people it, it had a good up. message and it had good storytelling. You know, a lot of times when people look for that in animated films, they look to Disney because Disney tends to do it with a lot more, I guess, finesse than some of these other um, companies. But last year, it's a, it's a wholesome message. You know, there's, there's a good journey and there's growth. As, and in the end, like I said, it's not a traditional happy ending, but it's not not a happy ending. Yeah, right. Really, you know, it's like Lear went off to go presumably do great things. Schmendrick and Molly Grew, I guess, became a, a thing and went off to, I guess, find their happily ever after. The unicorn's like, yeah, I know what regret is now. But she went back to her forest and all the unicorns, I guess, are back. Yeah. So it, it's like, okay, it's sad. She learned regret, but she kind of learned a valuable lesson. It's like, well, I know what regret is now. Yeah. And she doesn't seem to regret that she regrets. <laughs> Yeah, the, the line she says is pretty wonderful. I'm no longer like the others, for no unicorn was ever born who could regret, but now I do. I regret. I am sorry. I have done you evil, and I cannot undo it. No. Unicorns are in the world again. No sorrow will live in me as long as that joy, save one. And I thank you for that part, too. This is one of those anime films where there really isn't something where you'll see someone's like, you know, I was five and I watched this and it, like, scared me or traumatized me. You know, there really isn't a big... The Red Bull is the scariest guess, monster yeah. in this, and he's not a big, overwhelming monster. He's not like... What's, what, what's I, guess, I guess the Harpy is kind of scary in some The way. Harpy is, but, but the thing is, all of these monsters, with the exception of the Red Bull, you know, they engage... With the characters, because in a lot of these animated films, there's a big monster or a, a big carnivore if the cast are animals. They usually don't talk. They often do not have pupils in the eyes. The Red Bull had all white mm. eyes, and that's a stylistic thing. I've noticed the way they portray certain things, and that has that sort of aura of menace and that lack of humanity. And again, Dax, you and I talked about this one day back to Quest for Camelot. The Griffin in that, when he was in like Griffin mode, he had glowing green eyes, and then when he was back to sidekick oh, minion yeah. mode, he would blink, and all of a sudden he would have pupils. Yeah, that's a common common trope that I feel like is done in animation. It's a stuff, and even even Haggard, who is he's a bad guy. Yes, it's okay. He captured the all the unicorns. He really didn't do anything super evil and villainous, or at least not in the animated film. Yeah, you know, so he he's like he's. He's not a good guy, but he's not like, oh, he's evil. He's the bad guy. Again, something sympathetic and relatable to him. So I think that's why this movie ha- has that 
profound impact on people. Yeah. And is it implied that Schmendrick and Molly Grew are kind of like an item at the end? I don't know. End? I couldn't tell. They sort of hint at it. There's, and there's stuff in the comic, too. Like, that it ends on... Um, hey, Sarah, why don't you try to think? Why don't I read his line and you read her line? Okay. So... <laughs> And this is what they sang as they went away together out of this story and into another. I am no king, and I am no lord, and I am no soldier at arms, said he. I am none but a harper, and a very poor harper, that am come hither to wed with ye. If you were a lord, you should be my lord, and the same if you were a thief, said she. And if you are, mo- are a harper, you shall be my harper, for it makes no matter to me. To me, for it makes no matter to me. <laughs> but what if it prove that I am no harper, that I lied for your love most monstrously? Is this my line? Why then I'll te- <laughs> Why then I'll teach you to play and sing, for I dearly love a good harp, said she. And the end. I think I'm gonna vomit. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> I didn't know you were gonna put on a, a fake woman voice. <laughs> When you are a woman and didn't have well, to that do that? very much suggests they got together. I heard the word wed. And that sounds very consensual to me, so that's... To me, to me, said he. I didn't even, um, I didn't even register what I had read. But anyway, oh, but, but I... Um, so, the, and there's one other thing I wanted to bring up, is that there are a lot of covers of the Last Unicorn theme on YouTube. Uh, yeah, we were, we're watching a at, few before. Um, and the one that... I mean, there's some really cool ones. There's like a metal one you yeah. brought up and, and uh, there's like a piano version. Yeah. But, so, but the one that I really like, and it was one that kind of made me think about this film a few years ago when I saw it, was the Danny Avedan, like the Ninja Sex Party cover that they did. Their band like name is so that, funny I like hearing say. that name out of context, <laughs> Ninja Sex Party. Well, because they would usually do parody songs. They do sort of... Com- comedy driven music yeah. but then he started they started doing covers and this was actually the first i think of the covers they started doing which led into doing two uh under the covers albums yeah uh and the cover that they did for the last unicorn that danny sing and danny is also one of the game grumps in yeah. case someone doesn't know so the the cover that he did for the last unicorn is really kind of i think very sincere and touching when the last And it, it clearly comes from the place of someone who this was one of their favorite. Yeah, yeah. It was probably one of his kind of, um, what's the word for it? Like the thing that shapes you. Yeah. You know, as a kid. That was kind Molding of, kind yeah. of factor in his life. And and I, but anyway, I just wanted to bring up that cover that it's well worth listening to. Yeah. Um, Grayson, I know you said that in some ways the synth yeah, nature I, I, of it. I, I, I listened to it. I thought his vocals were very good. The one thing that to me really detract it from the original. It's done on, I don't know if that's a keyboard or a synthesizer, and it has kind of this 
poppy, electronic-y tint to it that I feel the first song is really an emotion-laden song. And like mm-hmm. it makes me, it brings me to tears uh, a lot of the times I listen to it. And I thought this version, the singing was very good, mm-hmm. but I thought because it had that kind of electronic-y bit, that poppiness, it, it sacrificed some of the emotion of the original and then there's I can a, see that. Well, I, and also cuz it's like maybe that's too anachronistic for the vibe of what the original yeah, story I, is. I personally feel if someone's do a really good cover, you'd want to do it in like, like a power metal cover, something like in the style of like like Ronnie James Dio who sang a lot of <laughs> fantasy themed stuff and I, you know, that old 80s vibe. Mm. But there there are a lot of covers of this song, but it's a it's a really good song. It's not a really complex song. Yeah. So you could you could be easy to cover. I think it's easy to pour your emotion into into it, and um, and and yeah, I guess I guess for like for Ninja Sex Party because I know their other music and I know how it's very driven. Um, uh, it it has a kind of quality to it that like for, maybe it makes more sense to me listening to it in their other music. I can um, understand that if you're familiar with the artist entire repertoire um so anyway uh thank you to everyone for joining yeah. us on this um, I mean, look, phenomenal our, journey yeah <laughs> our episodes are an epic journey <laughs> like the movies that you watch yes but <laughs> often we just longer. don't have the epic soundtrack to go with it <laughs> often longer than the movies we watch well no i'm just gonna do for like Ooh, enough to fill up like underneath the whole episode slow motion 80s montage So, 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 Stephen, where can people find you? You can always find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Stephen Ray Morris. You can check out See Jurassic Right, where it's, uh, you know, Jurassic June. So there's a lot of dinosaur things happening. So check out the new season, new season, preseason of the pod. You might say we're back. Yes. You would say that, like. Because you're back, you know? Yes, we're back. It's great. Um, check out the podcast, obviously. Oh, yeah, the podcast. That's <laughs> um, a podcast we do together about yes, cats. Yes, about cats. Yeah. <laughs> but we haven't had a pirate cat on yet. Although I would say Blasco's kitties well, are kind of piratey. I would say Sammy Davis Jr., didn't he ha- wasn't he blind in one eye or something? Oh, yeah, he was blind in one eye. But yeah. I wouldn't call Sammy Davis Jr. a pirate. No. But He's a cat. There's a cat named Sammy Davis. Anyway, whatever. If it's, not a, if it's not a talking pirate cat, then I want <laughs> talking to cat? do with it. A talking cat? Check out Omar's video about a talking check cat. Out, <laughs> check out our friend Omar's video <laughs> series about a talking cat. Anyway. <laughs> Grayson, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, I don't have a podcast, and I like I said, I do animation. Um, I'm actually a science educator you can contact me if you go to my website rockandrollreptiles.net i run a mobile natural history museum so yeah so yeah and uh sarah instagram sarah Iyer. twitter sarah and julie Iyer. my other podcast the percast weezer has turned and left us here where are you dax i'm I'm dax schaefer at that's just my handle on everything yeah so and we are uh so our podcast name, which we didn't... Oh, no, we mentioned it. But you can email us at thewholebluth at gmail.com. You can follow us at nothing but the Bluth on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, the Bluth, the Whole Bluth, and nothing but the Bluth. And we're now on Stitcher as well. iTunes, oh, yeah. Google we Play. Because someone was asking if we were yeah, on. If and there we're are like, any other uh, platforms you want us to be on. Was that in the on. Sea Jurassic Great group? 
I think it was someone one of oh, your so, one of someone, someone from there passed mm-hmm. our way from you. Oh, nice. Yeah. So if you've been looking for us on Stitcher, we're there now. Uh, and Huzzah. yeah, leave us some reviews. We want to uh, on our like main, not our non-Bluth episodes. But I think we want to read reviews like every other episode on our our Don Bluth episodes. Yeah. So leave us some reviews, and we might read them next time. So thank you. So and thanks, uh, and um, we'll see you for the next last unicorn. No. <laughs> <laughs> Penultimate unicorn. The penultimate. (laughs) The penultimate unicorn. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Bye. Uh, okay, so more like we're whack. Oh, I have a different one. Oh, really? More like we're lacking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear my last unicorn? Yeah, 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 yeah. Last unicorn, more like the last poonicorn. <laughs> thank, thank you very much, you're beautiful. I love this town. <laughs> <laughs>